Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 412. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my host, David Bixens fan. And Bix, before we get started on this um, monster show we have here this week, we have a new Patreon show to talk about. So let's talk about that. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And the latest episode is uh, Andrew Madison's WWA All-Stars. So, uh, Part two, yes. Exactly, part two of our two-part series here. And uh, oh, I mean, what am I thinking about here? Before, before I start doing this, how is how are you doing this week, Bix? I forgot to ask how you were doing. I'm doing fine. All right, good, good, good. <laughs> I just was going straight into the Patreon plug. I don't even even. Uh, it's fine. You know, get, all right. You don't always do that. But anyway, anymore. it's fine. I don't know. All right. So anyway, so Patreon, uh, yeah. We, so the, we had a um, really good show, I thought. Uh, as the uh, we go more into 2002 of the WWA, we have uh, the pay per view airing, the first one from Australia. Then we have uh, the big one, the one from Las Vegas. And boy, there's a lot of drama surrounding that. So we, we talk about that. We talk about uh, other shows that they ran. Um, on tours, lots of drama involving Andrew McManus and uh, people like Randy Macho Man Savage, um, billing people that's not under contract to appear on the shows and they don't appear on the shows. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's conflict of interest, we'll talk about that. Um, all the different people that become Andrew McManus's right hand man, which changes by the week. Um, we have uh, Scott Steiner, Lex Luger, we got Sting, all these guys that were WCW stars that are working there in 2002. We got the highlight of the show, basically, in my mind, is a, something that we just found on the fly, as we were talking about in the notes. But Scott Steiner, Medasia, and Grandmaster Sexe appearing on the footy show in Australia, Australian television. Yeah. This is amazing stuff, folks. Yes. Because the host on there, host on there was something else, and uh, yeah, you definitely. I don't want to spoil that too much, so you definitely have to listen to that. Yes. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a, a, a really solid way to end this series. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think so too. Um, a couple different Andrew McManus interviews that Alex Marvez did as well are on there, and they're interesting. They're also two very different from each other, I would say. Yeah, Andrew McManus, uh, towards the end there, <laughs> really becoming a mark. So we have that. But uh, yeah, fun shows. So $5 a month, patreon.com slash Trini Sheets gets you access to that. And all the audio that we have done and are now almost seven full years of the Patreon. Hard to believe, but yeah, we're getting there. Yes. So, so there's plenty of audio at that $5. Yes, and also remember, uh, if you do annual billing, you get 16% off, 50 40 a year. And now might be a good time to do that because, as we announced at the end of the Patreon show, got a few things we already have planned coming up. The first is that for July and August, most likely, I don't think it'll need to go into a third part, uh, we'll be looking at the WCW racial discrimination lawsuits. Because July is the 20th anniversary of the settlement of the Sonny Ono-led lawsuits is from him and Bobby Walker and 
Hardbody Harrison and Thunderbolt Patterson and Tony Carr and all those folks. So mix of honestly a lot more newsletter and magazine and newspaper stuff than I expected, but then all sorts of court records and, you know, stuff from depositions and affidavits and stuff mixed in as well. And then for September and, you know, maybe potentially October, we'll see once I get all the notes done, uh, we'll be doing Todd is God because I've gotten a peek at Todd Gordon's book that's coming out uh, in a few weeks. And there is stuff we are definitely needing to address as part of our Eddie and Paul canon on the Between the Sheets Patreon. So it'll be, you know, key parts of the book compare against what the newsletters and interviews and stuff said and that'll be the idea there and september is also the 30th anniversary of eddie gilbert uh quitting his booker yeah so a lot of good stuff coming yeah. and then uh not sure what month it'll be yet there's some other stuff i'm waiting on to beef it up more but something uh that i started putting stuff together for in case it could fit in with the racial discrimination shows is and it didn't really because there was too much especially uh some point maybe end of the year early next year we'll be doing a show on the missy hyatt sexual harassment lawsuit against wcw i'm sure that'll be a doozy yes a lot coming up then patreon.com slash between the sheets hopefully have room for a uh, free preview of the latest show at the end of the show yes 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 so, uh, yeah, we're getting the year pretty much booked up, so to speak, on the Patreon. So uh, definitely want to get in on the ground floor on that and tell your friends about it. So uh, they can hear all this interesting stuff that we're going to be talking about. It's stuff that you won't hear pretty much anywhere else. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, let's start with the main show. Me and Bix are going to lead off. We will have our guests later on. As Kaya McKenna will join us after the WWE section. So uh, we're excited for that. So everybody stay tuned for Kaya. But me and Bix will go now with the monster that is known as World Wrestling Entertainment. And the week that was June 28th through July the 4th of 2005. And we start off with business talk. Where's Brandon Thurston when you need him? Despite the addition of former pay-per-view events and huge increase in international business, World Wrestling Entertainment actually declined in both revenue and profit for the fiscal year that ended on April 30th. Yes, at this point, they were still doing a fiscal year that was not the calendar year. Yes, and you're like, why is this being talked about here? Well, the report, the company's earning report, yeah. your company's earning report was released on June the 30th during our week. They grossed $365,431,000 in revenue, their lowest figure since 1998-99's fiscal year, and they earned $39,147,000 in profits. From a pure wrestling standpoint, it would be the second least profitable year since the boom that started in 1998-1999. But with no outside money losing businesses dragging down the bottom line, it was actually the fifth most profitable year in the company history. In actuality, the company's actual money declined from last year because $33 million plus went to dividends and $28 million, $340,000 was spent on production of two movies, which won't be listed on the current bus until 2007 when revenue from those movies starts coming in. A similar situation will occur in the coming year with at least $20 million and likely more depending on how many movies the company produces over the next fiscal year. 
There are also, also another $5.9 million on the current year books and accrued expenses and liabilities. Another $2.2 million that is on the books and income that the company is scheduled to receive, not including fair year revenue that always comes late, but has been deferred and thus they don't have it currently. Okay, real quick, two things. I, uh, yeah. One, this is why when Dave Meltzer is going over what we know about AEW's finances, this is why he points out that it's unusual that Tony Khan front-loaded the video game expenses that he fronted to the year that he initially spent them and not to this year. Because the way it's done here by WWE is how that kind of thing is normally done. Uh, the other thing, I did actually check what Brandon Thurston was doing in 2005, and Cage Match does not have any results from our week. But on June 18th, he did team with Brand, uh, excuse me, Benjamin Smythe as Wrestling Express to defeat J-Man and Robin Nightwing on an ESW show. And then also, uh, oh no, okay, I missed the closer one, June 26th. Uh, he, Cade Cassidy and Randy Walker lost to J-Man, Kevin Grace, and Robin Nightwing on a uh, W1WGCW, not sure what this one is, co-promotion in Oshawa, Ontario. That's Oshawa mix. <laughs> I think it's Oshawa. Whatever. That's Oshawa. But, uh... Okay, I can't wait till you eventually make a trip to New York and tell me about visiting Houston Street. See, I almost said it right by mistake. Well, you got to come down here, bitch, because we have Houston County and Warner Robins. Oh, yeah, we've had this discussion before, haven't my brother lives in My brother lives in Houston County, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, do, uh, yeah, in Dauphin, Alabama, it's the Houston County Farm Center, but in uh, Georgia, we have Houston County. So, yes, you're trying to get one over on me, and it failed. I don't understand why they don't add an E in there to make it clearer, but whatever. Well, it's just a different pronunciation that people use. I don't know. That's old, old, school, old school stuff. Old I, school. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, one thing you got here that, you know, have to worry about any more with WWE is movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny talking about movies, them producing their movies. Well, at this point, it's all original productions. Like, it's kind of insane that it took them so long to realize what would actually make the money in this department, which was like just being a co producer on stuff with someone who had more money to spend on movies. And I don't even do them anymore. Not even involved in that stuff. Well, because we make movies, pal, anyway. Exactly. And the wrestling got better after they quit doing that, too. Isn't that something? Hmm. All right. Um, last year's figures were $374,909,000 in total revenue, $48,192,000 in profits. The company's wrestling business peaked financially in 2000-2001, despite only 5% of the total revenue coming from overseas. Because of the decline in profits for the year and the failure to meet the $66 million level of better. E-B-I-T-D-A, that the goal was for major senior management bonuses to kick in, hitting $62.2 million for the year. The senior management bonuses were down this year. A dollar's a dollar. Whether it's earned in Birmingham, England, or Birmingham, Alabama. There you go. There's another one, Bix. Birmingham, Birmingham. Austin, Houston. Well, those are in different countries, though. Well, it's still same spelling. Uh, but the most overlooked aspect of company business over the past two years has been a domestic decline that remains significant, which is far more serious than anyone has publicly acknowledged if you even realize. 
Well, I shows up in the quarterly reports because everyone knows how show business is down greatly from the peak. The hidden number is pay-per-view. As it turns out, the recent pay-per-view numbers have seen the increase over the past year. It's not more popular shows, but more international exposure to other shows. It was revealed that over the past three months, 34% of the pay-per-view buys, and with some pay-per-views being free in parts of the world, now presuming work out 31% on the shows free in the UK and 36% on the shows that are pay-per-views in the UK, came from outside the US and Canada. What that means is the buy rate support here for the past year when the assumption was released, numbers were domestic buys are far higher than they truly are. For example, the big increase for man this year was not because of a more attractive card or a better job of advertising, but simply more international exposure. WrestleMania is currently listed as doing 983,000 buys, but it appears that fewer than approximately 632,000 buys came from the U.S. to Canada. While last year's shows listed as doing 886,000 total, total buys, it would have been closer to 700,000 of those buys coming from North America. Before 2002, international buys were likely insignificant as the company was deriving only 5% of total revenue from overseas. So as a comparison figure, the domestic gross from 2000 and 2001 were probably more, be more than 430 million. For this past year, it's close to 260 million. And that's for two touring groups instead of one. In reality, the record set by the 2001 WrestleMania of 1.04 million total buys when it comes to the US and Canada popularity show shows recent shows like Mania that appear to be closing in on that record are only doing so because they're available in more places. Still, everyone who follows the company close over the past few years knows the growth is going to be overseas. But the level of decline domestically is largely unrealized. In this past year's show, is still going to be, by significant margin, the biggest money margin, the biggest money pro wrestling event of all time. The sign of a good company is to take advantage of, of worldwide opportunities as opposed to burying your head in the sand and believing the United States is the entire world. The future popularity is largely dependent upon being able to open up more foreign markets for live events, merchandise, expansion, and pay-per-view. Problem is, in many places, due to the nature of how people grew up, pay-per-view isn't going to be a major revenue source. In the U.S., for both boxing and wrestling, the original pre-preview psychology was the big match in boxing was something you went to the arena and pay money for a closed-circuit broadcast up. So pay-per-view was just making that existing mindset easier. In pro wrestling, the big match was something you went to the local arena and saw live. And again, this just allowed your living room to be more convenient place to see the big match. In other parts of the world, and Japan is the most notable, where the big match, whether it's boxing or wrestling, and kickboxing MMA were both small and large from the popularity of pro wrestling and to a extent boxing was always something you saw for free on television. The mentality is less toward paying money to see a big match on television. And there are also reasons such as a small percentage of homes even equipped for pay-per-view. And Dave knows some of the major Japanese wrestling MMA writers don't get, even get pay-per-view. So why is this is a revenue stream for pride? And aside for pride, nobody's making substantial money on pay-per-view broadcast. That's the thing. I mean, it comes internationally. All the stuff, you know, aired that was on pay-per-view here aired internationally on regular television. Um, and some places still do. Yeah. Uh, there was there was a time there when I had a um, I had one of those Amazon fires that was jailbroke, and I would go on there on the on one of the apps. And find try to find like the big boxing pay per views or something, and try to find which uh, foreign channel was carrying it for free. <laughs> and normally it would be some Eastern European country, but uh, and I, I, I would pretty much always find it, you know. Yeah. So bam, there it is. And uh, say there, I am saving that eighty bucks. 
the front man to buy pay-per-view, you know? So that's the thing. But once you condition the international markets to like, well, you have to buy the pay-per-view to get this, then eventually, though, if they want it bad enough, they'll do it, you know? Yeah, maybe. It depends on how long they've been getting it without paying. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing, too, you know, what we got over here right now. You know, like I meant, talked about the other day. I mean, now with WWE Network, I don't buy wrestling pay so I don't care. You know, I'm not spending that money. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I, I'm spoiled now to where I'm at. Um, I can watch it a couple of days later when it, whenever somebody has it out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, just the way it is. I mean, I'm sorry. If 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 AEW would get on Max, then I'd be watching all the motherfuckers because I've already got Max. Okay, so let me ask you, you know? this, though. Since the AEW pay-per-views, we're not going to count the ROH ones for now, even though they really are AEW pay-per-views. Um, those are five times a year. I know you don't want to have to futz with the VPN. If the pay-per-views, though, were $20 like they cost with the VPN, at the frequency AEW does them, would you buy them? At a twenty dollar at a twenty dollar uh, retail, yes, it would be a whole lot easier for me to to do that. Well, but not the sixty dollar retail that Direct TV offers right now. Right. <laughs> it just, I mean, it's just yeah. it just feels like just a, such a like we talked about this a week or two ago. Like it just feels like such a terrible, you know, cost benefit ratio. That, you know, I could just be getting a video game that I can play for 20 hours for the same amount of money. Here's another thing, too, is the times have changed. I mean, I don't have to watch this shit live. Well, okay, so that's part of it, too. And I think that's also why MMA was able to do okay with the prices going up in a way that wrestling was not. I think MMA over time, and boxing. Well, the, the real sports, so to speak, you're more likely to want to watch live. Wrestling Absolutely. is just a premium episode of a weekly TV show, mm-hmm. so you Absolutely. don't have to worry about watching it live as much. And 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 the fact that wrestling is so readily, easily available to get, you know, in in other places, mm-hmm. you know, after a show takes place or whatever, then you know. It makes it a whole lot easier. Boxing and MMA have that type of stuff, but it's not nearly as as abundant as wrestling is. Yes, uh, it is very easy to watch wrestling. <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing. <laughs> and you know, hey, like I said, if AEW got on Max, but their previews on Max, then hell yeah, I'm in. You know, I'm already paying, but. <laughs> I'm at the point where why would I want to do that, you know? And again, I don't, I don't watch it on my computer um, and stuff like that. So for me personally, that's the way I go. So what do yeah. you mean as far as but watching on your computer before we move on? I'm not watching a whole fucking wrestling show on my computer. It's all. Well, right. What are you saying? Oh, I'm, you're talking about like if you were downloading it from a bootleg site, watching it on your computer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right, so the Investors Conference itself was by far the most heated in history. 
even to the extent that one of the combative investors said, and not in a joking manner, that Little McMahon may want to take the company private to avoid people like him and others asking pointed questions. <laughs> Could you imagine if Vince was the one that was doing the calls at this time? How that would have went or something like that? <laughs> I want to cut your dick off. <laughs> The man took it from every side, with the two main things seemingly being, why would the company not be buying back shares because the price is so low? The shares closed at $10.36 the day before the conference, although it went up more than $1 the next day because the quarter itself beat the experts' analysis because many were unaware of how much revenue WrestleMania and overseas tours to Europe and Australia have brought in. All right, so it closed at over $11 that day. Right now, <laughs> on uh, the stock market, WWE is trading at $108.03. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay, so let's, let's bring up the inflation calculator, too. So, okay, so we're talking July 2005, and what's the closing price we're using here? Uh, let's just say eleven fifty. Okay. That's more than a dollar from ten thirty-six. Okay, eleven dollars and fifty cents from July two thousand five. Seventeen ninety. <laughs> so let's see. So, so so if we just run inflation, seventeen ninety divided by so what is it? One oh eight oh three. Yeah. No, I should do it the other way around. 10803 divided by 1790. The stock has increased more than sixfold in the past 18 years. Crazy. <laughs> All right. So there's that. All right, let me get back to where I was at here. All right, so. Um... One investor noted large sell-offs of insiders, Vincent Mann, Kevin Dunn, and Ed Kaufman, in recent years, and noted that if you aren't going to buy the stock back at ten fifty a share, why should we be bullish on it? And so the people who know the most about the future of the company pulled out. She described this trying to keep a strong market afloat. Numbers of shares available for daily trading. But when she talked about wanting to keep the market float at the level it currently is for not buying back stock, another investor scolded her and told her to read Warren Buffett's writing about the value of the market float being nil. Oops. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't understand where these investors would be like, wait a minute. Why aren't they buying the stock back? Huh? You know? Yeah. Linda, I'm, I can only imagine what Linda's uh, face was like when she was doing all this shit. And I did check, by the way, the Seeking Alpha uh, call transcripts only go back, go back to 07. The other major question brought was the company's use of the huge amount of cash and cash equivalents, $250 million, that they have in the bank collected 2% interest. People all over the board on this one, both wanting to invest it elsewhere to get a better return, and others not wanting the company itself to invest in it, with one very combative caller knowing the company's $140 million in losses, actually close to $110 million, of investor money from the IPO and the failed XFL and restaurant ventures. And they speculated about the movie business being another added to the company's list. I don't fucking blame them. 
I mean, their track record of getting into outside businesses failing. Mm-hmm. I don't blame the investors for being like, wait a minute. What the fuck? Why are we getting involved in movies? Why is, you know, we've already seen what happens when you try to get involved in outside interests. Yeah. And there's no reason to suggest this will go well either. There's nothing there other than it's like, well, we're expanding. Let's do this. You know, like there are arguments less for the XFL, but like I can see why you would think maybe at the height of their popularity that doing a theme restaurant somewhere could work, but not in the most expensive real estate in the country. You know, the way they were doing it. Yeah. You know, like, I bet they could have done either, like, maybe not a smaller one in New York, but, like, in an Orlando or something that could have done... Well, they had a restaurant in New York. (laughs) They're in New York. That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying if they did a smaller scale one, I don't know if that could have done better. I mean, it's the friggin'... That's that's where the hard rock is now. You know? And it's just... It's huge. And it's what like they should, super expensive what, what location. They, what they should have done, if they were do, if they had in their mind to do something like this, was hook up with one of the theme parks in Orlando and put up some up down there. Yes. Or just fucking license it out. <laughs> or that too. Like they should not have been the ones running the restaurant, probably. Regardless. But that's probably Vince, though. Gotta do it myself. Oh, I like wrestling. All right, uh, it got so bad that abruptly the conference just ended. <laughs> Without even much of a goodbye. Almost with a feeling like you gotta watch the end of the Survivor Series 97 show. <laughs> so you don't have calls like this no more. Nah, nah, nah. It, it kind of makes you wonder, though, too, Bix, on this. Do you think these callers were more combative because it was Lyndon, Lyndon McMahon in charge and not a man? I would say less because it's a woman and more because it's not Vince. Yeah, Vince was in charge of Britain. Yeah, that, you ain't going to hear all this shit. But also, I mean, they end up getting to the point where it's like only the same half dozen analysts every time. You know, yeah. th- this stock happening. You know, for a long time, they said media could submit questions and they never took them. I don't know if they ever did before I started trying the calls myself, but, you know, they they started being much more selective um, of who they let on. You know, like, where, and I'm not saying this as a knock on them, but, like, you know, the most combative people you would get would be, like, a Brandon Ross or a Brad Saffalo, who are, like, I wouldn't call combative, but are more bringing up potential things that could make them see red, but in a diplomatic way. And not seeing red like the band Warrant on the song I saw red. No. All right. Um, Silicon made money, and that's covered a dividend. Through budget cuts and administrative cuts over the year and some big international paper events. The major items talked about by McMahon were the company's 24-7 project, which is slowly rolling out, its new movies, as well as the raw move on October 3rd to USA Network from Spike TV. And SmackDown's moving from Thursday to Friday on UPN, which is effective on September the 9th. 
She also thought about expanding the New Zealand while on Australia tours, as well as moving into the Latin America market for live events over the next year. Okay. I mean, all the international stuff happens and does well. Uh, 24-7, later known as Classics On Demand. So at this point... Okay, so July 05... Is it still just on that one pilot cable system, or is it on more places by then? I don't know. I don't know. Because it was like late 04 that it launched, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, I gotta think it generally made money. It's not like the costs are high. I would have gave it money if I would have had a chance. <laughs> I'd subscribe to it from the second it became available to me through the end. Um, I wanted this so fucking bad. It was great. But, I mean, there's st- like the type of stuff they would put on there, and yeah, you know, there's so much cool stuff stuff we got from there over the years. I know it's a shame I, I wasn't able to get it, but it is what it is. Yeah, it launched in November of '04, uh, and yeah, initially it was on Blue Ridge Cable was the only one. I don't know when. I think Cox was the initial big one to sign on. Cox Cable, and then yeah. I forget how it went after that, but. You know, it costs what? I think it was, depending on the cable system, six to ten bucks a month. And you got your Monday Night War series updated twice a month, World Class twice a month, ECW twice a month, Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer of the Month theme programming, pay-per-views on what was it, usually like a one to two month delay? I think so. It was, it was good. And, there, you know, all sorts of weird shit, but... Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was always going to be a niche thing, though. I've always wondered what their actual expectations were. I feel like overall, considering like it's not like there was big money and on-demand cable channels, that I got to think that eighty thousand subscribers isn't that bad, which was the peak. Man, man, uh, so the company believed John Cena would become a bona fide action adventure movie star, stemming from his role in the Marine, which would be distributed by Fox. She knew that no distrib- distribution date had been decided upon. She also knew that Cena was on her long-term contract to the company as a performer and have a per- preferential movie deal rights in his contract in case he breaks out like Dwayne Johnson and becomes a legitimate acting star. Yeah, in case you want to know why WWE got in the movies, it's because of Dwayne Johnson. I mean, the, the fact that he got as big as he did and they weren't able to be a part of that. You know, I mean, that really got Vince's crawl. That's a great point, and it's weird that no one ever really talks about it like that. Like, you, but you see that line here about preferential movie deal rights, and it's like, yes, it's okay. Exactly what the it idea is. is that if it happens again, we're able to lock this person down for a movie or two that we do. Exactly. Yep. That I mean, th- that is exactly why you didn't. I mean, why they did the movies? It's because of that. I firmly believe that. Always have believed that. And then when Cena, I mean, I guess Cena was under contract in some form the whole time. But then when Cena breaks out, it's after all that, and kind of away from them. And it's also not as an action star either, for the most part. No, it's not. Yeah, Batista did it completely away from them. Yep. And And I think there's kind of some resentment for that, too. Well, I mean, also, I think there is on Dave's side, too, because there was the whole thing where they, I mean, I think it was specifically Vince, too, refused to pro Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, oh, it's not going to be a hit. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Let's continue on. Well, this will be the first W movie that we'll get a theatrical release. Will be See No Evil, starring Glenn Jacobs and a character similar to Kane by Landscape Entertainment. Ironically, a company WWE was an adversary of years ago when it released Beyond the Mat. I'll forgive you Lion- if you release a movie where one of our wrestlers <laughs> has a three-foot cock. Lionsgate's on the release in, uh, trying to release it in January or February. See No Evil, of course, being the movie featuring what? May 19th. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and and but also, the, yeah, the, the, Kane has a th- Kane's character having a three-foot penis did not make it into the movie. It was a suggestion no. that Vince made to uh, Dan, Dan Of course Madigan. it did. Yes. Of course Vince did. But yeah, it, re- it was released on May 19th. Hence the whole thing where Kane is freaking out about people talking about <laughs> May 19th so they can keep talking about <laughs> May 19th, so everyone's aware that Cito Evil is coming out on May 19th, and that it has something to do with Kane. <laughs> the greatest of all, though, is, is that, that thing with Shawn Michaels. With <laughs> yes. And, and all the other May 19th stuff, yes. <laughs> all right, she noted that the condemned the vehicle for Steve Austin does not have a distributor at present. Uh, the company is shopping around, movie budget for $20 million. Cena's movie was budgeted for nearly that amount, but the company will not start filming until distributors on board, which may delay the plan uh, fall from the schedule. The Triple H vehicle, La Jornada, is not, no longer even talked about. Okay, what? is that something that gets renamed, or...? The only La Jornada I know was, was, was a uh, newspaper I would go to, the Mexican newspaper that I tried to get wrestling stuff from. <laughs> what is stuff. that Spanish from, for? I don't, I'm not familiar with the word off the top of my head. The journal. Okay. Yeah, wait a second. Yeah, that... I can't figure out what that would be if that was an actual Triple H movie. Because, like, aren't the only Triple H movies they put out themselves, the like, the two identical ones where he's, oh, no, like, a bus me, no, no, not, the, not the journal. What am I saying? It's the day. Okay, that doesn't really sound like the name of a movie either. I don't know. Who knows? Um... She also said nothing about the proposed buddy comedy movie starring Kurt Angle and Paul White that both have recently talked about. Oh, that would have been something. She noted the two, with the two primetime television shows, the hype movie releases, as well as the built-in base of fans for their headline characters, that WWE has an advantage that no other movie, movie distributors have. Okay, wait, 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 wait. To me, that implies that at the end of the day, maybe they did make money on all holds barred. <laughs> She's saying that because <laughs> that was the whole well, thing, be- and that was the thing everyone talked about. And now she's talking about it about it as this great thing they can do when they hit it even harder years earlier. I don't know, but I found that interesting. Maybe they did. That would be their experience with something like that. So it's possible. It is possible. But I mean, that's them saying, "Our, you know, our fans buy any- anything we do." Mm. Uh, you got we got a track record that says that's not the case. <laughs> All right. Uh, when asked directly about how the twenty four seven channel is doing, she gave the figures, and there was nothing to report that indicated it was doing any significant numbers. She even stated the subscriptions thus far in the new markets have not been large, but noted in, that in the markets that's been available, the numbers increase every month, which means the original audience base is being satisfied thus far with what they see, and others are coming in. 
She talked about having signed more than 25 contracts for older wrestlers. Known names Roddy Piper, Jerry Lawler, and superstar Billy Graham. Jimmy Hart and Bobby Heenan also fit that category. Who will be doing PR appearances for the company and on ticket ticket on sale dates. So they were gaining fans for 24-7, which was good. Yeah. yeah. And again, like I don't think there was any expectations it would be like an amazing moneymaker. I think probably more than anything else, it was to get their foot in the door dealing directly with cable companies as far or more directly with cable companies than they had been as far as potentially launching a linear network. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh, again. I think if it would have gotten, if it would have became more available, who knows how they could have how, how they could have done it? If they could have done like better. They made any real effort to promote it most of the time too. Like most people had no idea. I mean, th- there was a period where I guess they would say like the replay or like the like uh, not the replays. They would do like a slime of the week, but as a classic moment, and say it was brought to you by class by twenty four seven classics on demand, whatever. But that was about it. Like. This was a thing where you didn't really know it existed for the most part unless you were just, like, digging around the on-demand menus on your cable box. They didn't push as hard as they pushed WWE Network, no. No, and even then with network, the network, I don't know how many people they could have got in. I still think they made a major mistake by not doing, like, targeted local cable company ads in certain parts of the country about some of the older stuff that's on there. Yeah. You know, first time in 30 years, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, you know, whatever. Like, just, it wouldn't cost a lot of money. I know, I know. But, they, but, but you look, I mean, they gave up, they gave up on the network, too, in that way. So, they, they, I mean, as far as pushing old stuff, they, they push, they just stay pushing current stuff and newer stuff, you know? Well, even then, though, even when they were doing a lot of the older <laughs> stuff, they just wouldn't promote it. Yeah, because they've, kind of figured that that wasn't what their fan base was looking into and you know what i mean they they probably have a point or maybe the fan base they're trying to promote to but it's also a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah all right she tried to portray the smackdown move on friday it's a positive saying there are more younger viewers watch television that night and less competition when asked, she admitted the decision to move was not their decision, but that Don Ostroff, the president of UPN, told them she thought ratings would increase for those reasons. The problem with that ratings increase is the 16 to 35 age group is a key group these days when it comes to buying tickets to arena events and buying baby shows. If they get a large number of kids, while well, that could be a positive, it's less likely an overall positive than being on a night which is far more difficult to get the key consumers that will more likely spend money on the product. People who are not going to, I don't know, on Friday nights, give up a smackdown, they represent your super hardcore audience. <laughs> but your casual audience, it makes a difference on everybody's and house show attendance is the most likely group not to stay home on Fridays. And that's not be in touch with the storylines because they aren't watching weekly, which is the conundrum that you have with having a show on a weekend evening, you know, which AEW is kind of running into now with Collision on Saturday nights, you know, even more than Friday. I mean, SmackDown on Friday has been doing some strong ass ratings lately. But yeah, you know, Saturday night is even tougher to have, especially in prime time. Since six oh five to eight oh five gives you a little bit more leeway. Well, and TBS you know, also had only had one feed, so in a decent part of the country, it was earlier than that too. Yeah, so that's why it's, it's hard to run a Saturday night prime time show unless you are unless you are that live sport. 
Yeah, I mean, so. really, though, what a casual fan of WWE is now is someone who's a Peacock, subscri- Peacock. Peacock subscriber who watches the pay-per-views for the most part and doesn't watch the week-to-week except maybe SmackDown occasion. Or the people that just gets the uh, just watch stuff on uh, social media, YouTube, or whatever. Yeah. In clip form. All right. Um, people are not going to bother. I read that. All right. So, man also brought up doing the Tough Enough reality show on SmackDown again later this year, but didn't say it's a definite. Her tone was it was something they were leaning towards doing, as had been reported months ago. She said it was premature to say anything regarding UPN not renewing SmackDown when the contract ends September 2006. She said the company's not even considering going back to one brand. And if UPN doesn't renew SmackDown, they're confident they can find a cable home for it. She also brought up getting another network home, although that would be far more difficult. Well, they eventually find another home for one this time, so. Yeah, well, first it's well, it's the arrival of my network TV. Uh, after yeah. First, they're on CW after the merger. CW cancels them. They go to my network TV, which is, and then Sci-Fi USA, and then Fox. And mm-hmm. you know, the thing I always said, you know, it's maybe it's not doing at the levels Fox wanted originally, Billy. The thing that was always the wild card is WWE never had a weekly show on one of the major networks before. Well, no wrestling promotion had had that really. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so it was. It's it's a different animal, you know, from all the other stuff. You know, who knows what they would have done on Fox, you know, at a point like this. Um. It, but did more people more people watch the television too in in this era. So yeah, who knows? As for Raw, the loss of ad revenue with the move to the USA Network was discussed, but McMahon said she was confident of a ratings bump with the move. She tiled the small 3% so far this year. Increase in Raw ratings, and noted with a ratings increase, while they won't get the ad revenue, that should increase live attendance if preview buys. In theory, that's correct, but as wrestling history has shown, that doesn't necessarily hold up. She said USA Network was doing a rebranding promotional campaign this summer that WWE a major part of. Plus, NBC spending $8 million this summer to promote and advertise WWE coming to the network. She said NBC was making a major commitment during NASCAR broadcasts to buy an advertising for Raw, believing NASCAR and WWE draw similar demographics. But well, one point in time, <laughs> now WWE just kills NASCAR. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing, just based on public perception and the perception of wrestling at the time, that's not a thing I would say on Investor Call if I'm her. NASCAR's pretty hot in this era, though. It is, but it still has the certain Southern, et cetera, perception. Well, this to the type of people who are going to be prejudiced against running wrestling or buying ads on wrestling is going to be an issue. Yeah, but NASCAR, um, they probably didn't have problems selling ads like that you had either. Hmm. NASCAR seen as NASCAR's actually probably seen in a higher light than WWE is in that era. Hmm. So. Because, I mean, in this era here, you're less – this is when it's becoming less Southern. This is when you got Jeff, Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson becoming – I mean, Tony Stewart and guys like that. But, you, I mean, you got Dale Jr., but Dale Jr. is a different type of guy. Yeah. So it's not it's not NASCAR the 80s and 90s, so to speak. 
All right, still for next year, it's going to be difficult because of approximately $23.3 million in ad revenue the company took in from Raw that are no longer shares and based on the seven months of the fiscal year on the new USA Network deal. That figure would increase to $40 million or so down the following year because all 12 months will be under the new contract. McMahon acknowledged it and talked about cost-cutting, which started going strong this past week. She has made 18 months for all the cost-cutting would take place to where it would recover the profit margins to where they are. Still, even with the $23 million drop in revenue, they're projecting fairly similar numbers next year. Revenue is $355 million to $370 million, and profits are $31 to $34 million. The total dividend scheduled to be paid out next year to stockholders is $33,120,000, of which about $26 million directly goes to Vince McMahon as a majority owner. So the profit margin will be all going right back to the stockholders as things are projected. There has been no complaint from the remaining stockholders at, the, at these conferences of that. And in fact, it was stated with all the cash in hand, they should increase the dividend since most goes to the McMahons. None of the other shareholders should get back their huge cash reserves and could invest it as could the McMahon family as opposed to the company. Uh, real quick, picks for people that's listening to this and may not know what dividend means. Uh, give a brief uh, summary of what a dividend is. It is an amount that they pay back per share. Um, and it's not a lot of money in and of itself, but for firms and whatever that are buying large amounts of stock, it adds up. And WWE's dividend was always considered in that era fairly high. So it was a big part of the whole stock thing with them. But most of it goes back to Vince anyway. Yes. Yes. Now, the ad revenue thing, that was a big deal at the time. Yeah. And it's so weird looking back at the whole, like, the departure from Spike. Spike, that, like, I forget how many of the same people were there. Spike felt, the people at Spike felt so badly about how they handled this with WWE that it informed how they handled the end of TNA on the network a decade later. Because what happens is... They went public saying they were not renewing WWE's contract before WWE could negotiate with anyone else. So USA knows they're basically the only suitor. They know they have them over a barrel. And they said, you know what? Okay, this is going to be a straight rights fee. We keep all the ad time and ad revenue. Yeah. With Spike, they were getting both. Yeah. And, you know, for years they always had ad time because even when they weren't getting paid or weren't getting paid much, they had their whole syndicated network to share it with, et cetera, et cetera. Here there's that big change. And on top of Spike kind of flipping them off there, then the last night they're on Spike, Spike keeps censoring them when they're promoting the move to USA until they make a deal in the middle of the show. And again, like, who was it, Kevin Kay and people like that, who felt so bad about how this was handled, that they gave TNA, like, what was it, like six months almost to find a new network? Something like that. After they canceled them? So, this was a big deal that had a lot of repercussions. In the end, yes, it did. All right, let's continue on now. During the entire presentation, the term ECW was not mentioned once. It was shocking because the company also calls attention to their successes, and ECW One Night Stand was off to the fastest start of any DVD release in history. One would think they'd be proud to note a new added revenue stream, but if anything, this seemed to indicate what people joke about the company is more true of a joke. 
If they did not create it themselves, they can't take full credit for it. Even if it's now their own acquisition, they're not going to put it over. It was brought up in the Q&A. My man didn't know the rise of ECW is the second best selling DVD in company history. And that preview would come in at budget. The term at budget means approximately 321,000 buys. Later, a very combative stockholder said the show did 500,000 buys and asked about the future of ECW, where a man told him that number was incorrect and that the company doesn't even have an estimate and hasn't put up an estimate. When pressure for a number, she refused to estimate, but eventually said high 200s to low 300s. She said it had been discussed doing ECW as a separate brand, but it's not likely to be resurrected as a regular part of the product. She gave the impression they would do another preview event. There are internal plans to be worked on for our second show in June of 2006. She also said they would be bringing in a few of the stars from ECW to Raw and SmackDown. The next day, Demi released their first estimate of 265,000 buys for ECW One Night Stand. How funny! Which was strange only because my man said they had no estimate less than 24 hours earlier. While the number was greatly above the WWE company projections of 175,000, it was also a great deal below the 394,000 estimate that was going around the cable industry a week earlier. It'll be slightly up from the 255,000 initial estimate of last year's show. Early June replaced. Bad blood. Headlined by Triple H and Shawn Michaels in the Hell in a Cell match. Oh, what a classic that was. And Chris Benoit versus Kane. That show ended up doing 209,000 buys and probably less than what Triple H and Batista's Hell in a Cell match of Venice did two weeks later. Okay. Um, this was a big story at the time that, you know, Meltzer, and I think Mike Johnson as well, we're both hearing these very high projections for One Night Stand the first week or so after. To the point when we start hearing these lower numbers from WWE, it was shocking. To the point that, like, I want to say Meltzer was openly speculating that they were lying about it, didn't he? Something, yeah. I, you do not normally see this kind of discrepancy in the estimates, basically, was the issue. No. Not that much. To the point everyone was wondering what the hell happened. Yeah. I don't think they would lie about that in investor stuff, do you? I would hope not. That's not the place to do it. No. Yeah, you don't want to lie on your investor call. Anyway, as far as quarterly business went, it was WrestleMania quarter. It was boosted by three various overseas tours. So naturally, it did far bigger business than any quarter of the year. The company grossed $118,305,000 and it was $16,133,000 in profits during the 90-day period from the end of January until April 30th. These numbers were down from last year's $126,733,000 in revenue and $19,735,000 in profit. The declines are nothing to even worry about because the way the dates fell because backlash was on May 1st this year. It counts in the current quarter, whereas last year it counted the final quarter of the fiscal year because it took place in April. In addition, last year there were 7.9 million litigation settlements having to do with licensing agent commissions. Okay, so if I remember right, because they didn't settle with the guys, any of the guys who went to jail, I don't think. So this is presumably. I forget. Was there a lawsuit with Alcon of Four Kids when. for like. Cause, they wanted to stop paying him, allegedly, because he went to WCW or something, even though he was still owed money on stuff, right? Something like that? Or am I, am I confusing him with someone else? I'm not sure. 
But it, it, it's something over a dispute over what was supposed to be paid. Yeah. And I think mainly, which, 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 whichever licensing agent it was, it was a dispute over what was supposed to be paid as far as like later payments from older deals or something like that. Like percentages of royalties and things like that. Yeah. As things stand for pay-per-view, Royal Rumble fell from 582,000 buys, 564,000 buys, a 3% drop. Although, as noted by the prior story, over the past year, national review buys were up 60% because of the clearance in new markets. For Riddler's, the popular comparison in North America is probably more like 460,000, dropping 361,000, which is very significant. Similarly, No Way Out dropped 266,000 to 239, down 10.2. But adjust for North America, the drop's probably around 210 to 155. So the actual North American buy rate for No Way Out would have been around a 0.28, which is why nobody talks about buy rates anymore. When you compare U.S. figures with just a few years ago or even last year itself, the declines are kind of scary. Still, because a huge increase in international buys, the real estate pay business comparison shows business was up. The three shows due to mania totaled 1.786 million buys this quarter as opposed to 1.734 million buys last year during the mania quarter. And the month-to-month pay-per-views are how much at this point? 34.95 or 39.95? It's in that range. I forget which. Yeah, like we said when we last talked about this, I, th- I feel like crossing crossing forty dollars was the point of no return for a lot of people. Yes, house shows were way up from twenty two point two million last year to twenty nine point four million this year due to the huge successful international tours to Europe and Australia. There were twenty three overseas house shows this quarter compared to twelve last year. The difference in those shows would have been seven point seven million dollars in gross gates. All told, the twenty three international shows averaged eighty seven hundred paid and six hundred ninety eight thousand dollars. A total sixteen point one million. The fifty three domestic shows averaged about fifty nine hundred paid and two hundred fifty two thousand two hundred. Keep in mind, these averages from last year are misleading. With 53 house shows, you had 23 television tapings, which grossed far more on average than a regular house show, plus three pay-per-views, one of which was Mania, that inflates the average greatly on the $2 million gate. Last year's average of 5,000 pay-per-show was based on 75 domestic house shows during the period, 26 of which were TV tapings. The company also really does Monday Night Smackdown brand house shows, which are traditionally their worst drawing show most weeks, so it also serves to artificially make the average look better. In addition, shows that get off the week advance are canceled. Oh, that was the case last year. But it counts for fewer house shows, and that's a higher average because they don't cancel the TV tapings that sell the most tickets on average, nor the shows in places like New York, Toronto, Chicago, Los Angeles, and the other big markets that inflate the average. With fewer shows, the big shows have more of a bearing on the average. House show business remained profitable as the break-even cost per doing the house show was $495,500 for an overseas show and 184000 domestically. Again, the domestic number is misleading because it includes the cost of the live WrestleMania Rumble house shows and a higher percentage of shows being more expensive TV shoots that have a much higher ad budget. As a regular house show is budgeted for far less than that and it's profitable in the minor market for less than $100,000. So there's that. You run overseas more, you make more money at this time so there you go tv ad revenues dropped from 13.6 million last year at this time to 12.5 million even though the ratings increased an eight percent drop when ratings are up can be blamed on a combination of weakening ad market and more than the recent demographic surveys that show the viewers of w pro wrestling to be the lowest by percentage of viewers and having big income viewers of any television show in existence which is not exactly news advertisers like to hear this figure will drop to almost nothing next year yeah, that was the thing with wrestling, the stigma with the ad, the ad folks was stuff like this. The poor watch wrestling. 
Yeah, and it's why the Stephanie work helped so much. And also, you know, look, it's not stuff that we see often, which is for various reasons why you hear from people who don't believe it when, like, Meltzer will talk about how Nielsen's date on AEW viewers tends to skew higher income and more educated than WWE viewers. But, like, look, you can see it in the ads that are running on some of these shows. Like, you know, AEW is the only combat sports promotion I can think of that has a name-brand postpaid cell phone carrier as a sponsor with AT&T. Everyone else has one of, like, the name-brand-owned prepaid companies like a cricket or a metro pcs you know and like you look at rampage 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 has a much higher caliber of ads on it than you would expect to see on a friday night show that does what feels like not great numbers so like that there's been a lot of work done and it's gone a long way as far as really showing what the wrestling fan base in terms of all that looks like to advertisers, and it's clearly gone a long way. Yeah, and WWE's doing far better with theirs. You know, I mean, they have a lot of high advertisers now that they didn't used to have. But they still don't have uh, they still don't have the name brand cell carrier though. It's always cricket. I, I don't, I, but yeah, I, I think I think I think that's not something that would be a big deal. Well, here's the thing, though. I don't know what the difference. I don't. Is I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't get that being a, a big thing. I really well, don't. Well, here's what it is, though. Because rightly, more people. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Rightly or wrongly, the prepaid are considered down market. The postpaid is considered up market. <sighs> I don't know, that's not. That's not something I would really go with as a as a big metric. I'm sorry. I'm not saying it's huge, but I'm saying there's clearly a perception difference when UFC, PFL, WWE, etc. I think Bellator maybe might still like all have the prepaids, and AEW is the only one that has the actual name brand postpaid carrier. But that's maybe a big thing in your mind. But it's a, <laughs> maybe it's a big thing in your mind. But, but I don't think it's a big thing I'm talking about the perception of wrestling. And MMA thing. And a cell as... phone carrier? <laughs> yes. I'm looking at I'm looking at restaurants. I'm looking at soft drinks. Oh, it's I'm not the only one here. But yeah, I mean yeah, that's yeah. way more of a deal than some type of cell phone carrier. And well, and the <laughs> AW shows are getting a lot of those too. They're not getting I'm all the saying, stuff that WWE that... is. But my point is though, is specifically about the perception of the viewers. I'm not. I, I, for all I know, the, the ads could cost the same amount of money. But in terms of perception, there is the perception that you, with doing the prepaid, you are targeting people who can't pass a credit check. I have, you're the only person I think I've ever heard that's even brought this up as a talking point. But that's literally how it works. <laughs> that's literally how those ads and stuff are targeted. I'm, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> You don't I, think they're I, charging I, lower, uh, targeting lower income viewers with maybe not as good credit with the prepaids? I think that's kind of uh, discriminatory. It's a stigma that shouldn't be there. I agree, but I still think that's the perception. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I think that, I think you're out to lunch on that one. All right, TV right fees dropped from 20.9 million last year to 20.4 million this year. Well, that would change dramatically. The big drop was in home video, down from 11.1 million this time last year to 5.1 million this year. That could be explained in two ways. First, last year we had Money Night Wars DVD that sold 118,000 copies during the quarter, and there was no Monster DVD this quarter. WrestleMania DVD sales were actually slightly up from 114,000 last year to 120,000 this year so far. Plus, they still sold major amounts of the Ultimate Ric Flair collection. However, there was a very substantial drop in other DVD releases. WWE released four other major DVDs this past quarter that averaged 37,000 buys each. The most notable being Rob Van Dam and Adivas. Last year, the other three DVDs released in the quarter averaged 68,000 per title. Yeah. You got to have something that's going to hook them in. And uh, that ECW DVD did. Flair did. But, yeah, Rob Van Dam, Divas, eh. That's not so much. On the Flair one did far beyond clearly what they expected because it was backordered so quickly. And it was something that had stuff that people hadn't seen really in years. The 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 the, the TBS stuff and other stuff, and it was just you had the Easter eggs in there. I mean, there was so much in there that was appealing to a a, a fan base. Well, also, and in all honesty, it's still the best one they ever did. Because they ended up breaking from the format, and I don't know why, but it's the only one where it's like, here's all these big matches, but you also get all the build-up in the promos. Which yeah. was not something they did after, for whatever reason. Yeah. Licensing revenue remained identical at 3.7 for the quarter, meaning for the quarter. Publishing revenues increased from 3.1 to 3.6 due to an increase in the price of the magazines and higher revenues. Merchandising, most of which takes place at house shows, was up from 5.8 million to 6.1 million. Actually, that would be disappointing with some of the overseas shows, which do far better merchandising than domestic shows, because they're more of a rarity in those parts of the world. I get what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, you would think that merchandising on a foreign show would be really well. Well, also, do they even have like WWE UK, WWE UK shop yet at this point? I don't know. Or is this like the main opportunity you have to get merch if you want outside of importing it? Probably. Because they do eventually have WWE UK shop, but I don't remember if it started yet. Yeah. Everyone's worried about roster cuts. Marginal guys always have to be worried given the nature of the businesses need to constantly groom and debut new talent. When you ask someone at some point, you have to likely have to draw some people. So the house cleaning this week saw eight announced and two others not announced as far as talent and many more in the front office. At press time, we were given the impression as many as a dozen and 50 more people could end up being cut within the week. And many decisions that have been made, but talent has not yet been told. Excuse me. Here's the announced list as it went to the press. Mark Jendrak. He just wasn't getting it. He's the kind of person they like, so surprised, but his name showed just how little the organization little organization they have as he was fired five days after it was announced he was traded. But the truth is he was a better wrestler five years ago in WCW, and that's not good. Spike Dudley, kind of a surprise because he's so well respected, but he certainly hasn't never fit in the company's idea of what a wrestler should look like, and Paul Heyman no longer had the power to push or save him. Kevin Furtick. 
He had been under contract for years, and we were surprised to see him last after an assault suit for a significant bar fight some months ago was filed. The issues with Cornette made it impossible for him to last in WWE, and they guess he never found directions to Atlanta after all. I don't know what that means. Again, it's another example of Heyman being completely out of power because the guys in WWE, he's probably the highest on Fertig. Shannon Moore, they just signed three new cruiserweights. Akio, who likely has all Tran job and press TNA Ring of Honor job waiting for him, but was a victim of the Hoventude crew signing. Still, he couldn't have had better matches, and he's only 24. Dave understands the mentality of the move, but he disagrees with it. And that's Jimmy Yang, Ma- to be clear. Yes. Maven, a surprise, as he had the chance to be a superstar a few years back, but just stopped improving almost from the start and seemed to be a victim of living the star lifestyle. Maven was no selling out there now, so thinking his being off contract opens the door for him to get into acting since he's got a good look and can talk. Gangrel, no surprise. They signed him months ago. He got hurt. He's 36. They have no plans for him. And Billy Kidman, once they cut his hair, he seemed his appeal was gone. Again, fighting three cruiserweights, they were cutting three. But frustrated with his frequent injuries, the only one he ever played effectively in wrestling was a guy who looked like he was just out of his teens and worked great matches. The non-cruiser style took away from his strengths, and at 31, couldn't play the only role he ever got over at. A very talented performer, but he stopped connecting with the crowd. Of those unannounced, Marty Giannetti was officially cut. Dave gets that mention on Raw, explains why. He came in, had two very good matches, got signed, never heard from him again. Lauren Jones was cut. I don't even know who she is in the first place. How Savon Grandier survived this is anyone's guess, and that guess would probably be correct. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of the marginal women are in trouble next, given they'll probably sign several people in the diva search. All this cut we paid through early October and won't be allowed to wrestle until that time. They does see major interest in TNA of any of those cut, although we guess Shannon Moore and Akio, and possibly Kevin would be able to get a tryout if they requested it. Now, with Maven being cut, it looks now it's like Johnny Nitro, of all people, is the only person from Tough Enough who will make it as a legit star. Maven, Nidia, Linda Miles, they've been cut. Jackie Gata is on the endangered species list once they add a new win from the Diva Search. Matt Capitelli will at least get a chance, but the fact they still haven't brought him up says he may not get a good chance. And with Daniel Pooter, it probably depends on the details of his contract. At 250000 a year... He's, if he's not showing serious potential, and they cut him at the one-year mark, he's being Jeffrey just because of the salary level. The same grace to him may be the idea they advertise a million-dollar tough-enough winner. If they continue to do tough-enough, it kills the gimmick. Because it's an established public fraud. The guy they claimed on TV had won $1 million, didn't really get in. Dave's under the impression that he contractually only guaranteed the first year. But how it was pushed to the public was different. All right, any thoughts on the wrestlers that was cut, Bix? I mean, to me, the most interesting part is that a few of these people were on the ECW pay-per-view foods earlier. Yeah. Yeah, like Maven and Spike Dudley. Um, I'm surprised, given how often he mentioned it, that Dave also doesn't mention with Kidman that the biggest problem was that he put on so much muscle that he could not work the style the same and became a danger to himself and others trying to do that style. Yeah, then help us cause. Yeah. So I think that's part of that, too. I mean, Spike Dudley, I don't think is a surprise. I mean, he had been off TV. So, okay, so I, I was expecting Bubby Ray and Devon to be on here, so I guess they're not cut until a little later. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it, you know, they have now post-Vince day-to-day or whatever the hell you want to call the current era, like, 
it seems like they're getting away from doing constant cuts again, but it's like it's weird. Well, it's weird to see these kind of nickel and diamond cuts, though, to this degree. Now that well, the thing is, you know, we're, we're recording on June twenty eighth, right? So, what wasn't there supposed to be cuts in June? That was a story that was out there. Yes. Where June's almost over with. I mean, we ain't got Friday yet. Friday's June thirtieth, so that's very possible they could do it the last day of the month. But I mean, that's something that's been talked about that they were going to do some cuts. But and with Endeavor now being in charge, I mean, that could be more of a thing we do see than what we were seeing. I mean, they could also just be waiting until the mergers through to do the cuts. It's possible, but I mean, that was the story that was out there, though. Yes, you know. That there was supposed to be cuts this month. So Yeah, I thought the comment about Capitelli was interesting too, since I didn't get the vibe that he was never getting called up at this point. Did you? I just think that there wasn't the faith that they've had they probably have faith that they would that they would do it. Or if they did it, it would he wouldn't he would be gone. Which was weird. I I mean, good look, charismatic, was coming along well as a wrestler. Like, there was no reason to think he would not do well if they gave him a chance. It's just how you perceive WWE's thoughts at the time on people. Unfortunately, in a few months, anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, they signed three cruiserweights, so we got to cut three cruiserweights. It, kinda like, it was kind of like the racial quota of a cruiserweights. Ah, they're short. Ah, oh, we can only have a certain amount of them. All right. We, uh, there now we go to the front office. There are possibly 16 people in the front office that go this past week, including many in creative services. An announcer, Mark Lloyd, writer Larry Mullen, actually, this was a couple of weeks ago, and magazine internet writer Anthony Cali. Lloyd was hosting the TV show Bottom Line, a syndicated show. We don't have any idea if it will be continued next season, but Dave guesses it will. Ty Grisham will get more of a chance to make an impact on the awards this year as we'll replace Lloyd on bottom line. Still, the company's doing well financially as the pay-per-view business is way above expectations, and that's the main profit center. Yeah, in the figure four weekly recap of this, um, Brian says, how did the TCS keep his job? (laughs) Are you making me be the one to explain what that means? T's, no, I said uh, that's what he called Ty Grisham, TCS being that cocksucker. Well, as in TCS from the Benoit DVD. Yes. And specifically how he came off on the uh, extra commentary tracks on the Benoit DVD. With the cuts of Shannon Moore, Akio, and Mark Gendret, this leaves just three wrestlers of the do- two dozen they picked up when WCB closed. They're still in the roster. Chavo Guerrero, Stacey Keebler, and the Hurricane. Booker T was my champion because he verbally agreed to dump his huge contract and they knew he was coming, but unlike the others, they didn't pick up his contract, so they had to negotiate with him. Tor Wilson was quit signing from WCW, but she wasn't also a direct signing as there was haggling and stuff for a while before they made the deal. Flair, Mysterio, and Bischoff came much later. Ironically, the agents came from WCW. Arn Anderson, Fifth and John Laurinaitis all remain in power. Uh, well, there's one that didn't stay, though. That he's forgetting. Yeah. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Uh, Ricky Santana? Yes. There you go. Although Brian Gowertz is taking a leave of absence from the writing team, that really isn't all that it seems. Gowertz's leave of absence is currently being regarded like a Pat Patterson retirement. 
Gorge is scheduled to be gone until October, and the company hasn't kept to the secret because he's the majority of the wrestlers, but not all, as people like Edge, Christian, and others are tight with him, have used Gorge as a scapegoat for all the bad writing. Gorge at first was going on leave in May to write a movie, gave word he was leaving, then changed his mind. It's believed the reason was when he saw Paul Heyman was being granted so much creative control on the one that stand for view, and as you can imagine, started thinking it was a bad time for a vacation. Gorge strongly was telling people that nothing should be done to let Heyman near creative. And he also thought he, the resurrection of ECW was a mistake. Stephanie had similar opinions, but when Vince decided he was going to do it, Stephanie quieted down on the ECW front. However, both continually buried Heyman to Vince as a potential member of the writing team. <laughs> Whether effective or not, the belief is, despite the critical acclaim for one night stand, Heyman won't be anywhere near the creative team. In fact, Heyman is largely being kept in the dark regarding the future of the ECW brand. Last few weeks after the ECW interview, it's clear Vince is bringing Heyman back to creative. Gorge went on his leave. Ed Kosky, who Gorge picked to replace him as head writer of Raw, is also a political ally. Kosky was sent to decent preview by Stephanie, the person reported to her what was going on backstage at the show. He's been writing heat for the past year. Kosky would be the head writer of the Raw scripts, but Gorge will maintain veto power. As Kosky has been instructed to email all Raw scripts to him during his leave. Gorge won't be attending writers' meetings nor going to the lengthy Saturday conference calls that can last all day. He'll still have his fingerprints all over the show. He said inside the writing team, everyone has the ECW show in the back of their mind, but nobody will say much about it until they get a clearer read from Vince and Stephanie as to what the correct opinion on the show was. <laughs> Gorge knew the deal. Do not let him close to the creative team. Why would you say such a thing? <laughs> but you know i mean look who's still there and look who's not look who's not there so well who's doing better though of the two of them you talk about gorge or Heyman? yeah it's gorge i guess <laughs> i mean i guess so brian as a fellow jew i suggest that now is a great time to take a vacation <laughs> yeah the latest cash on the writing team was Mullen who was let go a few weeks ago he was former Beverly Hills 90210 and Chips TV writer oh so he wrote for Ponch. Uh Dave gets the last one Lillian Vis- Visceral's romance didn't have the depth of Brandon and Kelly <laughs> an interesting trivia note on Mullen is the executive producer and fighter from 90210 was Michael Braverman who for years was the producer behind the prior preview shows, has been a wrestling fan since the beginning of time. And a longtime observer subscriber. And what and day what was one of Dave's favorite TV shows, Bix? That would be Beverly Hills 90210. There you go. Well, so is Michael Braverman, <laughs> the Braverman from Braverman Bloom? It's possible. That's Still not the best Braverman. The best Braverman in Hollywood's Bart Braverman, but that's a whole other story. Uh, there have been discussions regarding bringing Jeff Hardy back, as makes, or excuse me, Matt Hardy back, sorry, as makes sense. Matt said they've been making a decision on next week, but he's even thinking about it seriously that he likely means he's going to decide to go back to WWE. And he does. Sabu is also in towards something after an update on the discussions. Sabu and likely Sandman are going to be offered minimal date contracts, like maybe six, ten appearances per year type of deals, which is all in the work Japan and the Indies. But they've been a contract for any ECW house show tours or future shows. Blue Meanie may have also been offered a similar deal. A key to trying to get guys like this on paper would be to try to keep TNA for trying to capitalize any exposure they get with WWE. We'll have more on the Blue Meanie later. 
All right, Ross found that switch mid-carders, basically the velocity being an axe at the end of, the sept of September, heat being saved. What you can read in this is the mid-carders they want saved versus those in trouble when the next round of cuts are coming. Going to Raw are Rene Dupree, Danny Bastion, Kenzo Suzuki, Hiroko, and Chava Guerrero. Going to SmackDown are William Regal, Candice Michelle, Savon Grenier, um, Simon Dean, and Stevie Richards. Dupree, I can see. He's young, good physique, personality. They just gave up on him because of his immaturity, and he's floundered because of it. He's going to get the same push he got out of the box on SmackDown, and they'll likely give up on him quickly again. Doug Basham is the better two brothers. Dave's not sure the advantage of splitting them up, other than when they quit the cabinet because no angle came from it against J.B. and Leonard Jordan. It wasn't angle as much as, we're writing you guys out. Kenzo and Hiroko are a drum nice project, but Dave didn't see them going anywhere on the stat raw roster. Oh, they didn't. Regal has his upside and his experience at excellent talker. He never gets talk. Never gets talk. He got lost on Raw, but Dave can see him getting the shot on SmackDown. Dave's also guessing can Michelle's being moved to get a chance because of Joy Giovanni, who they clearly had hopes for, isn't getting over. And Michelle McCool has a zero slut factor, which sounds like a compliment, but hurts her getting over. <laughs> 2005, everybody. It is, it is 2005, and he's right. You know, I remember the time my buddies with the type of Michelle McCool. So she's she's boring. She's the school you know, teacher. They didn't... I mean, that's what it is. Yes. She's yeah. Just... She's boring. Joy Giovanni was over with a couple of them, though, for sure. But uh, she just couldn't get over to the masses. You mean uh, Big Show's special friends, Joy Giovanni? <laughs> yes. Savon Grandier's already had a prior issue at a party years ago with JBL. <laughs> Dean and Richards as BWO members and may be used for one quick angle as meanie surrogates for being buried, since that's a short, left, short shelf life anything is. Dave would start taking college courses on the side if he were them. Chava's been remade with the idea that he's been held back because he's Mexican, so he's no longer Mexican and changing his name to Kerwin White and pretending to be a middle-class American preppy boy dressed like it was 1987. The Kerwin name is a spoof on former producer Kerwin Silphies. And White is Dave Guest because he's now supposed to be White. This was Russo level to the point Dave was expecting him to start honking Amway. Ah, Kerwin White picks. A lovely gimmick. Yes. Doesn't get talked about enough. As far as like, the worst gimmicks of WWE in this era, that one doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. No, it doesn't. Um... I mean, you're whitewashing a Mexican. Mexican-American. Yes. I mean, that's what you're doing. Yes. And that's the heat, ridiculous. but still. Uh, uh. And also, ridiculous. this eventually yeah. includes the debut of uh, his caddy, Nick. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, Dolph Ziggler. Mm-hmm. Which is always one of those... He's one of those guys who people do not realize how long he's been in that company continuously. For a long time. I mean, going back to developmental, he's, he's got to be at, what, 19 years? At least? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's about television. We finally got to TV. As we go to Fearful Weekly and talk about SmackDown. The June 30th SmackDown started as Muhammad Hussein, Muhammad Hassan, excuse me, Muhammad Hussein Zufabiano. Muhammad Hassan came out for his usual grading. Wrong kind of heat generating promo. Surprisingly, he had some fans, and these fans were not beaten up or killed by the rest of the crowd. That should further convince you that he is not getting the right kind of passion and heat. He cut an anti 4th of July promo. If there's not a point to this promo in 30 seconds, Brian was fast-forwarding. 
He said, we didn't know what it was like to walk around in his shoes and how America was mean to him. And yes, he had nothing to say. And so, woo, Brian never hit the fast forward button so fast. And so it wait, came wait, out wait, the wait, end wait. of the day. Wait, wait, wait. I got to say, you know, we did the week after this a uh, year or two ago. I did not remember that he was still going heavy on the same rhetoric as before, a week before he had his terrorists attack The Undertaker. Yep, and speaking of, and then came out The Undertaker. So Brian got another good five minutes to budget into the rest of his life. Hassan continued talking, apologized for saying the day of the dead man was over. See, Brian didn't need to listen to it. He repeated the same goddamn thing all over again. Undertaker tried to get him, but Navari made the save with a chair shot. Well, that was the idea. His plan failed. And Undertaker choke slammed him. Hassan escaped with his life. What a great opening segment. And it's good to see the annoying manager destroyed before the feud even begins. Well, it ain't going to be a long feud, I'll tell you that. Paul Lunder versus Chavo Guerrero for the Cruiserweight title. Coincidentally, Michael Cole announced during this match that both GMs had until the end of the night to make all their trades. These guys are having a match when out came the Mexicals and they're riding lawnmowers. If Brian was Chavo or Paul Lunder at this point, he would immediately walk backstage and request to be drafted. It should be noted that it's impossible to hate the Mexicals, even as a Mexican, because A, it consists of who be supposed to super crazy, and B, the lawnmowers have written on their sides the words, Juan Deere. Oh, yes. Juan <laughs> Deere. So also to review, in this segment, we have the Mexican-American wrestler who's about to denounce being Mexican and declare himself completely white. Yes. We have the Mexican-American wrestler who they never acknowledged was Mexican-American. Correct. And the Mexicals. <laughs> That's right. Quite the representation here on uh, SmackDown in 2005. And what, and, and what audience was uh, one of the highest uh, drawing audiences for SmackDown? You mean especially with the storyline they're kicking off that we're about to talk about in a minute or two? Yeah. That would be Hispanic viewers. That's right. So, uh... Yeah, wait, wait, wait a second. You're starting this fucking telenovela storyline with the two top, you know, Hispanic stars in the company. Granted, they probably don't know the level of TV ratings it's going to do. But... And, and this is going on on the same show. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so anyway, Mexicals beat the other, the other two Latinos up for reasons that still not been explained. Perhaps someone can explain them that they won't take over America and the cruiserweight division, as they stated last week. They should probably enlist all the Hispanics they can come across. Hoovy then grabbed the mic and screamed, Is there any Mexicans in the house? Well, yes, you just beat them up. <laughs> He said he had a message for the Mexicans. The gringos think you are fat. The gringos think you are lazy. And you know what? Quite frankly, they are right. All those Mexicans ain't shoot him initially. And all those Mexicans are watching on at home. The 22% of the SmackDown audience, or whatever it is, then became very sad. Hoobie just said, seconds after banning the Mexicans, that all they need to band together against the gringos. Brian says, I don't write this. Don't yell at me. I am Hoobie, he said. I am the juice. He concluded by saying that they were not Mexicans, they were Mexicools. If this leads to a line where someone asks him if they are Mexicans or Mexicans, all Brian would say is don't bother. Only one man in the world could possibly get away with that line, and he's not in the WWE. Well, 
We've got a chapter mark for the Mexico Ools introduce themselves. Oh, we gotta see a movie. <laughs> oh, and then this immediately goes into an Eddie promo. Great. By <sighs> super crazy, I love it. Not just humiliating the champion. Watch out, this psychosis over here. The microphone. Up. Last last week he had the ring bell. What's Hoovy pointing to? What's he? My God Almighty! Oh my God! How about the degree to which Cole is doing New Generation Vince voice here? Yeah, he definitely has it in his ear. Yeah. I, I never noticed that before, but it's very obvious. Watching it back. Vicious! Vicious assault by these three men. This is sickening! Movie puts a shade on Wow. I mean, I to stop for this eventually. You can't just... Come out here like the last two weeks, just interrupt things and beat the hell out of people. A cruiserweight championship match to boot. I say this: Is there any Mexican in the house? So, what city are they in? Uh, yeah, I didn't listen. Uh, let's see, where was this SmackDown at? Uh, let's see here. This is June thirtieth SmackDown. So, so they would have been. They were in no, there was a tape on twenty seventh in Anaheim. Oh, okay. it's Bond. Okay, so there. So there you go. So there were, of course, there are some Mexicans in the house. Is there any Mexican in the house? And there's a Mexican flag sign on our back. That's what we would love. I see. Is there any Mexican in the house? Why does he keep saying that? So tonight, I got a very special message for you. Do you know what the gringos think of you? The gringos think that you're fat. Gordos? The gringos think that you're lazy. Flojos? But you know what? Quite frankly, they right. Oh, gee. <laughs> gee, I wonder who fed him this verbiage. <laughs> I, I'm sure Juventud Guerrero just decided to say quite frankly on his own. <laughs> Be that as it may. Notwithstanding. And then from there, perhaps indeed, up and down. <laughs> A very interesting event. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it shows how shoehorned it is that Hoovy of all people is having to talk like this yeah that jabber Chris chatty but be that as it may <laughs> fuck you fuck you fuck you twice fuck you again time for a very interesting interview <laughs> But I tell you this, 
step on it. Don't work against the gringos. Rise against the gringos. What? So tonight, I would like to introduce mi familia. I would like to introduce mis amigos. This is. Yes, it's true. And everybody know in this building, in this business, who I am. I am the real cycle. I am psychosis. And this is the insane luchador. Join us now. You can join, join our revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and I am Kubi. I am. <laughs> I am the Jews. So that pause there was Nicho trying to get Hoovy to break by flipping his hair out of his face. <laughs> and you could tell from the look on Nietzsche's face that that's what he was trying to do. <laughs> the juice. Get ready, because we are no Mexicans. We, we are, are Mexicans. Mexicans. Yeah. Sounded, sounded like a call to arms. Uh, join our revolution. Well, you heard a lot around here. Oh, I don't know. You heard them. They're not Mexicans. They're Mexicans. And then they're back on a wand, a wand deer, which I don't know where you actually purchase a wand deer, but <laughs> a wand deer store. This. Oh, look at psychosis. Now, look at him. He's, 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 he's psycho. I'll tell you. These Mexicans are made. Oh, he's got a Corona there. Yeah, he's got a Corona with like a clown thing on it. Oh, they're Corona. How was that? I, th- I think we've seen it all. I mean, he's next to cool. He makes the cool such a fan's name. Like Body Donna's. Yes. Also, they're, they appear to actually be on real riding mowers because they're going incredibly slowly. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. All right. Also, <laughs> a non-white heel group talking about how they're going to rise up, huh? Yeah. I, I, that that definitely sounds like something I've heard old racist wise people say they fear. So that's great. Eddie cut a promo about, the, about his match with Ray last week. He said the truth was that tonight Ray was going to come out, get down on his knees, and beg him not to tell the truth. But it's the truth that the last match was a work, and Ray didn't really win. We'll have more on that later. Next, we get Melina versus Michelle McCool. Brian was surprised to recall Michelle's name instantly. He figured it out. Now there are eight other faceless Steven Search competitors because Brian's brain is forced to try to forget their names. Brian cannot help but recall the divas who are already on the roster or something. Melina said they came out alone. Brian was hoping Eminem would come out and they'd have Johnny Nitro try to do the splits on the apron, but it was not to be. Anyway, they have one shitty match thanks almost entirely to Candace Michelle. Dave 
Brian could have sworn Melina screamed clothesline. And Michelle, I said can't show Michelle McCool. And Michelle responded with a front kick, but Brian has been mistaken before. Melina actually took a flat back bump after standing on the middle rope, which she will be feeling for years. And Melina pinned her with her feet on the ropes. Well, the right person won this match. Bad guys came out and gave Michelle the snapshot afterwards. Big Bad John made the save. Yeehaw! No, to Michelle McCool and all you readers out there thinking of training to come wrestle someday. Taking your first flat back bump is scary. Very scary. And it hurts. But just do the goddamn thing and get it over with and then do many, many more. Do not freak out like the 85% of the trainees Brian sees that takes take the bump half-ass. Meaning you're afraid to land like you're supposed to and end up taking the bump on your ass or your lower back because you will pay a very serious price. You're going to hurt your tailbone or your lower back or whiplash your neck. And it's going to hurt a whole hell of a lot more than it would if you just would have done it right. So, yeah. He ain't lying. Well, so what he's referring to as well is the as we would learn later, more explicitly from Ashley Massaro, they didn't really give the Diva Search women much in the way of training. Oh, no. <laughs> Even when and they Michelle had to McCool actually did... work matches. Michelle McCool is a whole lot different here than she would look. Uh, yes. You could just tell from that where we're looking at right now. <laughs> she is, she's looking very healthy here. Yes. In a good way. Yes. So, there you go. All right. Here we go. Now, let's go to Eddie Guerrero, who uh, talks about issues in his life, and he has a special documentary video to show to everyone. Let's go to the clip. And by the way, this appears to be from a double Raw and SmackDown taping. It was. Okay. European stuff? Tour? Something? Or? Oh, uh, no, just doing July yeah. 4th or something? Yeah, basically, yeah. He's, he's a twisted, he's a, Eddie's twisted, he's, he's sick, he's, I don't know, this, this what's happened to him the past few months, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want this guy as an enemy, I wouldn't want this man as my enemy, believe me, I know him for a lot of years, and I don't know him anymore. I don't think anyone knows No, I don't think anybody knows him anymore. What Eddie Guerrero is quite capable of either. I don't think Eddie knows what he's capable of, Cole. So I guess everybody saw the match last week I had with Rey Mysterio. By the way, one of the best matches in the history of SmackDown. Yeah, indeed. Well, well worth going out of your way to see. I guess everybody saw him beat me again. Everybody in here probably thinks I'm a loser. Otherwise, we didn't check my bones. <laughs> well, see, the only loser in this is Rey Mysterio. Because, see, uh, I, I'm a winner. I'm a winner in life. I've overcome obstacles and situations that each and every one of you can only dream about. Each and every one of you? 
tone. I did a little bit of soul searching. I took a journey to kind of find my barriers. I actually took a camera to document my little journey. And I find it quite interesting. Well, maybe it's not that And bad. I think Rey Mysterio would find it quite interesting too because it involves one of his family members. Huh. Actually, huh. I'm not going to tell you about it. I'll let the footage speak for itself. Some sort of a home movie. Oh. Or a playground. Where are, where are <laughs> hey Ray. Do you remember when all these started between us? I promised you you'd get hurt. And you did. I wonder if your family hurts right along with you. Speaking of family, I mean this should look kind of familiar to you. This is uh, this is your son Dominic's daycare. <laughs> That's right. And there he is. Hey, Dominic, what's up, Holmes? Orale, vato loco. Give me a wave. Higher. Come on, you can go higher. Yeah, vato loco. Good looking kid. Kind of a chip off the old block, wouldn't you say, Ray? I wonder if he likes secrets. I wonder if he likes bedtime stories. Maybe I should ask him. Hey, Dominic, come here, mijo. You want some candy? Sure, Uncle You want Eddie. some candy? I got some candy for you. Vente, vente. Man, Uncle Eddie hasn't seen you in a long time. Look, there you go. A ver. Yeah, is it good? Show me how fast you can go up those, those, that slide. Come on, man, you can go faster. Faster, faster. Orale, orale, yeah. That's it, Holmes. I knew you could do it. Give me five. Sit on my lap. You love me? Yeah, Uncle Yeah, Eddie. I love you. I really do. I love you too, Uncle Eddie. You know, I got another question to ask you. Do you like secrets? I love secrets. Oh, man. Do I? I like them too. You like bedtime stories? I love bedtime stories, Uncle Eddie. Well, Uncle Eddie promises to tell you a bedtime story you'll never, ever forget. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Making the evil face into the camera. Really hugs him. Hey, Ray Ray! I know you were looking at that! What do you say, Holmes? You think I should tell everybody our little secrets? You think I should share it with the world? Here's Ray. No music.
come down. I didn't come out here to jump you. Don't, don't, don't say nothing. Oh, you don't want me to go there. What, what are you talking about? The truth here? You don't want me to tell everybody the truth? What's the matter? Uh, you don't think that it's time for Dominic to know your and my little secret? What's the matter? What, what man? You, you got the fight in your eyes. What's the matter with your eyes, man? You, what, what, do I, you wanna hit me? Huh? You wanna hit me? Come on, come on, hit me. Hit me! Big of me! Honor me! Big of me, come on, hit me! What's the matter, Holmes? Hey, you don't got the fire you just had. What's keeping you back? Huh? Don't do what? The truth? I told you! I told you! Nobody beats Eddie Guerrero! I always come out on top! I always win! No matter how it happens, I always am victorious! Tranquilo with what? Get! me! Beg me! Regame! Get on your knees and beg me not to tell the truth! Ponte de rodillas! Y pídeme que no diga la verdad! I will tell Dominic the truth! Just what I thought. Hey, Ray. Oh, Eddie's got the candy. Twizzlers. You want some candy, Holmes? Huh? Mmm. Tastes good. He spit it in his hand and then rubbed it in his Two on that. What the, what the hell is that all about? I don't know, but Ray was begging. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Ray's really upset. It. I don't know what the heck's going on. Whatever it is, it's personal, folks. I mean... Okay, what I got to mention first, because people listening can't see this, the actual best part of the segment is Ray's acting with his eyes. Yeah, but it is nothing. But he, like, he conveys so well that there is weight to whatever the secret is and that he has something to be worried about. Yeah. Um... Okay, read Brian's recap before we continue, because there, there, that, 
there's something we need to talk about, and it's mentioned here. Uh, Brian was talking about Eddie and Dominic. He says that all Brian could think of was while he was watching this was that this feud has been going on for four months and they clearly run out of ideas. Yeah. He's also wondering if Ray married a woman who was seven feet tall because Dominic, who looks 10 or 11, is just about the same size as, fa- as his father already. <laughs> oh, he's eight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eddie gave Dominic a big hug. He's going to tell him bedtime story, never forget. What? Is he a pervert now? <laughs> Back in the ring, Andy screamed, trying to tell everybody a little secret. Right in the ring, don't go there, he said. Oh, I get it. They're homosexual lovers. Andy made him get down on his knees, then offered him some candy. Tastes good, he noted. Then he spread it out and rubbed all the Ray's face. Ray's face said, chew on that. This can lead to nothing good. Nothing. Okay. So this is not a hindsight thing, because Brian was far from the only person who reacted this way at the time. They should have tweaked the verbiage to make it, it seem less like Eddie could be a child molester. Or the fact that, that it was some type of homosexual thing between Eddie and Ray, because I you watch this promo, and that's kind of what... Oh, are you... The get what? on your knees, I mean, but, but other than that. No, not even that, not even that. Just the, our little secret, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, it's... <sighs> You could you could gather that from that, but you get you but could regardless. The verbiage and the way it was handled in this first week was not great as far as that because Brian is far from the only person who came away from it seeming le- thinking that they were at least trying to make people think that Eddie was a person, which was clearly not the idea. But no, he was far from the only person who thought it came off that way, even if they didn't think WWE would do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, of course, this ends up being that uh, Eddie is Dominic's biological father because, as he put it, Ray is shooting blanks. So he <laughs> uh, donated sperm to Angie to have Dominic. Yeah. Which, okay, look, it's one of those things, obviously, in real life, it should not matter. In wrestling terms, especially 18 years ago, I thought it was extremely weird to make part of a top babyface's character that he was infertile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, they based it kind of on how when Eddie and Vicky were separated, he had a child with a woman that he was dating. That, what I don't know exactly what happened to the mother, but who Vicky ended up raising. And then, of course, we all know with Dominic's future... Yes. Sub-material. And think about how, well, I mean, he's the hottest heel in wrestling. But think about this. I mean, just imagine how a Dominic Mysterio run as a wrestler would be if Eddie was still alive. All the stuff they could do. Yeah. Oh, it's just sad. God, it's sad thinking about that, you know? Yeah. Mm. Now, one thing. I found kind of interesting, like, that, what was it? where was it? I don't remember where, but Dominic did an interview recently where he seemed to treat the this storyline and his role in it as something perfectly fine and that he was happy with. But, like, at the time, and given who Dave talks to, you would think he's getting the straight story. Dave would say in The Observer and on audio that 
he was not liking the angle because Dominic was starting to have problems in school over it, and that it was causing some emotional issues. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure it probably did. But, you know, let's look at what's happened now, you know, so... But, it, well, that's also just weird, too, because, like, canonically, in WWE, Eddie is his biological father. But they kind of just... Yeah, but that, well, that's you can't not do the that. case not yeah. I mean, they, well, it's been brought up, though, in, in, this, in the Dominic Ray feud, though, and, by Dominic, you know. Yeah. Well, he said, I wish Eddie was my dad, but I'm not... Yeah. So it's that, but, but it's... But that being something... That's such a difference, though, Bix. That's something different. You yeah. can be... You can have a father, but you can... But Without you also have a dad. dad. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, my brother has a stepdaughter. Her father is a piece of shit. He, I mean, he basically he's raised her, her from when she yeah. was... He's her dad. Yes. So... Anyway, back to SmackDown. Next, we have a six-way elimination match for the SmackDown Championship as JBL, Muhammad Hassan, Chris Benoit, Booker T, and Undertaker will face a mystery man. Taylor Long came out for the match and said Big Show was supposed to be involved, but as everyone knew, he got drafted to Raw on Monday. But said he had a replacement, and that was the newest draft pick from Raw, Christian. Yay! By the way, even though it was Christian's first night in, he was a big surprise and huge next huge draft pick. They still introduced him fifth because, of course, Undertaker had to come out last. Boy, did that piss Brian off. <laughs> of course. There was some Christian chance early. Taker almost immediately tagged in with Hassan beat him up. Well, no need to see them feud now. Brian should complain too much. He has no desire to feud anyone. The base story of this match earlier was everyone wrestled each other. It appears someone was trying to make Brian rescind his statement that every man of NW should be a six man. But he does not rescind it, even though this match was left a lot desired early. Six men were involved in this match, yes, but it was not a six man. So, anyway, surprised did not leave Taker and Hassan as the last two men in the ring. They actually had them eliminated first. What happened was, oh, what had happened was, Taker hit Hassan with a chair shot and got eliminated by DQ. Cold immediately announced that there were only four men left. Six minus one is five, you might be thinking. Even Brian knows that. But no, only four men were left because Hassan soon after walked out of the building and was presumably counted out. So Michael Cole actually displayed the ability to predict the future, making him a prophet. <laughs> Crowd was dead. Those that say the double taping, they've been sitting there for over four hours at this point. They want Booker working together for a long time. They want put him in the sharpshooter and Booker tried to get the ropes, but JBL pulled him away so he couldn't reach. They wanted to put Booker on a cross face. And this time, JBL's ingenious strategy was to tag himself in, which obviously meant now Booker couldn't submit. What a fool, I thought, Brian said. Batista then put him in the DDT and Cole explained that now he could beat a Booker who had been pounding on for the last several minutes. So then seconds later, Christian was in the ring working with Booker. Brian should just turn off his brain right now. Things are often better that way. Much like he did when he watched War of the Worlds, which he saw just prior to SmackDown. So there were these giant aliens, and they had this plan to take over the world. This plan, this plan consisted of creating these giant and wieldy metal devices. They're even more practical than any device of war ever created by the much stupider human race. Phase two of the plan was to wait one million years. Phase three would consist of shooting humans one at a time with a ray gun. You presume that with one million years, they would have time to refine and perfect their plan. 
Brian will spoil the movie for the ten of you who don't know how it ends. For the rest of you, he will say this. After one million years, when constructing their master plan, they never took you-know-what into consideration. <laughs> the movie was fun to look at, though. So anyway, Christian got a tag and went to work on Bradshaw, and the fans were totally behind him. The fans continued through approximately the fourth commercial break. JBL was kicking out of everything left and right. Booker was running around with Christian Craven for the pin. Booker was outraged. Christian was talking smack and laughing his ass off, but then turned around into a clothesline from hell for the pin. Yes, they beat Christian his first night in. And why did he lose? Because he was a fool. He's off to a rocket start. JBL was announced as the new SmackDown champion, at which point Teddy Long came out with the title. He said he had good news and bad news. The bad news was even though he won the match, he was a champion. Recently, Teddy said he found there was no need for a SmackDown champion. The good news was JBL won the right to become the one contender to this man. The final draft lottery pick, Big Dave! Yay! You're free, Dave! You're free! Yes, because <clears throat> had been drafted to Raw on the first night of the draft, so Raw had two champions, and they set up this match for the vacant title. For some, for a vacant third title, sound familiar? Um, mm-hmm. But then it ends up not being for a title because Batista is the last person to be drafted. Yes. So and, he brings uh, the Raw championship with him. Yes. And of course, Christian is out of the company within a few months. Yes. But, so it's not, I yeah. love how there was like the most half hearted bullshit attempt to get someone to resign ever. It's like, we're putting you in the main event, and then we just have you lose each time. <laughs> well, you're there. You're just not winning. The show did a 3.2 rating on the Fast Nationals, early estimate of 5.2 million, 5.25 million for a show headlined by a long six way. 4.4 for New York, 4.3 in Los Angeles, 2.7 Chicago, 3.2 in Philly, 2.6 in San Francisco, 2.8 in Boston, 4.0 in Dallas, 3.6 in DC, 3.4 in Detroit, 3.8 in Atlanta, and 3.8 in Houston. Ratings grew most of the way. London and Chavo uh, with the Met Schools lost an estimated 59,000 viewers. Melina McCool gained an estimated 44,000 viewers. Eddie, the Eddie Ang- and Ray Angle gained an estimated 636,000 viewers. The six-way, the 44 quarter hour, saw the growth of 148,459, a loss of 311,000, and a huge increase for the finish of 858,000. Hmm. That's weird. So you gained in the first two, then lost the third, and came back in the fourth. Huh. Interesting. Yes, yes. It's weird to see such large swings, too. Obviously, it's a bigger audience. Of course, it's going to happen. It's just it's a different time. Yeah. Well, we had a double taping uh, for the SmackDown that we just talked about. Now we have double taping for Raw and SmackDown on our week here, July the 4th. Notice the double taping on July 4th of Sacramento. Raw opened up with Carritos Cabana with Hulk oh. Hogan as the guests. Oh, so wait a second. Was this a double taping of the previous SmackDown and then the July 4th Raw? Yeah, that makes the most sense. Because it's the only one no. that would be affected by the holiday. No, Raw was taped that was taped that night on the fourth. That night. So, <laughs> oh, so it was taped. It was taped at like SmackDown seven, was taped. Yeah, this is the seven seven SmackDown. That's taped on July 4th. Oh, okay. Why did they double up this particular way? That's weird. Um, I don't think there's an international tour. Let me look and see. Dave was just mentioning about 
that was a thing that they were thinking about doing. All right, so Anaheim on the 27th was Raw and SmackDown. SmackDown for the 30th. Then they went to Japan. Okay. Now they're back from Japan, coming back with the double taping here. This is the only show for the week. Okay. There we go. So th- that's why. Then they, they don't have another show until July 11th, company-wide. Okay. All right. So we're all up with Cardizos Cabana with Hulk Hogan as a guest. There's a plug for the Hogan Knows Best show, complete with clips. Hogan is trying to repackage himself as the overprotective father of a hot daughter to appeal to people with teenagers. That and trying to get her a career break. They're showing a clip of a 22-year-old wanting to date Brooke and Hogan telling the kid that his daughter isn't sexually active. Well, let's go for let's go to where, where Hogan shows up here and uh, Carito is uh, trying to make his move, so to speak. Wow. Don't do anything else. Let me first say... This, this is huge. Let me say that it's truly an honor. I mean, you, you've done it all. You're the most recognized name in wrestling. As a matter of fact, you're probably the most recognized name in the world. But I have to say, this is the biggest thing in your career that you have ever done. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Hogan knows best the reality show. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. I'm not talking about a reality show. I'm talking about you being here on Calitos Cabana. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Seriously, though. Carlito had a question for you. If you really wanted to promote your new reality show, why didn't you bring your daughter, Brooke? Let me tell you something, whoa, though, whoa, man. Whoa. We're getting real, real borderline yes. with getting thrown way up in the top of the building, brother. Oh. <laughs> oh. Relax. Relax, brother. I'm... Look. All I'm, all I'm saying is, Carlito, Carlito's cool, but, but Brooke, Brooke is, is hot. Uh-oh. I mean, why don't, why don't you let Carlito take her out on a date? Oh. I mean, you say she's, she's not sexually active, Ooh, but, but Carlito would like to get... Oh. Oh. about who cares about your daughter what these people should care about is that I made Shawn Michaels tap out of Wrestlemania and I made Ric Flair the 16 time world champion tap out last week but instead of respecting me these people go online and vote that Ric Flair is still the man over me 
Instead of respecting me, these people show respect and cheer you, Hulk Hogan. And why? Because you have your own reality show? Well, whoop de freaking do. Let me give you a little dose of reality, Hogan. The last time you and I were in this ring, I made you tap out. <laughs> and I can do it all over again if I wanted to, anytime, anywhere. But the one person that I would like to make tap out even more than you, most of all, is your daughter, Brooke. <laughs> something real quick regarding Brooke here and Dave mentioned it in the uh, in the report they refer to Brooke as 16 instead of 17 and trying to make her more like a child than a near adult that's I on forgot the, she's only 17 at this point that's on the reality show but we have all this talk about <laughs> about Carlito and Angle wanting to have sex with her and she's under 18 well also they edited out a, the clip so the sexually active comment is from a clip from the reality show that they cut out because it's the network in WWE or Peacock or whoever is paranoid that even though it's a promotional clip that they might get sued because they don't own it. It's weird. But they do this with everything like that. Um, but the clip from the show was of a 22-year-old wanting to date Brooke and Hulk being like, she's not sexually active, brother. That's why Carlito had that line because they showed that clip that is not here. But again, yeah, I mean, on the show, she's portrayed as 16. Well, actually, wait, when was the show shot? Was the show shot when she was 16? Wasn't <laughs> uh, the show shot a bit before it aired? Yeah, she had just turned 17 on May 5th. <laughs> so, could Dave not look this up? He thinks they're working her age down and not just that they shot it when she was 16? Best I just said is that it shows you how different we are in the times we're in now compared to even then. That they were doing a thing on the reality show where it's a 22 year old dude wanting to hook up with 16 year old bro. Wait, and actually, how old is Carlito at this time? Uh, Not very old, but he's older than 22. Uh, Carlito is 26. 
And how old is Kurt? Oh, Kurt Angle. He's way older than Carlito is. Uh, I know. Kurt Angle. So Kurt, Kurt Angle is... Kurt 36. He's 36. He's on the beer dad. Uh, I, can all, I, I can just picture all of the future British indie wrestlers just watching this starry-eyed on Sky. <laughs> But it's that's the way shit was, though. You know, I mean, for a long time. I mean, look at all the Britney Spears stuff. I mean, it oh, was and a we thing. saw how well that went. I mean, the, the, it was a thing in it back in the late nineties, early two thousands, where there were webs countdown websites for when certain people turned eighteen. Olsen Twins, Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan, Hillary Duff. Yeah, I mean, one of the most one of the most controversial ones was Tara Lipinski. Because there were dudes, because she was in the Olympics, like 14, 15. And she was like a big deal among like the celebrity picture sites. Yeah. And it was like really creepy, really creepy. You know, I never understood with the countdown clocks thing. Was it a countdown to an expectation that these women, once they turned 18, or girls before, would pose or, or appear nude in a movie? No, or was it somehow no. thinking they had a chance to... No, no, you know what it is? Mm. You know what it was? The mentality was, now when they turn 18, now I can actually feel right about checking off to them. Okay. I mean, that's basically what it is. I was in that community in that in that era. The, the, the celebrity photo scans community. Celebrity photo scans clear, community. yes. Yeah. Just so people yes, understand yes. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm saying. The celebrity photo scan community. Exactly. The message boards, stuff like that. And I always thought that was creepy as shit. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the mentality of those people. Well, you know, we could post these pictures, but, you know, and a lot of the forums wouldn't even allow them to do it. That's, that's another thing. So, some of that was because um, places would not allow you to post the pictures, like any type of real pictures of somebody that's underage like that. So now once they turn 18, now off to the races. Oh, and just to bring everything full circle, Marty Squirrel is 16 at this point. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Michael supposedly went to Bischoff's office. Bischoff apparently wasn't there, so he never appeared. And came out of it, announced the tag match, saying, I did what I always do. I moaned and groaned until I got my way. <laughs> At least he's self-aware of his past. <laughs> Kane and Big Show beat Snitsky and Edge in 10.03 when Kane pinned Snitsky after a choke slam. They got Lito away from ringside right away to get the focus on the four guys in the ring. Some Matt Hardy chance, but not a lot. Snitsky was really bad, but the crowd was super hot anyway. Viscera beat the Heartthrobs by disqualification in two minutes. Here's an interesting trivia note. John Roselli, Romeo, used to work Northeast Indies as Johnny Heartbreaker. However, the original name of the team was the Heartbreakers, which had nothing to do with that. Jim Cornette was even aware of the former ring name and named after a lousy tag team he saw 25 years ago in Tennessee they thought had a good name and gimmick. They didn't know if he'd ever seen an act ruined so badly so quickly as these guys. Now they've been told basically to knock off everything that got them over in OVW because they don't want anyone thinking they're doing a gay act. They're now pretty boys from Panama Beach and we're hitting on uh, Lillian Garcia. But she was in tears because of her recent breakup with Viscera. This match was awful, but at least it wasn't awful for long. Cheap ending as they crushed Visser on the post. You know, they lost their music was played as they tried to hit on Garcia again. 
Oh yes, remember the, remember these guys how they were like being treated as this hot up and coming act from OVW. The cornet, you know, that had this gimmick going, and then they get on here and they change everything about them and just pretty much kill them dead. Yes, but it's also like you understand why they did it. Yeah. Because especially after the heat from the way they handled the Chuck and Billy thing, they don't want that smoke. Understandably, it's the right move. But really, what it's a commentary on is OVW. That, well, OVW, and that whatever you think of how the company views the developmental system, it was so overdue for them to have some place that was in house or at least in sync with them. Which didn't exactly, you know, like because, in all honesty, they never should have been doing that gimmick in OVW either. Because it should have been clear in the context of what had happened a few years earlier and all that that it would not be a good idea to try to pitch that for the main roster. And the thing is, is that yeah, they and and those people say, well, they screwed up NXT people too. Well, that's a different story. That's more Vince than anything else. But I mean. NXT, they, they have their gimmicks ready for when they come to the main roster. And more often than not, everybody, keep, everybody keeps their gimmick. It's just the way they're booked with their gimmick. So, well, and it's supposed to be a main roster friendly gimmick. Right. You know, yeah. like, and, you know, there are changes, like the Ascension, of course, had the big changes, but it's, like, you just, you need to at least try to have that synergy. Absolutely. Um, and what of else? Course, uh, what else? Is the Heartbreakers. Real quick, the original Heartbreakers was Joey Cagle and Rocky Sortor, who were in Memphis for like a month, month and a half. Well, as also, were the, the HAR Heartbreakers? Uh, yeah, because they were members of the first family. Yes, and they were a solid team, but they were like Ohio indie guys. They got their asses kicked on a regular basis in, in Memphis because they were there during gang wars in era in Memphis, and they just get the shit kicked out of them by Lawler and Dundee. Oh, the era of like the huge like first family versus every babyface brawls in Louisville and all that. Yeah, no TV too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God, amazing television. Um, but anyway, that's what they were based after. So a given from nineteen eighty one. Yes, and of course, uh, Antonio the Promised Thomas, now uh, Thomas Santo. That's right. (laughs) That's right. What a gimmick change, too. Oh, I know. Well, also, they brought him up through the Discovery Gauntlet and beyond, so it's it's not like I remember what Antonio Thomas looks like. So I'm like, so... I'm thinking he's just this newer guy at first, because they're bringing him up through, like, the green guy's gauntlet. And then, no, it's Antonio Thomas. I've got 4W online. Yes. Well, next we get Maria interviewing Chavo Guerrero. Or is he? Let's go to the clip. Okay, so wait, had they shot anything for this gimmick beforehand, or is this just the how it's unveiled here? This is how it's unveiled, if I'm not mistaken. Last week, after SmackDown went off the air, there was a blockbuster trade between Raw and SmackDown. It involved 11 WWE superstars. This is so early for her that she doesn't even have the uh, 
the Maria gimmick voice down yet. No. <laughs> no, she does not. It sounds like current Maria trying to sound ditzy. But this is and this is the Maria that Brian Alvarez, you know, was fawning all over. More so af- after she got the gimmick down, but yes. Yeah. She, I mean, here's the thing, as reductive as that gimmick was... She was so good at playing it, and she with the and she had the perfect face with the big eyes and stuff, you know. That it's like I kind of get giving her that gimmick. You know what I mean? As much as it's a complete one eighty from the actual Maria Canellis, like you get what I'm saying, like yeah, in terms of her facial expressions and everything, and how that could play into it. Like I get it to a point, at least in the context of eighteen years ago. Doesn't make it good, but I, I kind of get how they arrived at that. For more information, go to WWE.com. Now, my guest this evening, the newest member to the Raw roster, Chavo Guerrero. Good day, good day. Hola, Chavo. My first question is, did you do something different? Oh, oh, what did you call me? Ch- 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 Chavo. 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 Well, that's the first thing different about me. I'm no longer known as Chavo. So I forgot he must have had issues when he tried bleaching his hair for this because he's shaved almost all of it off. Yeah. It does yeah, it yeah. does grow back and he does bleach what's there because he has noticeable blonde hair when he's back to being Chavo on the Eddie Tribute show. But See, as Chavo, my achievements haven't really lived up to my ability. There's no question that my ability has always been up here. But my achievements have kind of been down here. Now, I know, let's be honest, there's only one place to put the blame, and and that's on the Hispanic people. No, yeah, yeah. The Hispanic people have done nothing but support me and stand behind me all over the world. But you and I know what real America thinks about the Hispanics. And I started thinking about it, and that perception has done nothing but rub off on me and and, and hold me down, hold me back. So I have decided to denounce my Hispanic heritage. And I've decided to join middle class America. Apple pie, 4th of July, that's, that's, that's now me. I've also decided to not be known as Chavo Guerrero. I have legally and proudly changed my name to Kerwin White. Yeah. Maria, is it? What, what, what is that? What nationality is that? It's... Oh, oh, I know exactly what that is. That's, that's, that's stupid. Just like you. Stupid. Greetings, citizens. I'm the Hurricane, along with Rosie and Super Stacy, here to wish you a happy 4th of July. Now, one of the most popular ways to celebrate the 4th of July is by lighting sparklers. And sparklers can be fun, but it's very important to remember the safety issues involved, because even after they go out, they're still hot and still very much a threat. That's why we keep a Hura water bucket nearby to properly dispose of them. Allow me to demonstrate. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh 
It's, it's also important to keep a her fire extinguisher nearby as well. Remember, kids, safety first, and everything will be fine. Happy Fourth of July! Woo! Okay. Oh wait, Maria's back, and she's sad about Chava. You know, some things are clicking into place for me right now. (laughs) And I think you can figure out what they are. Let's keep going. Chavo or Kerwin White or whatever his name is. Call me stupid. Ah, don't, don't pit. Whoa, Captain America's shield. Did you just say Chavo Guerrero changed his name to Kerwin White? Yeah. Ah, don't worry about it. No, seriously, don't worry about it. His name's Kerwin anyway. I mean, you got a lot going for you. You, you look good. You, you look good. I'll tell you what. Why don't you show your strengths and hide your weakness? It'll work itself out. <laughs> I did not expect the end to that segment. <laughs> All right, so what he did was when he said show your strengths, he brushed her hair back so her chest would be more pronounced. He so behind her weakness, he put his finger over her mouth and then he slapped her on the ass. 2005, everybody. You know, Jesus Christ. There was a lot going on in that in that that block there. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, let's... How, how about how about how about let's go with the, the Chavo thing? How about the fact that we have on both television shows, we had the anti-Mexican <laughs> sentiment here. We're featuring Mexicans. <laughs> Amazing. When the largest growing segment of the audience is? Mexican Hispanic, yes. All right, let me read what Dave says while you gather your thoughts here. All right, so Marie interviewed Chavo, who's funny's new gimmick, which is Raw's latest Simon Dean Red Rooster caliber gimmick. He blamed the Hispanic people for his not being over. Dave's experience is whenever you have a gimmick based on the fact that you suck or even used to suck, it usually dooms it. Although this gimmick had a little chance even if it was played differently. Then you talk about insult to Maria. Then we got the comedy bit with Hurricane Rose and Keebler were doing a speech on fire safety as they were holding sparklers and depositing them in a barrel full of water. As Keebler bent over, Rosie was staring at her ass and his arm went up in flames. Maria was in tears about being called Super Chava, but Cena consoled her. So Maria has a crush on Cena. Cena is now doing the failed Orton gimmick of making fun of the announcers, a copy of The Rock. Unlike Orton, he has the ability to pull off the copycat role without being seen as lame and forced. All right, you got your thoughts, Vix. All right, so uh, go ahead. Boy, does this explain the uh, reaction to her and Punk dating quite well, doesn't it? There's a way that this company books stuff. I'm not going to say Cena would have been in on it or looking for that. 
this is exactly how Vince books stuff when he wants the guy and the girl to hook up in real life. Yeah. Or, or, as we mentioned before, was it last week we mentioned this? Where they would book guys and girls that have, have hooked up in real life on air as a, as a rib. Especially if they were cheating on their respective spouses or partners with uh, exactly, we just talked about that. Yes, last week. Yes, Uh, that is just. But that's how those segments always cut. Like that's there. I can't. I can't describe it, but you know it when you see it. And that was one of those segments. Absolutely. So yes. So it's. I am not casting aspersions on Cena. I want to say that to be very clear. Although, of course, we did talk about him cheating on his wife, Mickey, last week. But, um... Suddenly, suddenly suddenly the last 18 years have really come into focus. And, like, yeah, they were... They were... You always heard it was the, you know, dating below her push thing. Or... Or he or Punk was dating above his push thing. Yeah. I never thought they had a specific top star in mind. Well, here's the thing. Plus, I'm in the company yet. At this well, time. he's under contract, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, but still, he's still working indies. Huh. So he's not, he's not even met Maria yet. No. No, he's not going to meet Maria until September. So, I mean, it's, it's not a him thing here. It's, no, it's not him at this point. It's they want her to get with Cena. But then you also have the you also have it where you have like the Rusev Lana thing, where they come in, you know, as as a, as a you know, couple, and Vince doesn't like them as a couple. He tries to break them up. Which boy do people uh, get uh, hot at me when uh, I bring that shit up on Twitter? I wish I could find the old observers or observer radios where Dave talks about that. It's not easy. But, like, that that's what happened. That was a thing that was talked about at the time. Ah, uh, you don't be, you don't deserve to be with her. Look at her. Look at him. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's their history. <laughs> Which is also just kind of insane, because Miro is a very fucking handsome man. <laughs> It's all because I mean the, the the Lana thing is because Vince won the fucker. Let's just be honest. Well, it's Vince. I mean that. that I mean that's the thing. Yeah, she Vince. Yeah. Vince she is Vince and Kevin Dunn's type. Yeah. And what and, and well, what does Miro have that goes that Kevin Dunn doesn't like? He's foreign. Mm-hmm. So you, he has a double whammy. <laughs> But anyway, and I'm sure they never took issue with a uh, blonde uh, marrying a uh, dark-skinned foreigner ever again. <laughs> and thing, I mean, it's just what they did. They just wanted to they getting their jollies off, you know. Yeah. It goes back years. <sighs> Save more marrow. I mean, fuck! They t- him and Kevin Dunn would talk about how they want what, what they thought she what Sable must look like, or how she would look in white cotton panties during production <laughs> meetings. 
Yeah. So, like, I'll close with this before we move on. It's a thing I think a lot of people have not reckoned with, and look, I'm not going to name the name, but I'm going to give the example, too, as part of it. You know, the former wrestler who got the set- the biggest of the settlements, which was not a thing that anyone really knew about at the I mean, we didn't know about the settlement because it hadn't happened yet, but we didn't know about the alleged harassment and coercion and all that at the time. People need to get with the fact that we kind of need to recontextualize the entire history of that company through this lens. Uh, More so with regards to female performers, obviously. But, look, there's stuff you and I know that not to a reportable degree, but stuff we know to be true, that also affected certain men that may have been in relationships with certain women that led to them getting fired. And, like, there is so much stuff in the history of that company that is probably we probably don't know the true story of that has to do with shit like this. Yeah. And people really need to come to terms with that, is all I'm saying. So, let's move on. All right. Uh, next, we get the highlight reel with Chris Jericho and John Cena. Jericho started as a babyface. Showed clips of his performing with Fozzie in England at a recent music festival, which is about to happen probably again in, in, in 2023. Eventually, he went heel telling Cena he's a much bigger world star than Cena. Cena told Jericho he was pathetic, and they went at it. It was better due to delivery than it reads. It was a good way to keep the ball rolling on that program. So, yeah. This was kind of a big... I mean, the whole Jericho Cena thing, because Jericho Cena debuted on Raw in the Jericho segment where he introduced him, and then it's building up to their program. So... Next well, was they the... Already beca- did the uh, they already did the three-way with Christian, didn't they? Well, this is... Cena had just got drafted to the Raw, didn't no, he? No, but, was, he, but was, the draft was like that a was, month long. That was a year before. Or was it? No? Yeah, it was oh, no, it was five. Oh, yeah, the draft was my fault. That's right. I forgot about that. I keep thinking the draft was... Yeah, uh, was that's right. You're right. You're yeah, right. Th- they did this, like... I don't think this was the only time they did that. I think they maybe did it one or two times after this, but, like... Yeah, the draft was a month long, so it's like... They went a month with... Because he was the first person drafted with no champion on spec. Yeah. All right. We're not going to play this because it was so long. No. At least not the whole thing. Well, also, okay, so <laughs> seeing that we have a Diva Search segment, how long has Maria been in the interviewer role? Since she clearly doesn't have the role, da- the voice and stuff down yet. Uh, that- not long. So, okay, so basically she had been in OVW until maybe a month or so before this. So next we get the Bikini Obstacle Course. I guess you, if you want to play it while we're talking about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, sound right. off, sure. Yeah. Which is one of those train wreck segments that probably did well in the ratings. It seemed like it meant 45 minutes, although it was closer to 20. First, they had Coachman go to the obstacle course. Coachman's a legit good athlete. He went to a small college where he was a basketball star and for years held the school's all-time scoring record. Probably a higher level than all but the top wrestlers in the company. But he had this semi-coordinated, falling over the wall, and basically trying to get a lousy time. Apparently, he didn't run through early in the afternoon and got it through so fast that Vince told him to screw up because he needed to put the women over. 
Well, you know what? Vince is right. You know? Yes, he is. No, he's absolutely right to make that decision. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter's out here with the ladies, too. All right, so there's that. All right, so um, still, uh, still he his time beat out three of the eight women. <laughs> as far as the scoreboard on this win, Ashley Massaro didn't do well, but she's still the favorite and has a guaranteed job either way. Layla Milani got back in the game because her top came off and she couldn't fix it and ended up being DQ'd. This was planned ahead of time to get her noticed in what they thought was a good way since she had no idea she was supposed to wear a bra and panties and lost points because of it the week before. If you actually watch it, you could see before she went into the netting, her, she adjusted her top for the malfunction. She had pasties under her top, so when it came off, there would be no nipple slip on television, and they had Earl Hebner there waiting with a towel. Summer Dylan Bryan, who was engaged to a plastic surgeon in Louisiana, is against sign either way, came off quite athletic, as did Crystal Marshall. Here we go. If Marshall was white and blonde, she'd be at least guaranteed a contract. But this would go either way, but she's not winning the thing. She had a great body and had the second best time. What are your thoughts on Dave's uh, saying there? What do you thought? I mean, it's clouded by the fact that she got signed. Exactly. That's the thing that well, yeah, I get where he's coming from, but yeah. On the other hand, she also left the company com, company com, company because of racist harassment. Yeah, they're sad too. And I get what they're saying, though. That like her, I get what they're saying, though. That a white her would be probably more likely to be put forth as, like, the favorite by those in power. Because of her athletic ability, yes. Well, not just that. Well, yeah. Elizabeth Ruffer got out of the fans' doghouse from last week because she won the whole shebang and made herself a contender. She's a boob job away from garnering sure employment in this company and may get signed without one. Simona Fusco knew she didn't have a prayer following the athletic ability of the prior two women, so she started bending over and gyrating fans boot her. She has no prayer of winning the contest, but has a shot of being signed. That's the best shot of all being Steve Austin's next ex. Wow. <laughs> Cameron Haven lost all sorts of points because she wore the most clothing. Looking like an uncoordinated stork doing jumping jacks, which she clearly didn't know how to do, and couldn't jump rope, but she still matched Masara's time. Alexis of no last name fame was a disaster on the course and finishing behind the coach who was trying to have a slow time. This diva search right here is one of the worst, one of the worst, if not the worst one. Well, okay, so here's the thing. We're about to see Ash, we're about to see Ash's bare ass there too, by the way. Uh, well, that's the idea, I, mean, I guess. I know. I mean, I mean, right there. I mean, it was she was almost had her malfunction, and the camera's kind of cut from her. Which you know, real quick. Okay, since we're talking about Ashley, it's so obvious why she wins because she's the she she comes off as the only one who actually wants to be there. Layla Milani looks like a completely different human being now. By the way, too, by the <laughs> the surgery she's had on her face. Okay, but. Uh... Yeah, you can see the Pacey's there. The stars. There they are. Yeah. I, oh, now she's pulling her top. Yeah, she, she pulled her own top down. 
Well, she's wearing pasties, though. I so. know, but she was very obvious about it. Um, yeah. But the year before, because the Dis the Diva thing that ended up being the most infamous moment of the Diva search, that was fairly early in the competition, right? Yeah. There was still a decent number of women left. It came early enough that, you know, it, there was a decent amount of train wreck appeal. Because they had a segment where they were calling each other cum-sucking gutter sluts. Look at, I mean, the thing you notice watching this, too, is pretty much all of these women have the same exact body. Yes. They're all very skinny, mostly large-chested. You know, they're, they're mostly very skinny with implants Yes, but also, but also skinny, but with surprising amount of muscle tone. It's uh, the it, combination. Well, it's the combination of what Vince and Kevin Dunn wanted in their women. It's the it's the two thousands WWE diva look. It's the and John Laurinaitis too at this time as well. That's what but, I, think I mean. It, yeah, it, 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 they look like porn stars, but athletic, athletic porn stars. I feel like porn stars in this era would not be this skinny. Ooh. <laughs> not I don't all know about of that them. There, not all of them, no, but the ones that Kevin Dunn and I mean you got the ones that Kate Katie. Oh, the one that he yes. gets his production ideas from their 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 films, yes. Yes. Um There's Krista Marshall getting the potato sack. Yeah. <laughs> This is just amazing to watch back in hindsight. Think of it. This was on a pro wrestling television show. And went 20 minutes. And went 20 minutes. But it was a highlight among the dudes. I'll say this much. It's terrible in every way. But it does seem like they are actually trying to seek out women who are athletic, at least. Yeah. I think in another Diva Search competition, this Elizabeth Roofer would, would have done very well, maybe even won it. I think that just none of them could beat Ashley Massaro. Because Ashley was because, athletic enough and. Well, she appealed to a certain fan base. Well, and she just, she was likable. She came off like know, she wanted she, to be there and she was charismatic. Yeah, and but she, she appealed to a certain fan base at that time, which would, you know, was. A, was the good thing for her. Yeah, and, I mean, and but she wanted it. I mean, she when they were trying doing the fast tracking her, you know, with the barely any training or anything, she's living on Long Island. She was like, "Hey, can I go to NW NYWC and train on my off days?" There's <laughs> Steve Austin's future ex. <laughs> I mean, wearing maybe the she's wearing wearing maybe the skimpiest of all the the bikinis here too. I mean, it's an American flag bikini as well. I mean that looks like the type of bikini you would see on like MTV Spring Break bikini contest like fifteen years earlier. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm surprised she didn't fall out. Eh, maybe she's got her tape. The, but anyway, it, it's, it's it's yes, it's insane to see this. I mean, honestly, in some ways, it's seeing seeing the stuff like from last week because it's more recent is weirder. That there was like the bikini battle royal eleven years. Yeah, because ago. of the, the different. There was well, the main thing is because it was the the different body types of the women involved. 
but also because it's close, so much closer to the serious wrestling thing. You know, actually, yeah. well, well, the other thing, too, so... Okay, wait. 2005... Wait, did Trish retire yet, or is that a few months from now? Was that the previous year, or is that... Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Let me just check real quick. Retirement unfurred. <laughs> that Cameron doing jumping jacks is hilarious. <laughs> she, she is storkish. <laughs> She's a very tall girl. Oh, that was 06. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Just for further context, and then we'll move on. Um, Man, that girl got long legs. <laughs> so at this point, though, like, you have Tristratus as, like, the serious wrestler. <laughs> Actually, wait a second. Yeah, I just realized we're a few months removed from her and Mickey having a arguably show-stealing match at Mania. Or is that 06? And she's done the jump rope. Oh, no, wait, that's 06. That's 06. But still, it's in the middle of the Trish run that theoretically should be changing things, and it's not. Of course not. Which, and then things arguably even got worse after Trish left in the presentation, so. I like this with no last name. <laughs> Alright, so there you go. Anyway, we go from that to Renee Dupree beating Val Venus in 157 with his feet on the ropes. Mickey Mouse generic bodybuilder shows nothing special. They can't play an Ultimate Fighter commercials during this show, and they came off as a plausibly deniable fuck you. Noting in the commercials produced by Spike that wrestling isn't real and boxing isn't real anymore. <laughs> Dave's got a question mark there. And then Raw closed with the main event. Oh, Val comes out uh, with these. Uh, he's back doing the Val Venus classic gimmick, too, and the girls are fawning over him. Yes. Uh, Hogan. Yes. Hogan. Yes, hola chicas. Hello, ladies. Have you got Hogan the jab Michaels. yet, you piece of shit? <laughs> Hogan and Michaels beat Carlito and Kurt Angle on twelve thirty nine when Hogan picked Carlito up to a leg drop. Michaels sold most of the way, so the match was good. Hogan needs to call Superstar Billy Graham by the idea of doing a leg drop as a finisher on artificial hip. Hogan himself is gunshot because he deep down deep down knows that it's stupid, but is afraid to appear weak by not doing it. He could just use the axe bomber. Oh, yeah, I didn't even anyway, he has to get it over, though. But he, uh, go ahead. But anyway, we, th there's a much bigger story in this match. So at the end of the match, we get one of the more shocking moments in, of, the, of this era of WWE. So let's go to the clip. They want it! Yes, they want it, Hoster! Well, we need to do something not to get it! Here it comes! He honestly still got good height on it. Yeah, I probably didn't feel good. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect him almost to protect him, to, like to do just like the try to pick up one leg and then not really jump leg drop or jump as much leg drop. But no, he, it, it, it is kind of insane that this was his finish. <laughs> like, of all the moves I think people should not do anymore because for their own sake, it, it, it's the leg drop. Yeah.
Yeah, so on to the Minnesota Hogan. And guys, it was fun, and it was electric here tonight. They just stay here with Sean staring at him for another minute and a half. I don't remember. Keep it going. Let's see how it goes. Had this match even been rumored at all? No. Total shock. It was one of those rare times that you had the, uh, an angle like this happen and nobody knew it was coming. I mean, was it even known Hogan was doing a SummerSlam match? Um, I think it was. But I, if I, I mean, if I remember correctly, I, I just know I was in the Death Valley Driver chat room that night. When that happened, and everybody <laughs> and everybody was just losing their minds because they did not expect that to happen. One of those rare moments. Yeah, there is nothing out of sort until he hits the super kick at all. No, there's they no tease. They don't tell it at all. No. no. They, Sean, they, they focus on Hogan without Sean there. Sean's on the side, and then Hogan turns around, and there's super kick. Yeah. Yeah, there's n- nothing. So yeah, it's one of those rare endings and rare moments in, that we have in the internet era where nobody knows what's coming. And everybody thought five well, here's the thing. Everybody wants Sean to turn heel. Oh, and Since he does he, it for I mean, two months. Great. Okay. But he doesn't really he doesn't really turn heel. No. He's just a heel against Hogan. Yes. So anyway, let's read what Dave said. 
Michael Superkick is going to know where during his closing routine the place went silent. Really well done. The turn save what was otherwise not much of a show. Michaels had always turned down requests to go heal, citing religion. Dave's feeling that if Michaels is that tight with God, God probably did God probably did let him know they're trying to work with Hogan as a baby face. This is the right move. Hogan has himself all booked up for a nice run with dream matches with Michaels at SummerSlam and presumably Austin at Mania. Well. But yeah, I mean, this feud and it, it, you know, it revitalized Michaels because he was doing heel Sean stuff again. But again, he wasn't really a heel. He was a babyface, but just he heel against Hogan. Because after the Hogan feud, he's right back babyface again. And it, there's no, there's no really, if I remember, there's no real collaboration with either, any other heels. No. And then after he does the promo where he basically says he threw a fake match to Hogan without saying it. Yes. Then he's back to being babyface again. Yes. And he did a hell of a job making it look like he threw a fake match to Hulk Hogan. Oh, he sure did. But anyway, <laughs> from several internal sources, the told this organization when it comes to front office has never been worse. There are problems regarding talent and schedules, the lines of which nobody has ever seen on this company, and that includes people who have been there virtually from the beginning. The thought process, and this even comes from people who aren't fond of Jim Ross, is either Jim Ross is a lot better at this than he gets credit for, or the new regime with Tommy Dreamer and John Laurinaitis is in way over their heads. Um, I would say yes and yes. <laughs> well, at least they have enough time to uh, try to figure out how to book uh, ways for John Cena to fuck whichever women you want him to. <laughs> Yeah. That's the important part. In some people's minds. June 3rd, there was a joint show in Seoul, South Korea. We didn't get a crowd on that show. Joint is in Raw and SmackDown. Yes. Yes. July 1st, at the Satama Super Arena drew 9500 for a joint show. I know I was surprised because the advance was weak as they came back to the market so quickly. July 2nd was pushed to the bigger show of the two because Akabona was wrestling on the show. True, 12,500. The total game for the two shows, as I time was $2 million, so why not the business they have been doing, or private business, is still very profitable. Raw on the 4th in Sacramento drew 10000 total, with 8300 paid, and a $310,000 house, which is solid business considering the night, even with a double taping. Yeah, July 4th, yeah, 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 pretty good. All right, in Seoul, the Super Show Report is the best WWE event in Seoul to date. Edge pinned Kane after a briefcase shot. Paul London won a three-way Keith Cruiserweight title over Chavo and Fanaki, using the 450 on Fanaki. And so I was surprised Jericho beat Sean Benjamin clean with the walls of Jericho. Jericho was cheering in the match, even though he's a heel of TV now. Excuse me, this has been advertised ahead of time as an IC title match. Non-title. Big Show pin Carlito clean with a choke slam. Nothing was reversed by the IC title four after the match. Matt Morgan was there interfering. Sean Michaels, Chris Benoit, beat Muhammad Hassan and Davari when Michael spent Davari after a super kick. And no surprise, Tajiri pinned Orlando Jordan. Once again, the U.S. title was never referenced. Tajiri stood over in a spot he'd usually lose because the office likely thought he was Oriental, and you know how they are in the Orient. Or you see, you know they were in the Orient. <laughs> yeah? Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, Korea, Japan, they, they're all the same. Thanks, uh, Harry M. Smilak. 
Tajiri was a face, so he was cheered, but the reality is Koreans usually don't like Japanese. That is true. <laughs> I mean, it's worse the other way around, isn't it? Yes, yes. And remember, folks, people aren't Oriental. Things are. Yes. Well, goddamn, pal. Why did anyone tell me that before? <laughs> Uh, Rave Stereo, Pin, Eddie Guerrero, Springboard Ledge, Arnold Longer, a slow place, smash anything up to that point in the show. Undertaker picked Cardale at the Tombstone. Then we have Cena, Batista, over JBL, and Triple H. What was the first mini tab matches these four going to have? Fans boo JBL, but cheer Triple H. A funny story Cena was still for the match about Choi Hong Man had destroyed Tom Howard, Cena's original trainer in Japan recently. Cena enjoyed that he was glad because Howard gave him such a hard time. <laughs> Cena gave JBL the FU and Batista gave Triple H the spine buster for the double pin. Saitama in the first should have been interesting and people enjoyed every match. Second show didn't have every match good but had a couple of great matches and was considered a big success. Live reports were very, so it was very different than previous shows. Unlike the Americanized reactions of being easy for everything at the prior events, this was more of a Japanese style crowd where the crowd was quiet a lot but popped big when they were excited. The show went about four hours. Wow. And they did long Japanese-style matches. They had pretty much the same finishes as the night before. Satoshi Kojima was at the show and told reporters he thought it was great. Jeez, I wonder how many elbow drops to the cock there were. <laughs> that was one thing about these WWE shows in Japan was all the big-time Japanese pro wrestlers going there and being fans. Yes, and then <laughs> WWE.com would inevitably post a photo gallery where it would be someone with a top Japanese star, and it would be like... Carlito with a fan. <laughs> well, they were. Uh, Jericho worked to Bayface being shown clean with 16 minutes with the walls, and they held that to the match. Akabono was there as Big Show second against Carlito. Fans booed Akabono at first because they saw him as an intruder and a non authentic part of the show. However, Matt Morgan tried to interfere. Akabono gave him those sumo push chops to the chest. People cheered him. Ray B. Eddie in 27 15 of a good match. I don't care if an angle at 24-11 and what was it been the best match of the night. Fans cheer buff guys. Cena and Batista over Triple H, JBL, 1949. When Cena gave JBL the FU and Batista got Triple H the Demon Bomb, both of did a nice job and said they were clearly carrying both baby faces. Hmm. Then on July 2nd, we get Big Show and Akabono over Matt Morgan and Corlito. Show did a selling, of course. Akabono was cheered, but not to the level people expected. This is his first pro wrestling match in Japan. He did a match with Fast Eddie Vegas in Houston on the SmackDown before Mania. And they guess you could call his work sumo match with Big Show as a second bout. To show how bad Obono's standing when the mainstream has followed due to his losing to be measured in K1, he's gone from a legitimate national hero in Japan to where a poll this past week saw 83% of the sports fans responding saying, Here's hearing in WWE was a bad idea because they felt he was disgracing his name even more. Yikes. Akabono gave Carlito and Morgan the old Bonsai finisher and pin Morgan in 846. Okay. I completely forgot he did a pro wrestling rules match with Fast Eddie <laughs> on uh, on the go-home SmackDown going into the main area where he had the sumo match with Big Show. That's right. Huh. Do you think they should bring back Fast Eddie for the uh, blind draw <laughs> eliminator? Who are they going to team up with? Don Juan? George Weingroff still around? <laughs> That's the joke I made on Twitter about the blind eliminator picks. You're, you're behind. <laughs> uh, 
Paul London won a three-way travel on Fanaki. Fast Eddie's blind uh, for his cruiserweight title. Of course, Fanaki was a big crowd favorite here. Fanaki pinned Chavo, but London pinned Fanaki. Yes, we can't put the uh, Japanese wrestler over in Japan. Uh, Benoit beat Benjamin at 12.38 with a crossface and a great match. Tajiri pinned Hassan using the mist at 4.46, but the heels did a post-match beat on Tajiri. Undertaker, Kane, and Rey Mysterio beat Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, and Edge at 23.24. Guerrero was booed during the match, but the crowd chanted his name. The crowd chanted his name after the match. Angle was cheered throughout. Crowd chanted, "We want Mad during this match." <laughs> so the Matt Hardy fans were there. Finished with triple pinfall. Uh, I just lost a spot. Mysterio gave all three of six one nine. The Mysterio did a springboard and pin Eddie, while uh, Kane chose Sam Edge. Undertaker chose Sam Angle. Cena beat JBL in Orlando. Jordan a weak match of the two nights. JBL went for a belt shot, but wound up hitting Jordan. Cena pit JBL with the FU in 13:26. After the match, JBL challenged Ricky Steamboat to come into the ring, and Steamboat gave JBL a chop and chased him out of the ring. Also after the match, Cena invited referee Charles Robinson into the ring since it was his birthday. Since Robinson is a member of the No Drinking Brigade, and he took a lot of heat in WWE for being clean. And Dave Cena isn't much into drinking either. They end up drinking coffee together. Aw. Well, Cena would change, thanks, thanks to Ric Flair. Uh, the night before, Steamboat and Eddie teased something. Too bad we didn't get that one. Uh, Michael spent Jericho in 33-30 of an excellent match where Bookman was cheered. Jericho worked again as a babyface and even used Super K for a near fall. Main Miss Batista keeps on the street front of Triple H. Triple H had Batista spin for five with no ref. Triple H juiced again during the match. They shook hands to end the show together, though. How about that? Just respect. Oh, of course, he got a visual fall in Japan. Yes. All right. The angle throwing out the first pitch at the July 2nd Yokohama Bay Stars baseball game was not celebratory because on June 29th, Hitoshi Tamura was seriously injured when he wrapped his Porsche around the pole. Tamara, who has 21 home runs this season, injured his back and was doing rehab exercises. The July 2nd game was to be his first game back after two weeks, so he could meet his idol, Kurt Angle. The injuries were serious enough that every newspaper in the country had the story on the front page of the sports section. He's out now for the rest of the season. The reason Angle's contacted and there was a WWE presence in the game is because Tamara is a big Angle fan and uses Angle's music as his uh, walk-up music when it comes to bat. The team thought it'd be a Mick Coop promotional deal since Tamara's first came back coincided with Angle being in Japan and a day of a home game close enough that Angle could attend. Hmm. Well, that was great. That's great timing for that. And that was good. I mean, kudos to whoever was on the ball in WWE to realize that was a good opportunity. Yeah. Next, we got this story, which should shot no one. There's already major heat on Hoovy, which must come to a shot to everyone who reads this. Actually, a lot of it isn't his fault. It's really Vince's fault. Get ready. There was a major talent meeting on June 27th for the double tape in Anaheim with all the Raw SmackDown people. Vince came down on a lot of the wrestlers in general, although not by name. And that's what the first rumors of guys getting cut came out of. He then brought up how much he loved the Mexicals after the first week in the company because of what a breath of fresh air they were and how much energy they showed in their TV debut and from reports on the road. Well, they only done one house show match. And San Jose, by that point, he didn't make comments to the extent that others without naming names were phoning it in. 
It's, in addition, it's well known that John Laurinaitis loves Hoovy because he thinks he's hilarious with his accent and voice. Well, who also Hoovy's kind of his type. <laughs> so there is that Goldberg heat on him where some guys are so mature that they take out that manager that likes him on him. Of course, he only makes things worse with his being totally unaware of how he's perceived by others. Oh, it gets better. Bob Holly was pissed off at him for doing the Alabama Slam at a show without asking. And he also wanted to do a 450 and was told he couldn't. So he's getting heat for wanting to do other people's moves. The one thing that's guaranteed on Hoovy is as long as he's in the company, there will be continued stories because he always gets heat with wrestlers. There are stories every time he came to TNA to the point that the team, the team Mexico guys and Jerry Lynn almost forced the hand of TNA management not to use him, even though he always got over. At the same time, he's more talented in the ring than all but a few guys in the company. God uh... love Hoovy. <laughs> what a character. <laughs> Wait, but... We saw that how the Met schools were done on SmackDown. Obviously, Vince was scripting for them. Now we know why. He loves them. He loved them at this time. Make sure you hit the quite frankly. <laughs> oh, God. Why can't you be like these guys? Uh. That's something. And then who, of course, will fuck it all up. Here's probably one you'll ever want to know about this situation. The former wrestler that Matt Hardy claimed slash edge his tires a few months back to frame him was Jason Hart. Better known as Joey Abs in a mainstream policy when he's in WWE. The backstory on all this is Lori, who is Hardy's current girlfriend after the breakup with Amy Dumas, is an old girlfriend of Hardy's dating back to the early part of his career. Hardy and Arn had a falling out years ago when he moved in on her. It was actually written about in the Hardy's book when he talked about a falling out with a former good friend who was a wrestler over a girl. Anyway, when Hardy and Dumas broke up, she broke up with Arndt, and she and Hardy are back together. Apparently, when Arndt was contacted, if he slashed Edge's tires, he came Hardy did it, and so it goes. <sighs> Wrestling and relationships. Uh, I mean, I kind of feel like it, the fact that th finally it's more normalized is more likely to prevent this kind of thing. Obviously, if you have people cheating and stuff, it's you're still going to have problems. But, like, I hate to put it in these terms, but I think it's probably how people were thinking to a degree. <sighs> Having a relationship with someone that's on the road with you is probably seen as more something to be envious of and all that and almost at a premium here than it would be later. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I'm, I'm having a hard trouble verbalizing this, but it's like, I feel like... I feel like just because there are more people in relationships around everyone, there are probably... Uh, there would probably be enough good influences to let cooler heads prevail. Does that make sense? Yes. But we know how that goes. Yeah. But at this point, it's still kind of frowned upon, but not exactly, and... It's just, it's weird. Yeah. And also, they now, probably played yes. into what we were talking about earlier. They probably just eventually, I think, realized they had to give up the ghost on discouraging it. But it's also kind of obvious one of the reasons they discourage it is what we were talking about earlier. All right, now let's go to figure four weekly. We have more from the Rochelle Lewin interview 
That was actually part two of the anti-Randy Orton interview she gave a few weeks back. Here we go. Rochelle, who did bikini deals and the like, was appalled that Joy Giovanni would simulate sex with Tori Wilson in No Way Out pay-per-view. After all, Joy is a mother. That is not the way I think a lady should act, Rochelle proclaimed. She said when all the other girls stripped down and did lewd dances, she chose to tell jokes instead because she wasn't about to act like a whore. How the fuck did she hear about this contest? She had no idea what it was about. The flip side of that is, if men only want to see men up on stage wrestling, that makes me wonder, too. That really makes me wonder. For all you wrestlers and all you fans, I just want to see men up on stage. That's a little weird, guys. Boy, Rochelle oh, sure knows how boy. to make friends. Yeah, well, uh, but Rochelle sure knows how to make friends. She buried Amy Weber, saying she was the Antichrist and the female version of Randy Orton. <laughs> She told the story about the strip club flower Amy's picture on it from Japan and claimed they all went there and discovered that Amy did indeed work there. And not only that, she worked there as a whore. Earth to Rochelle. Amy lives in America. Japan is in Japan. Is she flying back and forth every night to work as a whore? Jesus, I thought that story had died. It was a stock photo, for fuck's sake. So anyway... Then Rochelle went off about how she, uh, what she did for Playboy was nothing compared to what Amy was doing. You know, working as a whore in Japan on her off days. So anyway, Amy got wind of this and emailed a response to the show. It read in part, as far as Rochelle Lewin is concerned, I could care less about what she has to say. They wanted to fight her ages ago because she was nothing but trouble and drama, but they felt she meant to sue them for the Randy Orton event on Raw. You know, they kept her on to appease her. She served no purpose. After how many months now? If she still upset she got no airtime, as I said by the fact I had no respect for her, let her simmer and be an idiot? I don't care. She has no future in Hollywood or anywhere else. She got a part in a milkshake spit on, spilled on her when she was thrown in my face by Joy as part of a pre-tape, even though she was told to step back. She was so concerned with getting her face on camera that she got too close to me, and she ended up with crap all over her. I thought it was hilarious. If you if you are warned and don't listen, they pay the price. This is a girl who's a waste of time. She's using all the wrestling outlets to promote herself. Anyone who knows me, truly knows me, understands who I am, and then I go to great lengths to have help people in my life. People can believe what they want, and if they want to believe a character like Rochelle, then so be it. <laughs> oh my God. Going to Japan on her off days to work as a whore. <laughs> I mean, this was like a year earlier that this story happened. And and <laughs> Amy Weber was able to explain and clearly prove pretty quickly that this was that this club or whatever the hell it was had just taken a photo of her to put on there, which I'm sure is a thing that happens all the time. All the time. All the time. Yeah, so, and it seems like Rochelle Lowen still really believed it. Oh my god. Well, I did Playboy. She's a whore. What an era in this company. Well, I mean, she was in the <laughs> Come Sucking Gutter Slut Challenge, as it was dubbed after the... Just the diva segment. Well, let's get let's get into another controversial situation, and stand with Brian I, Alvarez. I still can't believe that made air in the first place. <laughs> 
Lots of people aren't happy with the ECW DVD, which was released last Tuesday, after being rushed into production. The biggest gripe is the gripe people would have had if you had not ponied the money for Sandman's theme song for the live show. It wasn't there. That's right. They added a lame tune over for the DVD release, and worse, the editing made his pop come across as almost non-existent. Boy, these folks better get ready for what's coming up in the future. <laughs> the other major complaint was that all the swearing was in up the show. Well, the F-bombs, at least. The theme for the Dudleys was changed as well. Brian thinks the deal was they knew this DVD would be a hot seller, and getting the rights to use a Metallica song for one night was much cheaper than having to give them a split of the revenue for all future DVD sales. Which, hey, I mean, why do you think that Brian Danielson was using Final Countdown probably for one time? Because, you know, once you start having that stuff, you know, air again and again, I mean, that's more money. Well, no, 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 no. Well, so Tony licensed it with rights to do unlimited replays. That's not what I read. No, that's what he said. He said it's going to be on all the replays, but it's but it's so expensive that he was all, he only did it for the one match. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well. Okay. So there you go. One the one time. So it's not the same thing. When AEW has licensed songs, it's always allowed perpetual reuse. But the thing is, is I mean, going back just to this era, not all the time. Many men from Fifty Cent is only used once. No, but I'm saying it's on the replays. You can watch it on on AEW Plus and all that. It's not removed. Well, I'm just saying it's that one match, though. No, no, no. Right. My, I'm not talking about being used again and again in other matches. I'm talking about that he has the rights to use the song in any distribution of the video for AEW. All so of the stuff, whether the Tom Waits song for the Brody video, the, the all the various entrance music... It's able this to is why... re aired. Yeah. So it's not a one to one comparison. This is about this. Because the thing back then, especially, was like, you know, what did they call it? Like mechanical reproduction? The fact that you're selling a physical product with it is going to cost a lot more money than just airing it once on paper. Yes. So it's not the same thing. It's related, but it's not the same thing. Because if you what Tony did. It would with the AEW stuff, they'd be able to keep airing it with that. Different era, though. That wasn't the thing, probably. About well, because also it's streaming and it's different negotiations. So, yeah. The good news is most people seem to get a kick out of the J- JBL commentary. Yes, JBL wore a mic the whole time. He basically started drinking in the balcony and gets more and more hammered as the show goes on. Every time he sees Sabu, he says, Boy, that iron sheet's lost a lot of weight. Repeatedly refers to Mike Awesome as Mike Awful. Claims Masada Tanaka is, door, is doorman at least six times. Hey, drunk people like to repeat things a lot. Shouts, this is the main event. So <laughs> Tommy Dreamer comes out. Says, what's he looking for? Is a treadmill? When Sam goes in the ring. Well, actually, this is Orlando, who got in some good one-liners as well. To his JBO replies, or an oxygen tank? Which is funny coming from him. When the BWO came out, he remarked, and you wonder why they went out of business. Go home now, as Stevie giving his speech, calls Meanie a fat fuck with blue hair, and tells him to go find your porn star wife. JBL's behind the times a bit, also on Meanie. It looks like a donkey screwing a basketball, him being up there. Go donate your body to science, you fat, lowly, lowly pig. It looks like a blue-haired 800-pound Abe Lincoln. When Kid Cash hit the ring, he said, this is a carnival? When fans started chanting balls, he chanted along with them, according to Dr. Keith Lipinski. 
approximately 100 times. Saw us around and said, has anyone heard of the Atkins diet? Initially sees balls and axle and asks, who are the fat guys who came in? Keith knew this was funny because first two Johnny A suggested W the sign were balls and axles. <laughs> And in the best line ever, beg someone to run in so Mike Awesome can use one of his 93 finishers when he sees Lance <laughs> you can, you know, When he sees Lance Storm, you can hear the paint dry because the most boring man is your boring. Lance Storm could fill an arena if you gave free beer and free tickets. <laughs> they say he's retiring today. If a tree falls in the forest, no one cares. National Hockey League. No one cares. What does that hey, even mean? Falls... <laughs> He's Canadian. Hey, if a tree falls in the forest, sometimes I care. Particularly if, say, it falls on me. Which Brian notes, a tree fell on me once. Seriously. Another <laughs> story for another day. <laughs> also, you know what makes the Axel thing funnier? What? He worked with Axel and Global. He knows who Axel <laughs> is. <laughs> well, he knows who all these guys are. He's doing his gimmick. He's one of his 93 finishers. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so before we get into the... <laughs> I, need to watch, I need to find this. Because I've never seen the JBL commentary. I have not either. Um, I'm just curious if I Google it, if it's... JBL. That's wrong, JBL, I think. Um, it is on Daily Motion, at least the first 47 minutes of the show is. Uh, um, I mean, but, JBL in this era especially was a complete asshole, but he's entertaining. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a highlight video that's 12 minutes and change on Reddit. Um... <sighs> What was I saying, though? Oh, wait, or is this it? No, oh, this is a YouTube video. Okay. But we're not going to get into it because we're, you know, we're going I along. Know, I know, I know, but... Um, Good Lord. Because we got more to go. We're done. Oh, no, it's not up anymore. WWE blocked it on copyright grounds. So, yeah, the Daily Motion thing is probably the best place to go. Um, now, okay, does this give the meanie backstory, or do I need to explain that? Well, we're going into it. We're going into what happens now. All right. So this brings us to the latest on meanie and JBL. And boy, is this something else. Meany did an update on his blog and said he hadn't sued JBL. He only written that he was considering a lawsuit. And despite the fact he gave an interview to W.com, this whole thing between JBL and I is not a work. I know the age-old conspiracy theory, but it's not a work. A lot of people were surprised I gave an interview to W.com. To be honest, I really wasn't going to, but I had to feel I had to refute things I had heard JBL say. That's all. Do I regret doing it? No, because I think that article was a lot of things you can be the judge for for yourself. He said JBL was not working snug. He can't be considered working. It was a straight up assault. Wrestling is in many ways fraternity, but there were some codes that bind this business. The main and ultimate goal in this business is one word, trust. We go out there with a plain and simple guideline that I'm giving you my body and the trust that you will not purposely hurt me as, I, as you expect the same trust of me. I put that trust out there when I stepped in the ring and clearly violated. I wouldn't consider legal action if it had just been working tight. I wouldn't consider the legal action the three-fourths of the rest community wasn't telling me I should. So then, you'll never guess who only showed up, not only showed up for SmackDown Thursday night, but also showed up for a match with JBL. The Blue Meanie. You read that right. 
Brian C. Winky with a finish. This is what you'll be reading this online before the show takes place. And those of you reading the hard copy have already seen it. But it sounds to Brian like it was merely a way to A, build a feud between Batista and JBL, and B, make it so Meanie would not file a lawsuit. Brian did not think he'd be back as a long-term character. And if he's a regular pass next week, he'll be stunned. Brian does not believe the whole thing was a work. He believes Meanie is exactly what WWE thinks Matt Hardy is, a guy who, if they snap their fingers, will jump. They snapped. He jumped. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what can you say? I mean, look, I doubt it was in any interest for him to try to drag this out in court anyway. You know? But, and, 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 and you know, what happened to me was, you know, a fucked up situation. Absolutely. We talked about it on the show. How but, many, okay, you know, I mean, real quick, the backstory. I'm pretty sure we've done that week. But since the actual backstory is not here. Meanie had at some point in the few years prior to this called Bradshaw Bully in posts on Wrestling Classics. I forget if he got specific or told specific stories, but he was pretty vociferous about it. So, JBL, who is... We actually have not done One Night Stand. We did the week... We did three days after the pay-per-view, so we talked about it on that show, but we had not done one night stand as a show proper. But we did the aftermath for the nine the nine days after the show, basically three okay. three to nine days. We did the fifteenth to the twenty first. Okay. Um, where was I? So yeah, so when they do the big cluster at the end, where the NTCW guys come in and get beat up, uh. A drunken John Layfield basically shoot, shoot punched him in the back of the head and busted him up so bad he needed staples. I mean, it was, it was what basically what Meanie said. It was basically the assault. Yeah. Um, made worse by the fact that he was drunk. Um, yeah, exactly. And this is how it got rectified. And look, I mean, we can't talk about this without making it clear. Like, the two of them have made amends. Well, yeah, I mean, here's the past. Them, yes. And also, like, I'll just put it this way. John Layfield is a very different person now. I said John's changed a lot. John was a, John was a different dude back then. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. When Meany shows up on WWE television and just doing an angle with JBL, the court of public opinion has now made their decision. Yeah, but again, if he was able to get money out of it, you know, whatever. I know, but I'm saying... The court of public opinion has now made their decision on this. Realistically, though, it's like, what is he going to get out of actually doing a lawsuit? If he can actually get the money out of them and all that, then, like, you know what? Why not? Well, perception is, though, how serious are you about in the first place if you're not willing to fight for? End of the day, lawsuits are just money, though. That's the thing. But again, we're going down to perception. I don't know, I know, but it, it, it becomes an issue of, like, how much does having a court, you know, a jury or whatever rule this mean to you? And again, you know, taking stuff to trial and all that's expensive. So it's... It... It's about the fight. That's the thing, though, because when anything else, it's about the fight. Are you willing to fight for yourself, you know? So. All right. Uh... Let's continue on here. Let's go to Ohio Valley Wrestling here as they close out the WF section. All right, Stan Weekly. Jim Cornette had an outburst at the OVW tapings last week. 
Not sure what the deal was, but it might have something to do with Maria. WWE has wanted him to use her for some time in her airhead role, and he's put his foot down thus far. Her recent appearances on the show were due to his hiatus. It appeared the whole thing blew over and everything's okay. Brian was worried for several hours, though. <laughs> Alright, so there's another thing that, you know, they want they want him to use her in that role. So right. as soon as Paul takes over, he does. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's talked about this in interviews that, like, obviously they smoothed it over in later years because he used her and, you know, and Mike well in ROH. Yeah. But, like, I mean, from her perspective, he just went off on her because she was just some model being thrust on him. Yeah. All right, WWE on July 1st, six flashy 1,400 fans. The biggest crowd of the year so far as the Dudleys and Chris Cage beat the Tolans and Ken Anderson to match with the crowd that ECW channels so the Dudleys used the 3D and 1. If you saw TV, you know the match that drew the crowd was Eugene, Elijah Burke, and Brett Albright as Team OVW beat Bowling Services team of Mike Mondo, Blaster Lashley, and Ken Dome. And then when Eugene pinned Mondo after a rock bottom on people's elbow in the Kiss My Foot match. This is a mess up by Jim Cornish 20 minute promo when he turned on TV. Where Cornish hit Kenny Bolin with a tennis racket and also hit Mondo with the racket instead of Mondo getting pinned. Bolin had to kiss Cornish's foot after the match. The uh, 20 minute oh. promo was after he had been suspended over the thing where he lost it at uh, Kevin Fertig. He, uh, he was so enraged by the terrible month of TV that Tommy Dreamer booked that he basically cut a promo about it for 20 minutes on his first <laughs> show back. Yes. All right. Brian has more notes from the show. Nick Nemeth beat the Paul Burchill. <clears throat> Afterwards, as Burchill was living, leaving, he saw a woman with a child and said, that's the youngest baby I've ever seen. Burchill is potentially next Gene Stinsky, which may be saying more than calling someone the next Shawn Michaels. Nick Nemeth, of course, Dolph Ziggler. Chet the Jet beat Dean Fisk in a bad match. Johnny Jeter and Matt Capitelli beat The Beast and Osama. Of course, one actually wrote, the beast is huge and has a great look. Well, there's the one guy who thinks so. <laughs> Danny Inferno. <laughs> Shouldn't I explain who these people are? Yeah, the beast and Osama, yeah. Uh, that would be uh, Shad Gaspard and Armando Alejandro Estrada. Mm-hmm. Danny Inferno would be Aaron Stevens in their Lumberjack match. Probably nothing special, but they did a hell of a job building on TV. Then we had the Team OVW thing. Uh, Bowling had to kiss Cornish's feet. Dudley's a Chris Cage, Anderson, Tolan, and Tolan, the main event. And that's where Dennis Randy Orton be coming in for the next show in two weeks. Danny Doring's headed to OVW. And the former Primo Carnera III, who's in OVW, is being talked about the playing bodyguard for Muhammad Hassan. So we're going to have two Italians? <laughs> well, we all know what happens with that angle. Yeah, I know. I know. But. Oh my god, thank god the section is over after, uh, okay, I'm looking at the clock. Well, before I do any editing on it, we're coming in at about, uh, three hours, fifteen minutes. Well, let's go to halftime now. As, uh, we actually have time for halftime this week, shockingly enough. So after some great 2005 commercials, we have the halftime, where we'll, uh, Talk about the new Patreon show again, hit the plugs, and uh, then we'll come back for the second half of the show and our guest, as Kyle McKenna will be joining us. All that more after the break.
Me, the way so many fast food places mess with chicken by deep frying it and slathering it in batter. That's why I love Subway restaurants. Imagine, prepared fresh with your choice of fresh veggies and toppings on freshly baked bread. Now that's how chicken should be. Subway, eat fresh. Oh, this is horrible. Does Mama like what she sees? Yes, I do believe she does. Okay. Let's eat pizza. This is Pizza Club, so let's... Okay, I can't have pizza. It's incredible! I initially went to a university, a traditional four-year college, but uh, that wasn't for me. I ended up just making hamburgers across the street from campus. After a few years of handing out ketchup for a living, I heard an ad for ITT Tech on the radio, so it was like 2 in the morning, and I said, well, maybe I should give them a call and see what I can do there, so I did. I graduated valedictorian at ITT Tech uh, twice, uh, once for my associates and then for my bachelor's. When I started going to school, uh, one day my mother asked me, who are you and what have you done with my son? Today I maintain test equipment that's used for making military weapons for the government. I get a great sense of pride out of my job. Uh, I can't believe I got a chance like this. We are educators helping people build a foundation for the rest of their lives. ITT Technical Institute, education for the future. To find out more, call 1-800-829-8866. Get an education that can help you reach your goals. ITT Tech has information on financial aid programs for those who qualify. Call 1-800-829-8866 to apply. Thursday on Adult Swim. We were at the beach. Everybody had matching towels. Somebody went under a dock, and there they saw a rock. But it wasn't a rock. It was a rock lobster. Rock lobster. New Family Guy episodes, Thursdays at 11.30 on Adult Swim. Rock lobster. Digital Max showed me how simple it was to get the latest entertainment from Cox. Free high-def programming, local HD channels, and a digital video recorder, all built into my Cox digital cable. And all that cool stuff deserves a cool TV. Um, I've seen cooler. Cox Digital Cable, the simplest way to get the latest entertainment. Get a high-def DVR from Cox and watch your favorite HD shows on your schedule. A bite from a snake like this is excruciating and deadly. When I released the snake, she was puffing all the time. And I realized suddenly that she's actually very, very hot. So what I did, I decided to spray her with a bottle to actually cool her down a bit. And then suddenly she started drinking. Can you believe that? A wild animal like this drinking water from my hand. This is something really special. Get a kick out of your summer at Taekwondo Plus.
All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 2005 commercials. We've hit to the halftime segment of the show. We're being talking about a Patreon, patreon.com slash twin sheets. Of course, we did the hard plug at the beginning of the show, but yes, we have a new show up, part two of our look at Andrew McManus's WWA, where we'll talk about the pay-per-views and uh, other kinds of stuff that we talk about during the main plug during the show. And um, yeah, the a good way to end the, the two-part series there, and then we'll be starting uh, our new little series up in uh, in the June, or excuse me, in the July. We're in in June now, in the July, as we're starting, a, I guess, a two-part series, right, Bix? Probably. Two-part series that are look at uh, WCW and their racial discrimination lawsuits. So that should be quite the little deal there, as a. Uh, it won't be a whole lot of newsletter coverage, but still, it was a major story that we have talked about off and on for years doing this show, and now we're going to do an extensive look at the whole situation. I mean, there is a lot more newsletter stuff than I expected, you know, and, and we do also have the, uh, I dug it up on Wayback Machine, we have the, not just the excerpts from, of course, the Vince Russo interview that ends up coming up in the lawsuit on WrestleLine by Ben Miller, but also the extensive interview that he did with Sonny Ono and his lawyer, Carrie Ictor, after the lawsuit was filed. Yeah. So there's actually a lot more newsletter and newsletter-adjacent stuff than you'd expect. Some mainstream stuff that has some stuff you wouldn't have expected, too, but a little bit of everything in terms of sources on this one. Yeah, so that should be quite the shows coming up the next couple of months. Find all the monkeys for access to that, plus all the other shows that we've done in our almost seven complete years of the Patreon now. So, uh, yeah, a lot of audio for that $5. So we hope you donate $5 and then come back and put more $5 in so you can uh, listen to more audio. So do that, and uh, you should be very happy. Dollar Monkeys, your access to Discord, thanks to this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, uh, if you want to do that, make sure you have a couple of shows on your mind because the show that you may want us to do, maybe something that uh, we can't do for reasons being such as somebody may have that week on the calendar or already picked out, or it could be something we talked about already on this show and uh, that you may have forgotten about. Ask me or Bix about that, and we'll uh, get clarification. Let us know why you want to do the show. And uh, you do that, and we should be able to get your show on the air. Remember to follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get this information to us as well. Wednesday, it's usually on the timeline. Tenure rules in effect. Get this information in before 30 days. Do all that, and we should be good to go. $50 I send for seven of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. It's not mandatory, but it's a choice you can do. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, Bigs, who do we have to this week as our new and or returning patrons? Actually, real quick, I did want to mention, too, just so there's no confusion. When we say 30, at least 30 days, at least 30 days from when we'd be recording it. So a week, assume a week before it would be coming out. Because I don't know if we've made that clear enough in the past. And it seems like there's been some confusion over that. So I just wanted to get that in. But anyway. All right. We would like to thank Michael Martin. Thanks, Michael. Thomas Keenan. Thanks, Thomas. And Dr. Keith Lipinski. 
Thank you to the doctor and the good doctor, Dr. Keith, who we got to get back on the show in the near future. Try to get him on the show a couple of times uh, in recent months, but timing didn't work out that way. But we're going to try to get him back on very, very soon. So we thank all, all you new patrons, old patrons. Patrons have been there from the beginning. Left, came back. We thank everybody for being with us at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Dr. Keith also probably... Uh... A bit stressed right now from the uh, Chicago indie venue situation that's affecting AAW and others. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, but uh, yeah, Chicago didn't get enough wrestling. Yeah, now all of it's going to be at the Berwyn Eagles Club, basically. I mean, good lord, all the wrestling basically is put, t- holding residency there. Well, way, way, as much as they're running Chicago. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, on uh, another note here, let's talk about our streaming partners, Fight TV and IWTV. So, Vix, what do we got going on there this week? I guess we'll start with IWTV. And uh, I see Blitzkrieg Pro has a show coming up Friday at 7 Eastern that includes the main event of Andy Brown versus Anthony Henry, plus other matches like Anthony Green versus Lindsay Dorado. Uh, and Billy Starks versus Ava Everett. So that's a pretty nice looking show there. So look to what else we have. Uh, Saturday at 10 Eastern, West Coast Pro with Cruel Summer 2023. And that show includes Titus Alexander defending the West Coast Pro title against Vinny Massaro, Masa Slamovich defending the women's title. Against Trisha Dora. Jeff Cobb versus Alpha Zoe, replacing uh, Black Taurus, who uh, was pulled for uh, lucha political reasons. Shocking. Brian Keith versus Mao from DDT. And, you know, some new people who are being mixed in as far as, like, you know, West Coast regional people like Lights, Camera, Faction, and uh, folks like that. Uh, Nicole Savoy's back in a tag team match with uh, some of the women from Marvelous. And also, uh, Kevin Blackwood will be in action taking on Robert Martyr. So that looks like a typically good West Coast pro show. And then on Sunday at 3 Eastern, Beyond Wrestling has a show called Water, Water Everywhere. Which includes... What was the reason I made sure to mention this? Oh! Matt Mikowski versus Dan Barry, which I believe is going to be Matt's first match back from being out over a year with an injury. Hmm. Glad to see him back finally, because he was starting to be on quite the tear. Injury pun not intended uh, before he got hurt. And he's a very talented guy, so curious to see what uh, what he does and what kind of run he starts going on. Time is of the essence, but... That's what's coming up as far as live on IWTV. Oh, Alice Coughlin's in a match on the show, too. It doesn't say against who, but he's going to be there. So that's it as far as the upcoming live streams. I forgot to check if there was anything of note on VOD. But, uh, yeah, so if you're not already a subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv. Use code BTSPOD at checkout. And as long as you stay a paid subscriber, we will get a referral Fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv code BTS pod. 
Oh, you were expecting me to do the transition to fight? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you only do. I know, but I'm the one talking. I wanted a break to see if you would say anything. I have nothing to say in this segment right now. I don't watch any wrestling. <laughs> I, figured you'd just tran- I figured you'd say something to transition me over, at least. Yeah, you gotta give me a little something. Uh, they did put up some older uh, C4 shows, including one from 2014 with Matt Tremont versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Okay, that's a match. Uh, but anyway, so over on Fight Plus, should mention they've added a big archive of, like, uh, New Japan US shows that have been pay-per-views recently. So that's up there now. Um, first thing that's up, I need to actually check what the time is, but you can find it on GCW's Twitter. Uh, day after this comes out, Tuesday, July 4th, the, what is this? Wait. 2019, 2020, 2021, 2020. The, cause I don't think they took it off even 2020, right? So this is the fifth annual backyard wrestling, I believe. And, uh, that'll be on July 4th as always from a uh, mysterious backyard somewhere in the U.S. with various wrestlers, uh, often doing their backyard wrestler gimmicks. So that's coming up on Tuesday as usual. You know, on July 4th as usual, I should say. Now then on, okay, the timestamp on this must be wrong, because it says it's a live stream. Because it, it says 1 a.m., but it's the MLW show that's happening, unless they're not doing it live. No, okay. They appear to have the wrong start time, great. But the uh, <laughs> uh, Saturday night is the MLW show, which I guess is their first Fight TV premium live event. Which includes uh, Alex Hammerstone versus Alex Kane, Jacob Fatu versus Calvin Tankman, uh, the Samoan SWAT team of oh, Juicy Finau and which which Anawai family member is his partner? I forget. Against the Calling, Hot uh, Tracy Williams versus Timothy Thatcher, Delmi Exo uh, defending the MLW women's title. <coughs> Excuse me. Against Ava Everett's WXW women's title. Uh, Sam Adonis versus Mance Warner in a country whipping match. And more. Uh, oh, include, I, okay, so I don't know if they're going to show the TV taping matches. But it includes Microman in the main event. The New York main event. Against the FBI and the former Ricardo Rodriguez. Interesting. The FBI now being Little Guido and Ray Jazz. That's that's a match with wrestlers in it. So yeah, it says it says one a.m., but that's clearly wrong. I don't know why. It's their site is weird. It's a good streaming service. Their website is lacking. <laughs> but that's that. But GCW has on the ninth. So what day of the week is that? That is Sunday, I believe. Yes. Uh, yes. That says one a.m. too. So yeah, there's. There's something going on with it. Oh, it's... I never turned the VPN off earlier. That's why. <laughs> That's why it has the times all weird. Well, of the course. VPN's working so well, though, Chris. Isn't that great? I didn't even know. Yeah. yeah, we have to you know, we have to use that for the uh, WWE audio segments. Yes. So that'll be... Uh, okay, Saturday... Oh, yeah, so it's not the 9th, it's the 8th. Yeah, both of these are, so yeah, these are Saturday, the show in Hartford, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern for GCW. So yeah, also 8 p.m. Eastern for MLW. And the GCW show has, 
Sabu appearing, Nick Cage versus Psycho Clown, Blake Christian versus Richard Holiday, East West Express of Nick Wayne and uh, Jordan Oliver against Gringo Loco and Jack Hartwheel, Maximos against Wasted Youth, Cole Radrick versus John Wayne Murdoch, Effie in action, and more. So if you're not already a subscriber or you want to get a uh, Fight TV pay-per-view, go to tinyurl.com slash btsfight, that's B-T-S-F-I-T-E, and uh, just use that whenever you're ordering anything from Fight, and we'll get a referral fee from that. So tinyurl.com slash btsfite. Today's episode of Tweeting Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You can use incognito mode, your internet provider store in your browsing data, and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet source provider or network administrator. And with servers over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps, browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just running the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. And if you sign up private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about that, shall we? Offer you three packages as part of our deal. You can get the straight monthly package at $11.95 a month. You can get a yearly package which gets it down to $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year, or you can get the number one. You can get three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month, $79 for the first two years, yearly thereafter, 83% off, the best damn deal in the market. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you take advantage of private international 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. How do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to the 80s. Finally here, so we'll go back to 1988, and we'll be joined by our different Al Gats as we discuss, uh, among things, uh, the Great American Bash Review. In Baltimore, a very newsworthy show that was. So we'll have uh, that show plus stuff from the TV before it. It's mentioned in promos and stuff. And other news from the Jim Crow Promotion slash National Wrestling Alliance. We'll have uh, news from Japan, of course. We'll have uh, an interesting story from Europe to talk about, which could have changed the course of wrestling history. Let's leave it at that. Then we'll have uh, the territory results going on. We've got a lot of clips on the, in this section, of course. We've got Continental Television. Uh, we got USA Wrestling Television. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff going on there. There's some Memphis stuff, featuring Stud Stable. Possibly going to have World Class. Let's see uh, about that uh, with the network. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, a lot of stuff in, in the territory section. And then WWF, we'll talk about... Uh, Brother Love, Dave's uh, initial feelings on the Brother Love character, Owen Hart, working his first uh, house show run as the Blue Angel. We'll have that and a coronation on WF Television. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And uh, Dark Side of the Ring this week was on the Junkyard Dog 
And it was a pretty heavy show. And probably the best all-around episode they've done this season. Just everything all together is a complete package. That it was very well done. It didn't feel like much was missing. It gave you a good feel for what the person was like. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable assessment. Yes. Yeah, I mean you got, I mean you got a big name contemporaries from JYD. You got his nephew on there telling a lot of interesting family stories. You got the family background. And yeah, you, there's a lot of interesting stuff to get you into the mindset of what JYD was going through. And um, quite the episode. Quite the episode. So uh, if, you, if you haven't seen that yet, you need to check that out if you're a fan of the show because uh, it's one of the, the best ones they've done. And uh, it's just... It's a story to tell about how drug addiction just, you know, ruin somebody. And it, it, it ruined him. Right, and in this case, it's someone, I mean, similar to Candido in that sense, but, like, it's someone who everyone liked. No one really had a bad word to say about it. It's just, no. he had problems. Yeah, and, and, and for those, I mean, it wasn't a WWF thing. He had drug issues for him a WF. Yes. Well, before we went to WF. Yeah. So WF didn't turn into the drugs. He picked, he picked it up well before then and just enhanced itself in WF. But, uh, but yeah, um, really well done show. Yeah. And there's not a lot to talk about with this episode. The main thing that people were talking about coming out of it, which I don't think it's the first time it was said. It rings a bell. I think he said in previous interviews. Which was Teddy Long saying that JYD had told him, and this is a story, JYD had told other people, too, that the reason he left Mid-South, or decided to leave Mid-South for sure, was he had gotten the offer from WWF, wasn't sure yet if he was going, and the office had gotten wind of it, and he overheard Bill Watson Grizzly Smith talking about it. And that Bill Watts said something to the effect of, uh, you don't have anything to worry about. That N-word ain't leaving. Which Bill Watts denies. But I can see it. That's very possible. Now, just the thing with him sitting on the toilet in the stall and then just freely talking. Does it sound like a movie? Yes. Does it sound like a specific movie trading places? Yes. But I still think it's possible that the comment was made and either got back to him or he overheard it in some form. Yeah, it's very possible that that happened like that. I mean, I can either say say it did or it didn't. It's possible. But, um, I can understand why JYD would, I mean, why Bill Watts would think that. I mean, Bill Watts was like, I, I'm, I've why, made this Why man. you would think JYD is not going anywhere. Now you would use the N-word, obviously. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, why why JYD would leave? Why would he leave me? But the thing is, though, is in the in that era of '84, JYD is traveling more than he ever did. Too, JYD's working more in Crockett. He's working Florida. He's working uh, Georgia. He's, he's working everywhere. world That's class. World class, yeah. Yeah, he's going around the country. He's becoming a national deal. So even if JYD doesn't go to WF, 
he probably would have would have left Mid South as a regular guy. He probably still would go there and work, but he wouldn't be specifically Mid South. Now, granted, he had the truck issues and stuff too, but I mean, the other thing to me is, especially knowing knowing JYD's rep is a nice guy and stuff too. Him leaving without giving notice, I think, makes a lot more sense if he heard a comment or was told about a comment like that. Or it could be Vince saying, you have to, you have to do this. Which he did, but at times in that era, yes, but regardless, like, it's, I, it's, I mean, that, that, that's definitely plausible. plausible. That's definitely plausible as well that Vince told him, uh, yeah, you, yeah, we need you immediately. So, I mean, yeah, that's very possible. So, I mean, we'll probably never know the whole story with that. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. No episode next it, week. Well, this coming. Yeah. You know, week, this week. Yeah, no week, episode yeah. this Tuesday. Yes. Yes, and then uh, next week will be Adrian Adonis. Which... Which... Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, that is, there's no show on July 4th, because I see the 30th anniversary of his uh, death. Yep. And the beginning of the July 4th curse. Yeah, and we'll ha- and I don't think we have anything in the notes because the death is on the fourth, our week starts on the fifth, so we really don't have anything in the notes about the wreck. And I just didn't put nothing in there about it. But I mean, there there's a story in the notes, well, not in the notes, but in, in the newsletter, that if 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 Adonis hadn't have died, he was going to start stampede in August. There's also and that then, story and, that goes and around. People thought that was going to revitalize it, and that people thought that's going to revitalize his career. Well, there's also the story that maybe he didn't have a start date from Crockett, but like that he was basically told, you get back into being the old Adrian Adonis, we will hire you. Yeah, so he was going to go to Stampede. And you watch that late New Japan stuff of his. He hadn't lost all the weight, but he looked like the old Adrian Adonis. More than what he had looked like in a couple of years, yes. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah. Well, real quick. Got much else to say about that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So real quick. All right. So AEW, you know, Forbidden Door. If you haven't watched that show, go check that show out. Tremendous pay per view. Dance and Okada, tremendous match. Uh, Omega and Osprey, total spectacle. I mean, a little long, but total spectacle, crazy. And uh, BCC Elite, that whole deal. Wild stuff. So everybody go, everybody go check that stuff, check that that show out. But the story of the week, uh, as we record this, is the ratings coming in, and uh, yeah, uh, a steep drop. And what's interesting about it is you're coming off the pay per view, so you're coming off the pay per view. You would think that the TV show should be. Stable, at least stable, if not an increase. Right, and but the shocking thing is, and and we're, we're, I'm not making a direct correlation with this, but it's something that me and Bix looked at and talked about. It went up against repeats of The Price Is Right on CBS, and, and well, the, the Price I, Is Right in prime time, which I don't know, is that a series or a series of specials or yes, yeah, special deal, whatever, but. It, I mean, it, it did a, a pretty damn strong rating for the 18 to 49, and just the way it looked, it just it correlated with AEW and other shows 
falling in that rating. So I don't know what that means, but but again, TV ratings are so weird to look at now in some ways because you get some of these uh, swings that happens and yeah. some of these trends. That's weird, but AW losing that that much in one week and then a three year the biggest drop in a three year well, something like that. Well, not biggest drop in three years. Lowest lowest eighteen forty nine numbers. Lowest eighteen forty nine in three years. Um, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting to look at. Um, yeah, I don't think they've ever come close to dropping that much week over week because it was the the drop overall was in normal because the margin varies ten percent and they drop ten percent. So really, I mean, as a general rule for everyone, by the way, fluctuations within ten percent really don't mean anything. The thing was though was that week over week in eighteen to forty nine. Key demo, they dropped 28%, which I don't think they've ever come close to anything like that before in their regular time slot. Yeah, this is a, a weird thing. I mean, who knows? Who knows if this is going to become the norm or they're just going to bounce right back up again. I mean, AW has, has had these things where you get these weeks where you would think they would do this good rating and they don't do a good rating. And you get the weeks where you don't think they're going to do a good rating and ends up being way stronger than what you thought. So, I mean, it's a weird deal there, but they're in a spot now. I mean, they're in an interesting spot where, you know, we got Punk back. We got the Elite. We got, you know, that's the feud that everybody wants. They're not getting it. And it kind of makes me wonder if people are maybe resenting the product because they're not getting that feud or they know they won't get it. So I don't know if that plays a role in some of this with some certain, some section of fans. Um, it's just, it's, it's just interesting because I mean, look, I mean, their TV shows, they have pretty strong wrestling every week. So it's not a, a really a wrestling problem, but something is just not connecting. Yes. It's not connecting like WWE is connecting right now. Where Raw this week, as we're recording this, was with no bloodline. With well, not just bloodline. no bloodline, but very strong competition because the deciding game of the College World Series did like double what it had been doing and beat Raw, but Raw was still up a good amount. So, and and young men and yeah. women. And especially, well, even like they're except, skewing younger. I mean, they well, that's the thing that like I like. Well, you and I were talking about this. Like, obviously, keep your eye on the whatchamacallit, the you know, the most the eighteen forty nine. But right now, I mean, WWE is suddenly surging in eighteen to thirty four and twelve to thirty four in a way they have not been in a long time. Yep. And when you see. Just how anemic, especially in the summer, those numbers are for everything else. It's extra impressive. They're they're rolling right now, and um, I mean it's and yet it's I just thought, interesting to watch them. It's interesting to watch them do that while AEW is either you know just stays the course or to have a little increase here, a little decrease there. But then the week like this week where the Dynamite rating kind of, you know, fell uh, in a decent way, 
it just makes it stand out even more than if WWE wasn't doing the ratings they're doing right now. Still number three on cable, though, for the day. Dynamite. Of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the, the ranking, their ranking is usually right there always in that general area. Yeah. It all depends also, you know, when they were like fifth, that's when they were competing against NBA and Vanderpump Rules stuff. So you have you have the game, you have post game, you have Vanderpump, then you have post Vanderpump, and then you have you know AEW. Right. I mean, it, so you know, now they don't have that. But it's really not an exaggeration to say that you know, in, more so on cable, but SmackDown's not. Like most of the nights of the week, like the wrestling shows, but from both promotions, like relative to everything else on TV, are kind of carrying TV right now when there's no live sport. Like their numbers are far and away ahead of basically everything else. Well, the, you know, and then the reason would be is yeah, it's not real sports, of course, but it's live. It's it's live, exactly. It's live. Yeah. So, like, there's, and, I mean, there's and, the value right there. I'm curious to I'm curious to see how the fall season's going to go with television if we're still in the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. What are the networks going to do? About that, you know, that's another whole thing. Uh, oh no, yeah, we'll oh, see. And, and also, we should mention too that uh, by the by the time the show comes out, Showbuzz Daily is basically no more. Again. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting resource that's going away yeah, for reasons yeah. which they can't, which they won't really talk about. But they. They showed their hand a little bit more this time. It's still, it's fairly obvious that they lost their source. Um, they said they were going to go through the end of the week we're recording this, which they have been. The best suggestion I saw, which makes sense, some, whoever was sending them stuff is probably leaving their job. They probably were doing their transition to kind of extend it. They're probably starting the new job after the holiday weekend. And at this point, they just didn't want to hassle to find a new source. So the big question is, are we going to get these rankings and stuff anywhere? Because, like, we're still going to get wrestling ratings. You know, Brandon Thurston's always going to have him at WrestleNomics. Wade Keller gets them fairly often. Dave Meltzer gets them fairly often, but not always right away. Like, he's not posting them, like, you know, every afternoon or anything. But he, you know, we can tell from what's in the Observer that he is getting stuff that other people aren't getting. So there's going to be the wrestling ratings, but we're, unless someone else steps up and, you know, like, you know, Programming Insider right now only has network stuff. Uh, Spoiler TV, their original reporting appears to only be network. Uh, because their cable stuff appears to be sourced from Showbiz Daily. Like, there's no one right now who will be giving us all that comparative insight we've been getting, you know, from Showbuzz and previously TV by the numbers. So hopefully someone fills that gap, but fingers crossed. Yeah, but either way, I mean, it's AEW's got a lot of major shows coming up. So that's one thing that they have to look forward to, but uh, it's going to be interesting. Definitely be interesting. So uh, this is the summer's just getting started. So uh, we got big shows coming from from both major companies, and uh, interesting TV climate. 
So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, anyway, Kai is waiting on us, so let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, well, let's start the second half of the show now, and we have our guests with us. As we are joined by a second-time guest now, I'm glad to have her back on the show, our dear friend, bringing the little witchy magic, Kaya McKenna. Kaya, welcome back. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me come back again. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. One-time listener at this point, so it's always really awesome when I get the opportunity con- to contribute a little bit here and there. Yeah, these 2,000 shows... Uh, opens up more of a guest spectrum and uh definitely glad to have you back with us as uh yeah this is an interesting time in wrestling history god knows we just had a humongous we section but now we're just uh going to the international scene now and uh this is a an, an era in japan where noah's pretty much riding high um dragon's gate starting to become a bigger deal but new japan pro wrestling where we start off is going down womp womp their new tour opened up on june 30th built around the new japan versus blatt new japan feud is the main program they they ran july 1st at cork and hall and only drew 1142 fans which is crazy because this is around the same time that like noah and zero one are drawing like fifteen thousand fans at some of their shows just for context, I had to look up and see that because I was curious because that number was so low. I wanted to see what other people were doing by comparison, and that blew well, my mind. It's because New Japan had pissed off a lot of their fans. Well, Anoki, you know, in, in, in his dealings, pissed off a lot of the New Japan hardcore fans. And, and the Anoki era, Anokiism era in New Japan had a lot of similarities to the era we just came off of in WWE with Vince. When Vince was so hands-on, you know, in the COVID era, that uh, it turned a lot of fans off. And Enochianism turned a lot of New Japan fans off, and they're in a rut for quite a few years. Even though they got some great talent, and they're, they're, they're doing some interesting things, but the perception of the promotion just... It just wasn't there. And then the thing is, though, they were ahead of the curve because the perception of pro wrestling Japan in general, in general, is about to really start dropping as the decade goes on. Yeah. And sorry, I said I sometimes wonder if that perception was affected at all by them sending Nagata to do those MMA fights. Like it absolutely was. Yes. That's that's (laughs) one of the early early catalysts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He was like their top guy for a minute. So. Yeah, so that's one nearly catalyst, but MMA in general basically yeah. hurt the perception of pro wrestling in Japan, you know, in a big way. But go ahead, Bix, what were you going to say? Just for context, because I think, I mean, I thought I had the year right. They end up getting bought by Ukes in November of 05. So they're about to get bought out. Yeah. Which <laughs> at the time was an interesting situation. But it but, made uh, sense because they had the video games and those yeah. were a big deal for them and they wanted to protect the license. And then, of course, they don't really get to put out much in the way of games. Well, the games they do put out are the Wrestle Kingdom games, which are multi-promotion, but, you know, based on the then new branding for the Dome shows. But 
after a couple, I think it was WWE basically cracking down to be like, hey, THQ, we can't have your developer making other wrestling games. Because I think Yuke's also, I think they also developed Rumble Roses. I don't think they just did the New Japan and Wrestle Kingdom games. So the reason they ended up buying New Japan ends up becoming moot. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about New Japan. We got uh, one show before the Corican show, their tour opener at Jewetsu Region Plaza in Niigata in front of 3,000 fans. Not bad, on June 30th. We have uh, Nofumi Yamamoto, the future Yoshitatsu in the opener, over Hiroshi Nagao. Hiroki Goto over Yujiro Takahashi at this time. He hasn't dropped his last name yet. Yutaka Yoshie over Testoshi Goto. And Masuki Naruse over Togi Makabe and Toru Yano. We have the junior elimination match as Koji Kanemoto, Tiger Mask 4, El Samurai, and Masuzo Kakihara defeated Justina Liger, Minoru Tanaka, Jado, and Gato. And then two out of three falls Hiroshi Tenzan, Osamu Nishimura, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Rich Tanahashi over Masuyo Chono, Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi, and Black Strong Machine in 2742. And then we go to Korkin. What a match to lead off the show, though. Alexander Otsuka, the Diet Butcher, beat Yujiro Takahashi in your opener. Then beef, beef over Rushi Yanagasawa. And then we had the New Japan versus Black New Japan uh, six open weight tag series here. We had Shinsuke Nakamura and Coach Kanemoto over Yuji Nagata and Jado. Hiro Saito and Yutaki Oshie over Togi Makabe and Minoru Tanaka. Toriano and Yushin Liger over Takashi Azuka and Masuyo Takahara. Minabu Nakanishi and Hiroki Goto over Asami Nishimura and El Samurai. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tiger Mask 4 over Black Straw Machine and Ghetto. And then Masio Chono and Dick Mania, Dick Togo, over Hiroshi Tenzan and Fumiyomoto. So we got Otsuka and Dick Togo on the Cork and Hall show, which is cool. And, um, I mean, yeah, you know, it's an interesting looking show. Got a nice little concept here, but again... <laughs> that perception is kicking their ass. Yeah. Was Otsuka doing regular shots at all? I don't remember this. No. No, he was not. This is just he a was, weird he, one-off. He was just around. You know, I mean, he, he was doing different things in different places at this time. Cause, I mean, there's no battle arts. Um, you this know, is the other during battle- their period where they're just not running shows at all. Exactly, yeah. And uh, he just is doing different stuff. Um Trying to see where else he wears 2005. Uh, he wears Real Japan, which has started up. Big Mouth Loud, naturally. And there is a one Battle Arts match. There's a show at the end of the year. Uh, for a Battle Arts show on December 18th. Uh, he, he works three New Japan matches. This is his third one. He had, he had uh, faced Minoru Suzuki at the Tokyo Dome on May 14th. And he had lost to Masiko Katakahara at Cork on May 29th. So this is his third New Japan match in okay. 2005. Those sound pretty interesting, though. And he wears, uh, he wears a match again in 2006 in New Japan. Uh, him and Takashi Azuka in December uh, teamed up to beat Yamoto and Takashi Wano. 2006, he wears a lot of places. Yeah. So he's just bouncing around. I was not watching New Japan much in this era. I mean, the main, the main Japanese promotion I'm watching with any regularity is Noah. And that's pretty much most of the Western fans. <laughs> that's yeah. that's but, what I remember more specifically is just the the the, the grasp Noah had. 
But you know, a lot of that is because that's what the the beloved promotion in the newsletters was Noah. So in this time yeah. period, a um, lot of the newsletter readers are, you know, kind of sheepish in ways. So they're going to follow along to what you know what Dave's recommending, and if this is what he's recommending, they're going to watch it. Well, in New Japan, being voted the worst promotion in the Observer probably didn't help with that. Perception. No. <laughs> No, that did not. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't. But yeah, Noah was the was the, the popular favorite. If there was mm-hmm. a forbidden door today, uh, AEW uh, probably working with Noah. Yes. If it was two thousand two a two thousand and five version of AEW, you know, Ring of Honor worked with Noah. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> well, and <laughs> there you go. And it's around this time too. I forget exactly when it started. That Noah starts doing the English DVDs that they sell through their website and through ROH. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing too that Noah had that we talked about in the show before is they had a very strong uh, grassroots fan base in England. Yes, because of well, the wrestling channel. Well, that and you know Mochatra, you know, being a prominent voice of that fan base, and um, Adam Swift. Having his DVD subscription service. Yes, uh, later uh, Access TV's Adam Swift. Yeah, so you could subscribe to his DVD service and get the weekly television on a on a regular basis. Yeah, just yeah. For those who don't know, like the guy who was responsible for getting New Japan on Access TV is a former tape and DVD trader who had a Japanese wrestling DVD subscription. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, speaking of Noah, they ran Differariake, their uh, home building on July 2nd in front of 1,800 fans. We have Kishin Kawabata of Haruka Egan in your opener. Scorpio, Rick Steiner, and Low Key. That's right. Tuko, Scorpio, Rick Steiner, and Low Key beat Akito Saito, Masato Noe, and Mitsuo Momoda. I mean, that's a weird trio, but it's also like, who are the three foreigners in Noah at this point who are most likely to yeah. concuss their opponents? <laughs> Yeah, three of the biggest dicks in wrestling. One, literally. And then you have Akira Tawe and Michael Mata over Takuma Sano and Donovan Morgan. Yeah. Yoshinobu Konamaru and Takashi Segura over Kenta and Kuro Suzuki. Takeshi Rikyu, Mahamione, and Takeshi Morishima over Mitsuo Misawa, Yoshinara Gawa, and Richard Slinger. Kurakabashi and Shosh Kikuchi over Tomon Honda and Goshi Ozaki in 21.55. And then our main event, Junakayama, Makorohashi, and Suwa. Over Minoru Suzuki, Domichi Marafuji, and Ricky Marvin. Nice show here. Nice looking show here. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Bix. No, you go ahead. I was going to say it's it's a nice show, especially getting ready to go into the Destiny pay-per-view, which is such a big deal, right? So. And another thing, too, is everybody's pretty much here. <laughs> you yep. know, all the big names are working. Yep. Yes. Always a plus. Yeah. And – this also shows one of the things that I loved about Noah in this era and what made it so enjoyable to watch show to show is that, you know, if you're following them beyond like the Budokans and the other major shows, the whole roster mixes it up with each other. You know, like you have the juniors and the heavyweights mixing it up in tags, but from across like different tiers on the card, you know, like a, a New Japan or an All Japan would not have, like, the equivalent of, you know, Ricky Marvin teaming with Marfuji Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. 
Yeah, Noah was was very good about that, and a lot of that is, uh, you know, Masawa's vision of how his, you know, it should have been. Basically, like his resistance to the Baba vision of the very yeah. clear tiered. These guys don't necessarily wrestle these guys outside of a tournament structure. Well, wh- why is that? Because Masawa was a junior heavyweight. <laughs> I mean, for all those years, he was a junior heavyweight. So of course, he's going to have. You know, simpatico to these guys. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about it, like, as far as, like, how their careers impacted their booking, I mean, I, I guess Ghetto and, you know, Jado, when he was more involved in the booking, do you have a strong junior heavyweight division? But with Masawa, it feels like more like what happened to him is more things he wants to rectify with his booking. Whereas with Ghetto, like, a lot of his booking goes against what you'd expect him to do based on his wrestling career. Like, you know, that there's no strong tag team divisions most of the time, for example. Whereas you'd expect that to be a huge priority for someone like him. And as a wrestler, Kai, I mean, when you have somebody that's, you know, may have this chip on their shoulder of how they've been treated in the past, and then they get in the position where they're either running a promotion, any promotion these days, or booking any promotion, either or. I mean, they're going to remember, you know, their past and try to either re- resolve that their own way and that and, and their booking, or you know, just try to make sure that it doesn't happen for other people. I mean, you would hope to think that that's how it goes, right? Like, yeah. leave the place. And you found it. Don't give people the same not so great experiences that you may have had along the way. But I feel like for every person that takes it and changes things or does things for the better, there are plenty of people that never learn that lesson, right? So that's why I have history repeating itself in wrestling quite often. Well, that's that you know, I mean, that's like in real life, you know. Yeah. I, I hear you know you hear these folks that say, "I'm not going to be like my parents if they're um, raised up in sure. a certain way." And then they're exactly like their parents. That's how it goes. Yeah. That's how it goes. All right, let's go to DDT. Let's head to the indie scene. They ran Cork and Hall and Drew Morton New Japan did. 1,338 fans on June 28th. We have Tomiko Hashimoto over Toshi, all caps. Then we have a battle royal for the Iron Man heavy metal title. Cherry won the battle royal over the bloody... Gorgeous Matsuno, Keiko Saito, Maru, Toshimatsu, Yuki Miyazaki, and Yumioka. And yes, Gorgeous Matsuno is the only man in the match. Then uh, Yuki Miyazaki beat Cherry to win the title. Then he retained it over to Suyakota. <laughs> oh, that Iron Man title. Havana Guerrero and Rick Cubano then beat Daichi Kakamoto and Kodobushi. Then we had the death match. Poison Sawana, Akiyomi Nita, Osamu Namaguchi, and Jun Inamata over Danshoko Dino, Yusuke Nakuma, Muscle Sakai, and The Mummy. And then we had the KOD tag titles, Samuro Hashi and Tanamasaka Toba, retained over Shuichi Ichimiya and Fatoshi Miwa. That's a comedy team. Then we had a no-DQ match as Torowashi and Shogo Takagi beat Mikami, all caps, and Hiro, all caps, exclamation mark. And our main event... KOD openweight title, the president, Sancho Takagi, retained over Kudo. So, uh, yes, a very 2005 DDT show here. And, 
you've got the, the ex uh, Toriman guys here, Owashi and Takagi, mixing it up. You got the, the ladies on the show. You got all your wild and crazy gimmicks. So, uh, yeah, DDT drawing 200 more fans in, in New Japan at Cork and all. Yeah, it's slow and steady, but you can see them starting to really carve out their slice of the market. Well, here's the thing with DDT at this time. You know, you know how Kota Ibushi blew up and became this big star? That's what Kudo was supposed to be. He never made it to that 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 tier, but that's what Kudo Kudo was supposed to become. This next generation guy. That's yeah. Interesting. And I feel yep. like Mikami probably in a different era would have blown up more and probably been a bigger deal outside of DDT. Well, he was but, but this time he was older. Um more broke down. You know, early 2000s, yeah, Mikami was amazing. But uh, even by 2005 standards, he's already starting to break down a little bit. He, I mean, he's like his, you know, American uh, counterpart, Jeff Hardy, physically in ways, you yeah. know. And I'm curious to check just because I feel like it helps chart the development of DDT and how big a company they were. So, OK, so the first year that they do wrestle Peter Pan at a you know running a big arena which was at sumo hall was 2009 so we're getting there we're a few years away yeah i mean it takes it takes coda starting to blow up and then omega coming in and blowing up and yeah it takes it takes some 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 time and stuff like that but yeah i mean this is early still early uh ddt yes well the thing that always made ddt so interesting (laughs) is that wrestling has trends where it's either like more rooted in amateur wrestling and technical wrestling, or then maybe it's a little bit more spotty at times and that fluctuates. But DDT has always kind of been the quintessential variety show of professional wrestling, right? Where you get all the flavors of ice cream you get in one little box, right? The sampler. And I think in, a, in a way, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, where you, you might have like other cards where it's just like, men having singles matches here you have women you have death match you have tag match you have singles you have um iron man's like there's everything right like it's not just like boxed in cookie cutter pro wrestling card and it never has been and i and think that's part of the appeal for a lot of people and where ddt came you know got their most fame in the 2000s was the wild and craziness yep. the the ichimia stuff dino blowing up big time on the mm-hmm. internet, you know, um, Mecha Mummy, uh, all that type of stuff, the the blow-up dolls, um, you know, stuff like that. Of course, Rio, you know, wrestling at a young age, um, all that stuff, that's what DDT became known for on, in America was the wild and craziness, but there was some really good wrestling on those yeah. shows. Yeah. It had all the parts. Yeah, you know, honestly, it was probably an underrated factor in them getting more of a Western fandom too, and maybe even might have helped in Japan. The Fire Pro Wrestling games and having, you know, well, with whatever fake name they gave, but having Dino doing all the Dino stuff and things like that, like it jumped out at people, like, who and what is this? Yeah, it, it definitely it it, it grabs you, and then. Once you start watching, like, okay, there's more in this than what I thought. So yeah. there you go. And on top of the creative and the wrestling, too, like, you know, before we move on, just real quick, like, 
one of the things that also probably helped them grow more than, I mean, I say probably, of course it did, than other smaller indies, because people need to remember, too, DDT was not like a Michinoku Pro FMG no. whatever level indie, or even, you know, an earlier IWA Japan or wing level indie. They were a tiny indie. But the thing is, unlike a lot of indie promoters, Takagi always ran that thing like a business. Yeah, and they and they would, you know, they had the right uh, hookups at times. Like I mean, New Japan had DDT offer matches on shows in two thousand and two. I mean, there was there was that stuff going on where the talent was out there working other promotions as well. So they they, they became like a little cult favorite, absolutely, and then blew up. All right, well, Dragon's Gate. They, if it's not Noah, they're the most popular promotion among the Western fans, and they're getting pretty popular in Japan too. They ran their biggest show ever on July 3rd at Kobe War Memorial Hall, drawing a set of 7,500 fans, bringing in Kensuke Sasaki and Tenru Genichiro. They were third from the top with Tenru and Magnum Tokyo, losing to Sasaki and Kasuka Nakajima in 1534 when Sasaki pinned Tokyo after a nice bomb. They created the new singles and trios titles on the show. The singles belt called the Open the Dream Gate title went to Masaki Mushizuki as he pinned outsider Takamichinoku in 25-25 with a high kick. And the trios titles were called the Open the Triangle Gate, where second Dai 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 Don Fuji and Shima defeated Genki Horiguchi, Dragon King, and Ryo Saida. Antonio Pena was at the show trying to further business relationships as well as a working relationship with this group since Shima were triple mania. All right, let's go down the lineup here. Akira Tozawa, the last match of his 10-match trial series, lost to Kenichiro Arai. Then we have Susumi Yokozuka, Kness, and Kenichiro Arai over Anthony W. Mori, Super Shisa, and BB Hulk. Io del Iwasanto in Michi Mascaras over the Florida Brothers. Of course, uh, Iwasanto is Takamichi Iwasa, and Michi Mascaras is Raimu Mishima, Daniel Mishima. And then the Florida brothers, of course, Johnson and Jackson, Florida. Then you have Shingo Takagi and Masato Yoshino over Yuji Hino and Super X of K-Dojo's new standard faction. Manitou Kishawada, also known as Big Boss Magma, and other places over Noki Tanizaki. Then we had Kensuke and Nagajima over Tenru in Tokyo. Shima Fuji and Doi over Drenkin Ryo and Horikuchi. And then Masaki Mukizuki over Taka in the main event. And I remember watching this show, and it is a really, really freaking good show. Really, really freaking good. Tenru, Tenru mixing it up with this bunch. Sasaki. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you would expect watching this stuff. Yeah, I've never seen this one. I don't think. I'm I'm hoping it's on Dragon Gate Live though, because that, that... I would think so. It's a major show yeah. in the history. Yes, yes. I don't know if they're doing like strict chronological and all the older stuff though, or if they've added more or what. But yeah, this promotion had so much, uh, you know, ba- uh, backing by the the Western fans. That I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, Noah's number one. This is right there, at number two, and uh, yeah, all all these all these guys are just tremendous workers. And that's the one thing about this show. I mean, you knew when you watched the Dragon Gate show, you're gonna see a lot of great wrestling, high flying wrestling, and comedy. Yes. So uh, yeah, 
Always love the Dragon Gate stuff. Torimon, all that stuff. I really like some of those um, Dragon Door shows that you can even find. Oh, the, yeah. On the um, the online archive, the, the Pro archive or whatever it's called. It always blows my mind that they have those leading into this mid-2000s era of Dragon Gate and what came in between and after and before Dragon Gate USA really came into play. Yeah, and you have all the like the uh, the the uh, Ultimo affiliated promotions that mm-hmm. pop up on the side. So yes, I mean that's where Ichimori came from. There's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. Um, you know, in the Dragon System family in the in the mid to late 2000s. Well, yeah, I mean, and, um, also like one of my. I know it's not in the Dragon System, but I have always had a really soft spot for El Dorado. It, it, like, it actually is. <laughs> it is. I thought it was supposed to, like I thought that the whole point of El Dorado was it was an alternative to all the dragon system promotions. I mean it's it, there 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 is a lineage there, um, so to speak. Um yeah. I mean all it all comes from the same pond to an extent, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's you know, Dragon Door was the, was before that, but I mean, still, they all come from that family, you know, because yeah. you look at Kondo and Yashi and Awashi and Takagi and those guys, they all, I mean, TGP guys. Yeah. No, of course. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're the, they were the alternative to Dragon Gate. Yes, absolutely. But they're all from the same family. Just, you know, how, fam- you know, families drift apart and have uh, issues and, uh, <laughs> That's what this is, you know. It was way. like it was their version. They were branching out from the dragon system. Would that be a better way to? Well, there was a lot of political issues, and still, and still to this day, you know that happens. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens with uh, with talent and in, uh, in, in, in the office and in, in that world in the dragon system world. Been going on for over twenty years now. <laughs> it's crazy. We're different people, not the same people in charge. This is really weird how that goes. I mean, that's just wrestling, though, at this it point. It's wrestling. Right? <laughs> it's wrestling. Yeah, it's wrestling. Yeah. Ricky Pro, Ricky Choshu's uh, indie outfit he's running at the time. They ran a soccer professional gym number two on July 4th in front of 1478. We have Takashi Yuano over Katsumato Inoue. Ichiro Yaguchi over Shinjuku Same. Jun Kasai over Asian Cougar. Shiro Koshinaka over Daisuke Sakamoto. Hmm. Barbara board death match. Mama Sasaki and Ryuji Ito over Hentaro and Takashi Sasaki. And their main event, Riki Choshu and Tomohiro Ishii over Bad Boy Hito and Tetsuro Kuroda. Hmm. So we got Choshu and uh, and all these guys. <laughs> this was a different, uh, another era here where you got Choshu, you got Koshinaka, you know, you got these guys that. These guys has been around for a long time, mixing it up with the indie scum, <laughs> <laughs> indie schmucks. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And these are guys like the you got your Apache Army guys, your Big Japan guys, just random freelancers. That's the one thing about this era of Japanese wrestling that I did love was seeing that mix. That would come about when you had guys like Choshu and stuff that are legends and guys that have, you know, been around forever, mixing it up with these type of guys. Yeah. 
So that is cool. But people weren't as like boxed into their one place, right? Like you could move more freely within the system. Well, a lot of it too is, I mean, you get to a point where with like Choshu that you didn't have the greatest relationships at a time with different promotions. So you pretty much have to work with who you can work with. Oh, people in wrestling not getting along. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that works, isn't it? (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Wrestling. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Zero One Max, Komagani City Gym on July 2nd from the 1200 fans. We have Okoto Adaka over Samanamaguchi. Buck Faith, he's an Aussie. I remember him. And Scorpion over Fugo Fugo Yumeji and Sumi Sakai. Ruj Sai over Riku Yafudo. Three way dance, Tetsu Takiwa over Kamikaze and Mano Fujita. Masato Tanaka over Yoshiro Sasaki. And then Takamori and Shinjiro Tani over Rowdy. Koisato and Hirotaka Yokoi. Interesting main event. Yeah. I always feel like. Hidaka doesn't get the credit he deserves for being as influential as he was especially like this weekend I'm like laying in the ring selling watching a girl give another girl a sliced bread and I'm like I wonder if she knows who Akuda Hidaka is just a fleeting thought that crossed my mind in the middle of a match Hidaka was a guy who was like you know one of the American online darlings for a while and Mm -hmm. then his time passed and people moved on to the next one. Before time there, I mean, he was uh, he was a hell of a damn talent, man. One of the best in the business. Absolutely. Tremendous performer. Tremendous performer. All right, Bix. I know this is your, the highlight of your segment. Oh, yeah. The one Joshi promotion we have results for is Neo. Aww. Neo Ladies Protests. They ran Corkin Hall July 3rd and, and drew 844 fans. So don't feel bad, New Japan. They had an Iron Man heavyweight title match as uh, Yuki Miyazaki retained over DJ Nira in the opener in 18 seconds. They're still outdrawing most American indies currently. <laughs> when I look at these numbers, it's like, oh, 844, that's nobody. And it's like, yeah, like most indies are pressed to get 200 people in the gate these days. So yeah. I'd take 844. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so it's a Joshi show at Corgan, so it's probably at like noon on Friday or yeah. Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's this era of Joshi, likely. too. Yes, because, okay, I'm assuming All Japan Women is closed. Has Gaia closed yet by July? There's no results for I mean, the only Joshi show I have that results for during the week was this show, basically. I think there was All Japan, like All Japan random show. But this was only show like substance. I'm checking. Uh, okay, Gaia closed in April. All Japan women closed what what month? Searching 2005. April. Oh God! So both of them closed in April. Wow. Huh. And then A to Z closes in 06. I'd I'd love to know. There has to be something more going on though. That the two top women's promotions close the same month, and then one the bigger of the remaining ones closes the following year. I don't know, but let's get back to Neo because I know you're trying to avoid it. Uh, Yukashina, Kyoko Kimura, and Nasuki Head over Yuka Nakamura, Shiharu, and Moika Harui. Etskomita over Mirai. Then Shiharu beat Yuki Miyazaki to win the Iron Man title. Then Yamatsuran. Toshiyamatsu and Ranyu Yu over Neo Machine Guns, Teddy Mouse, and Yuki Miyazaki. Oh, oh, here we go. 
Yoshika Tamara and Yumi Hazuga went to a 30-minute draw with Gyoko Inoue and Manami Toyota Bix. <laughs> then we had another couple of Iron Man title matches as Yuki Miyazaki beat Chiharu and then Chiharu beat Yuki Miyazaki again. Okay, so wait, 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 wait. These have the same match time, so I'm wondering if there's something more going on here with the not- Iron Man shenanigans because they're both 13 minutes, 59 seconds. Yeah. Amazing Kong over Haruka Matsuo. And then our main event. No. For the Neo Singles title. Yes, the NWA Pacific Women's title. Masai Genki defeated Tsubasa Kurakagi in 22.05 to win the championship. Of course, she beats one of the good wrestlers on the show. <laughs> um, but you can tell, though, that all of a sudden that there's no guy in the All Japan Women because you have people like Minami Toyota and Amazing Kong on this show. They all just want to be part of Neo Bix. That's what it is. Uh, the Neo Revolution. options all of a sudden more. The Neo Revolution. I mean, there are some good, but there are some good wrestlers on this show besides like the new outsiders. You know, like Kyoko Kimura is good, but you know, the it, Kyoku in a way, as we've discussed before, was not the best trainer in that uh, <laughs> genre of wrestling. Yeah, it's. I mean, Joshi's one of those things where you look at it. I mean, they had a you know quite a few years of, you know, down times, but uh, they came back in the in the 2010s, and the, I mean, it's pretty strong today. You know, they're doing good again. Yeah, it's not what it was, but you have your stronger promotions like Stardom and Joshi, ugh, Tokyo Doshi Pro. Then you have kind of your second tier, you know, Marvelous and Wave and Diana and promotions like that it's, it's like there's there's an ecosystem that was not there like you know 10 15 years ago yeah kaya if a japanese promotion comes a call when you're gonna go um yeah i mean i would certainly be open to it i think it would be a good experience to have i think with my size it would be really interesting because i'm five foot nine and 170 and that is much taller than many Joshi. So there could be something there, like maybe I'm a kaiju witch. That could be fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you could be like the monster over there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, um, I know that like, like Sawyer Wreck has gone over and Max the Impaler, they went over and they were received very, very well just for having like the size difference, right? In comparison to a lot of the women. So I would definitely be into doing something like that. I think it could be really, really fun. Um, also, just with my gimmick, I feel like sometimes there's more meat on the bone to do more gimmicky based stuff or more like cheeky things. Oh, so, yeah, that would work there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes on the American Indies, like you don't, you have to forego a little bit of that to an extent because if you lean into something that's gimmicky too much, you immediately get typecast as a comedy wrestler. Um, yeah, and you kind of don't want that. No, it makes it very unless you're Danhausen. You moving up the ladder, unless you do want that. Like, if you do want that, then there's nothing wrong with it. But that was something I really had to reflect on in my time off was how I wanted to adjust the presentation of how I go about my gimmick so that doesn't happen to me because I do really enjoy technical wrestling and I don't want to just get constantly squashed because of my gimmick. Um, so yeah, that's certainly something that I think that is more common over in the Japanese promotions is like a receptiveness to having a more cheeky gimmick, but also still being able to perform seriously in the ring. 
Whereas in America, it's very easy to get written off. Let's go now to uh, North America, and we start in Montreal, where James Gibson, a.k.a. Jamie Noble, had a fan altercation on June 30th in Montreal. A fan yelled at him, saying that since he'd been fired from WWE, he had to suck dick to feed his family. That's lovely. Well, that's one classy fan, Dave said. Mm -hmm. Gibson said after the match acknowledged it, get on the mic and ask the fan to come into the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Saying if he touched him outside the ring, he'd get sued. Obviously, the fan didn't get into the ring. Gibson then led the fans to chant pussy at the guy. Gibson then went outside the ring and dared the guy to take the first punch. After it was over, Gibson got on the mic again. I apologized to the audience, saying he was unprofessional on how he handled it, and thanked everyone else in the crowd for their support. Oh, boy. That's a lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> it is a lot. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I've been in indie shows. Where I've heard that type of shit, um, you know, in this era, especially that is, you know, we're in a different era in time and you're coming off the ECW stuff and fans channel, all kind of shit in that era. So I'm not surprised, but I mean, fans still do this to an extent, depending on where you're at. Like, I remember when I was in wrestling school being trained, they would have a drill they would do where you would just run the ropes for an indiscriminate amount of time, however long they felt like watching you suffer. And while you would yell, they would either ask you questions or just yell dumb shit. Nothing like offensive or inappropriate, but they would just try to distract you on purpose because you know that when you're out there performing, you can't control everything the audience says or does. And you have to learn to like put your blinders on and move past it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's what it is that we talk about with the with women and stuff. You know, it's just, it's part of the, the 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 deal of being a wrestler. Sometimes is having to deal with shitty fans, and uh, it's it's how you handle it yourself. You know that you know is what re- reflects on you. You know, uh, to the best of the fans in the building, the ones that actually are the good fans, so to speak. You know, yeah. And also, like, of all the people to yell that at, like, Jamie Noble, someone who got fired from WWE for, like, one of the all-time stupidest reasons, and when I say stupidest, I mean stupidest on his part, not on their part. Like, there's other shit. If you want to be an asshole, there are ways to be an (laughs) asshole to him that don't involve something like that. Like, be an (laughs) asshole to him about going to the doctor for an abscess on his butt saying it was from shooting steroids and then trying to get WWE to pay for it as an on-the-job injury. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah. But let, let me read the results, and, and what makes it more interesting is who he worked. Yes, and this Our, is Eruption. This is not IWS. <laughs> yeah, Eruption. Mm-hmm. I, uh, June 30th in Montreal, we had a three-way. Sexy Eddie over at Alice Price and Dan Payson. Paison, Dan Paison, isn't it? Paison, excuse me. I read it. I read it phonetically. <laughs> Paison, Paison, yes. Uh, Adib Mansour and Sidi Mansour over Adrenaline Rush, Jimmy Stone and Samson. Coke Cabana over Frankie the Mobster. Bison Fury over Big Bad Rob. El Generico over Sanjay Dutt. Beef Wellington and Steve Royds. R O Y D S. It's his brother Emmer. <laughs> Hemorrhoids. Uh, I, I, think it was, I think it was. Think, well, I was going to say I was thinking steroids, but then again, he's teaming with the master of the ass bunch. Yeah. 
That's right. Uh, t- went to a no contest with 2.0, Shane Matthews and Jagged, which of course is 2.0. Yes. Daddy Magic and uh, what's what's wait, wait, uh, Daddy Magic, Matt Menard and 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 Andrew and and Parker. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Matt Lee and Jeff Park. It was cool hand something. I don't know why I went to Luke. I just. <laughs> well, that's the the famous one. <laughs> Perhaps. Yes. Um. I was like, no, that's not right. Oh. Wow. Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then our main event: James Gibson over Kevin Steen. Hmm. Goaded. <laughs> Very young Kevin Steen here, so not probably not the level to. Uh, go off on fans for a ridiculous chance yet <laughs> i mean he's not that young he's uh oh wait so actually wait i'm thinking of the year 2005 years ago. yeah wait, i was still in 2012 <laughs> mode from last week yeah so he's 21 here yes he's very young in the business at this point in time. not but, not a ring on our world champion just yet <laughs> no no he's still being uh he's still being pimped on death valley driver by uh liqueur on there so <laughs> yeah may, may right. he uh rest in peace Absolutely. Then we got July 2nd in Montreal. Jagan and Scott Matthews. What? Over uh, Gold Reno and Chacal. Mark Le Grizzly and Viking over Shane Hawk and Nick Blade. Sound like uh, they should be starring with uh, Jeff Stryker somewhere. Cobra Kai over James Champagne. Jake Matthews and Damian Steele over Nico and Tank, not Tank from uh, Anarchy. Uh, four-way Damian over James Craven, Kevin Steen, and Kid Kamikaze. Sexy Eddie won a four-way over Alex Price, B-Boy, and Cody 45. Yes, and not to be confused with the prize Alec Price, previously known as a backyard wrestler as Alex Price. And, and Cody 45 is not the alcohol or none of that type of stuff. Then we have Colt Cabana over Beef Wellington. Kenny the Bastard and Takao, the Flying Hurricanes, over Shogun and Degenerate. Chris Saban went a three-way over Dan Paisan and El Generico. Frankie the Monster and Samoa Joe went to no contest due to outside interference, which led to Cole Cabana Samoa Joe beating Frankie the Monster and Kevin Steen. A lot of matches on this show. A lot of names on this show. And just a lot of humans, a lot of tags and four-ways and stuff. Well, some interesting names on this show at different points in their career. Yeah. You got Steen and Generico who are just getting their names going. Cabana, Samoa Joe, who are two of the top indie names at the time. Chris Saban, of course, is starting to make his name out there. B-Boy's on this show. Gibson was on the other show. So yeah, healthy uh, number of fly-ins for this weekend here. There's a lot of names at different points in their career on this show. Sanjay? Sanjay, yep, Sanjay Dutt, yeah. Curious how these drew with them having, like, especially for this era of indie wrestling, to have half a dozen fly-ins and so many locals and all that. Yeah, just no, there was no attendance listed, but, but yeah. All right, now let's go to Mexico. Oh, boy, I, for, I did not look at the notes ahead to see that we had this story. Antonio Pena is going to debut a new solid pro wrestling. On August 23rd and 24th, he's doing shows called... Triple A, Triple X, which are wrestling shows for women, spectators only. Featuring Gillikin stripper types, wrestling, and guys dancing in cages, like the women in TNA used to do. The women, I mean, excuse me, the wrestlers will be chosen not because they could work, 
and Pena won the recruit models and B-level TV show Pretty Boys to wrestle on the shows. And it ends up being AAA regulars, just... Some, yeah. A lot of them, but wearing uh, something smaller than custom trunks. <laughs> well, uh, well, do it, it, And customs trunks get smaller. Is this a thing? Well, we'll talk uh, about that in the indie section later. Oh yes, of uh, course. Um, I mean, it, one of these shows aired airs on the uh, AAA channel that's on Pluto and stuff. Yeah, and Twitch and all that. Yeah, I remember seeing it. Like, there's one. There was one where the minis are out there and they're weird. Like, and it's one of the most entertaining shows you can watch. You know, I mean, Milano Collection ATs on that show, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hilarious, and the women they're loving it, man. They're having the time of their lives. Yeah, with Latin Lover and Ito Cable, and there's like special <laughs> guests coming up there dancing with them. I mean, it's a damn hoot. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, you can. I just searched it like within like specific to Pluto TV, and I, like it's. The stuff they cycle through, it still airs on there. Well, good. I mean, uh, and they have regular talent on the show, too. Um, you know, Shonkers on there. I mean, they have a lot of the regular talent on there. But if I'm not mistaken, no, this is uh, before Elido was in AAA. So you don't even have a guy there that's, that's, that's doing the actual stripper gimmick, basically, there. Yeah. I mean, it's also just interesting... In general, though, regardless of the content, that he's doing a women fans only show. Uh, yeah. What? Oh, what was the official name of that show? Oh, solo para solo para mujeres. That's right. I, I started. I was googling for triple. Well, at least on Pluto TV, they're calling it triple A triple X. But yeah, that now that you say that, that does sound right. That that was at least the official name they were using. Something like that. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, they had this whole thing at one point in the show where they have a whole bunch of dudes in the ring dancing and stuff and wrestlers and non-wrestlers who obviously are famous strippers in Mexico because the women are going nuts for them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's quite do, the like, show. some like blacklight body paint matches and stuff too? Not in that. No, not in that, in that particular show. I'm not saying that didn't happen. So what you're saying is this show walked so the gray sweatpants battle royal could run. <laughs> In a way, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were working crew on that show. Oh, no, you I had a, Yeah, you were. Yeah. Both. Yes. Yeah, I can't remember what the date of that show is. And there were more than one, wasn't there? Or was it just the one? There's the one that airs. I okay. know that. But, uh... But, yeah... All right, so anyway, back to AAA. Uh, Pena's had a series of business meetings this week. He met with Kevin Kleinrock regarding the idea of doing his big shows on U.S. pay-per-view, as well as trying to get a new show on U.S. television. After that, he went to Japan to meet with Shima and work out a business agreement with Dragon Gate. I remember this was, you know, a thing at the time. Kleinrock was definitely trying to get involved and try to help him out. Um, didn't happen, which was, would have been some, because this is 2005, you know, the next year is when AAA really starts to blow up again. Yeah. It would have been great timing for them to get on pay-per-view. Yeah. And 
also just interesting because this was not something he did as much in this era, at least not to the point of something happening, but like seeing Kevin basically doing the kind of stuff that's his main gig now, you know, 18 years ago. Now that he's got, you know, Master Public, what is it, Lucha Agency, he's got all these different things he's got going on. Yep. You know. Kleinrod, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's been in stuff, stuff for years, man. I mean, yeah. he's, been, he's been a key guy in trying to uh, get Lucha out there to a bigger audience. Absolutely. Okay, so searching around, there is a... There's a AAA solo Power Mujeres that aired on Galavision, or at least that's on Televisa. One, that's the one that's on the AAA channel. Okay, but this one, it's the match that's on here is just a regular. You like when you see in the crowd shots and from who named the video that it's one of those shows, but it's just a regular Relevos AAA uh, mixed tag. Yeah, there's one of them on their shows. Yeah. But uh, but anyway. Alright, um, so we have results here. TV tapings. July 1st, Auditorio General Jose Maria Arteaga and Carataro. We have Atomico Dance Boy and Kilma Jr. over the Dragon de Oriente 2, Pequeño Pony and Recameda. La Parquita, Mascarita Sagrada 2000, Otagosito over Mini Abismo Negro, Mini Chessman and Mini Psychosis. The Barrio Boys, Alan, Billy Boy and Desnes. Over Los Exoticos, Pueblo de Estrella, Ceci Francis, and Sexy Cesis. You know, Chessman, Hator, Mr. Aguila, over Alan Stone, El Brazo, and Luz Bell. Then we have Anti, Anti, Anti Vaz del Norte, Hysteria, and Zorro, over Charlie Manson, El Castigador, and Psychosis 2. Castia Gador is the same guy who wrestled at the Punisher two days later, which we'll talk about that. And then our main event, La Parker Jr., Otagon, and Shocker over Bizo Negro, Cibernetico, and Fuzz Guerrero. Okay. I need to see the local Carretero guy who's doing the My Little Pony gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and this then is the, the era where we start to get, like, Shrek and all those, like, regional luchadors right uh yeah i mean he's a regional guy yeah absolutely yeah. always these opening matches always feature mainly locals yes and uh Luz bell is the future gronda doing a gronda type gimmick yes then we have uh july 3rd gimnasio lazaro cardenas in salamanca gallito carrado relativo in recameda over espirito negro carolina jr and senior sambara not, uh, of course, an Andrade, but another Sombra, Senor Sombra. Then we have Corvo, Escoria, and Olds, Black Family, over the Exoticos, Poivo de Estrella, Sexy Francis, and Sexy Cesis. Mexican National Minis title, Mascarita Sagrado de Smil over Mini Abismo Negro. Antivaz, La Note, Alabrije, and Oriental over Hator, Monster, and The Punisher. Charlie Manson and Sakosis 2 of Hysteria and Zorro, and the Parker Jr. Autogonna Shocker of Visa Negro Chessman and Fuerza Guerrera. So there's Triple A. CMLL. CMLL has announced Black Tiger will be finished with Mexico this week and then returned to Japan. He still had bookings around the country as Black Tiger returning this week. And now we have the debut of El Bronco coming up. Funny how that works out. 
Okay. Because it's, it's the same guy. <laughs> Silver King ch- changing gimmicks. <laughs> okay, I was I was trying to remember if that's Silver King. So this is the beginning of Silver King trying out his like post Black Tiger. This is obviously Silver King, but under another mask gimmicks. That is correct. Yes. Because what is the one he eventually did at the end? Um, oh, Silver King. Silver King. K A I N. Yes. Yes, and you know he would do he would do the Ramses gimmick from Nacho Libre some places too, more more so in the states I think. Um, and this does not last long though either. This Bronco gimmick, no. And I, I think because he's done as Black Tiger. Okay, wait, is Rocky Black Tiger in New Japan yet? Uh, that's coming. Okay, oh, that so that's, why, that's why this is going on. Yeah, because it's that that leads to, you know, the story of CMLL calling the L.A. Dojo and being like, hey, you know that super lightweight title that Rocky Marrero, Rocky Marrero, Rocky Romero has had forever and just hasn't come back to defend? We want him to lose to that new Black Tiger in New Japan. <laughs> Having no idea that he was the same person. Which yeah. Honestly, it I mean, explains a lot about the relationship between those two companies. Go ahead. I was gonna say there was like a i mean obviously people like kind of float between mass gimmicks all the time but i know also in this time period was when la mascara took on his identity from being brazo de oro jr so it's like you have that big shift as well happening well this is an era where a lot of that stuff's going on where these guys are taking these new gimmicks on and becoming mm-hmm. big stars off of it yeah mystico was the was the you know the catalyst for all that and uh did we have a whole bunch of guys doing it as the years go on? All right. Arena Coliseo on the 28th. Bam, bam. And Fantasy over Fire and Perfito. Sombra de Plata, Valiente and Zeta over Caliglia, Flecha and Masada. Metro, Tigre Blanco and Tigre Metallico over Masada. Risque Gucci and Shigeo Kimura. Brata de Plata, Felino and Lise Mark, the father, not the son. Over Black Tiger, Ildo Perov, and Emilio Chavez Jr. by disqualification. And then Lantis, Black Warrior, and Blue Panther. Over Mascarado Smil, Tarzan Boy, and Universo Dos Mil. Hmm. We had a, a Thursday uh, spot show, the regular weekly show at Arena Isabel Cuernavaca, where Everno and Mephisto retained their similar tag titles over La Mascara, who uh, kind of just talked about, and Virus. Ooh, that sounds really good. We used to get a lot of these types of matches back in the day when there was you know, nobody recording shit. The, this arena, uh, Arena Costa Acapulco on Wednesdays, the Guadalajara shows, which we did eventually get some of that later, Pueblo Mondays. I mean, we would get this stuff, man, and we'd be like, wow, this sounds so good, and we never had a chance to watch it. And now this stuff is showing up on YouTube left and right for different places. So, yeah, it's a better time now. But, uh, yeah, wish I could have had some of this stuff back then. Yeah, I think it was the the 50-minute Solar versus uh, Blue Panther match in this era, I think, was Puebla, right? Yeah, sounds right. That sounds That's, like, the really famous one. Yeah, that, like, everyone wanted to see, but, of course, was not videotaped. It makes you realize how fortunate we are to live in a world where, like, YouTube exists and you can find a lot of random things or things that you wouldn't have had access to previously. Definitely, cool. definitely one of the pros. Yeah. 
yeah. of uh, internet culture these days and a lot of cons internet <laughs> culture these days. All right, July 1st, Reno Mexico is based around a tournament. Shocking. It's CMLL, and they have a tournament. Uh, the annual deal where a star teams up with an up-and-comer. In the semis, Dr. Bade Jr. Misterioso 2 defeated uh, Universalist Milan, Dr. Equis. Wait, Dr. Equis is supposed to be an up-and-comer well, in 2005? Well, it's CMLL, Bix. Okay. <laughs> up-and-comers mean guys that were terceras and below. Basically. I know, but he's been in the company for like eight years. I know that, Biggs. I know that. <laughs> and then Atlantis and La Mascara of Ultima Guerrero and Sangre Azteca. Finals double submission as Atlantis put Wagner in the torture rack and Mascara made Mysterioso 2 to submit. Atlantis and Wagner took each other's mask and bled heavily. After the match, they were going back and forth for mask versus mask challenges. If that happens, it'd be one of the biggest matches in Mexico of this decade. Well, Doc would end up losing his mask eventually, but... Not to Atlantis. Or in this promotion. Yeah. And the actual main event of the show was Edgar Garza, Tarzan Boy, and Ribe Canero over Mystico, L.A. Park, and Lise Mark Jr. You know, Lise Mark went Tarzan pin Park with his feet on the ropes. Reports for the car dragged because of the tournament. They had 10 matches, said the usual five. Long introductions for every match and several minutes between matches. At a CMLL show? Come on. And they had to get the train, too. Damn, Bix, what's going on there? <laughs> it's, somebody, uh, it's the trying way to show the their... sound carries in this. I, I know, but somebody, somebody's just trying to show off out there, I guess. I mean, clearly, yes. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, results. Leono and Starman. Starman over Atiero and Supercomando. Lady Apache and Marcella over Amapola and Dark Angel, Sarah Stock. Then we have the tournament. Universal Dismillion and Dr. X over Bronco. And Io de Tejano, which is funny. Silver King teaming up with his longtime partner's son. Then we have uh, Dr. Wagner Jr., Mysterioso 2 over Peroff and Nitro. Elantis and La Mascara over Damian Cesesis and Apocalypsis. Well, that's a nice little synergy team. And then <laughs> Ultimo Guerrero and Sangre Azteca over Negro Casas and Maximo. Then we have uh, Wagner Mysterioso over Universal and Dr. X. Atlantis and Mascara over Guerrero and Azteca. And then Atlantis and Mascara over Wagner Mysterioso. And then Garza, Bucanero, Tarza Boy over Lismar, L.A. Park, and Mystico. So there you go, Enrique Mexico. It'd be cool if we had AEW, would they be the ones to do this, to do this type of a tournament. Grand Alternativa. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting. I mean, different. Well, they certainly have the talent to pull something like that. Oh, off. well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Arena Coliseo on the third. We have Baby Star and Superman over Angel Perverso and Yidra. <laughs> you have the Perverse <laughs> Angel. Brosito de Oro, Pequeño Olímpico, and Ultimo Dragoncito over Hitanito, Pequeño Valencia, and Sombrita. Brasso de Plata Jr., the future Psycho Clown, uh, and Explosivo over Guerrero de Futuro and Heke. Maximo, Io de Tejano, Antonio Rivera over Arcana de Nuente, Moguer, and Veneno. Then the Lise Marks, father and son, teaming with Safari to beat Emilio Chalice Jr., Mephisto, and Risque Taguchi. Then we have Iverno, Ribuguñero, and Ultimo Guerrero over El Bronco Heavy Metal and Ultimo Dragon by disqualification. And Randy Lisco Jr. over Petoff in your main event. Ugh. And then Arena Puebla, 
their 52nd anniversary show on July 4th. Mr. Rafaga and Mr. Lago over Iran and Sol de Fuego. Fuerza Chicana, Lestat and SWAT over Bobby Jack, Tarahamara and Torogil Jr. Mysterioso 2, Stuka Jr. and Tigre Rojo over Dota Marcus. Furia Chicana and Manaka by disqualification. Then the Lee's Marks, father and son, teaming with El Satanico, who oh. still wrestles, by the way, over uh, Petoff, Io de Petoff, and Petoff Jr. So the Petoff family here. Yeah, which and, also for newer fans, not to be confused with Comandante Pierroth, Bestia del Ring, who just bought the gimmick from Pierroth. Yeah. Then we had Dr. Wagner Jr., Io de Lismarck, and Mystico. Over Rebe Ganero, Tosan Boy, and Ultimo Guerrero. Los Guerreros de Infierno complete here. So there you go. I forgot they were still together by then. Uh, kind of. Loosely. I mean, they weren't teaming as a trio all that often in this era. But they're not but yeah. rivals. No, they're all in the same rude offense. Yes. Okay. IWRG, we had a couple of shows here. We have uh, the TV taping on June 30th at Rinnakapan. Gato Felix over Pantarita. Mocho 2 and Re Ustriendo over Blackman Jr. and Mr. Libra. Calef, Nemesis, and Perotto Morgan Jr. over Fantasma Jr. Kung Fu Jr. and Rey de Corazones. Sorebo Negro Jr., Dadosore, Bro, and Nitro over Marco Rivera, Star Boy, and Starban. And then Olimpico, who's also a member of Los Guerreros at this time. Ribocanero and Utuma Guerrero over Black Tiger and Pentagon Black and Scorpio Jr. And then the Sunday show, July 3rd, we have Mr. Libra over Gato Flix. Carta Brava and Macho Dos over Gallo de Jalisco 1 and Patarita. Fantasma de la Opera, Polizon and Shibaba over Kung Fu Jr., Arreda Corazones and Virgo. Avisman, Fantasma Jr., Matrix over Rebo Negro, Seaborg and El Signo. And Black Tiger, Dr. Bro and Emilio Chalice Jr. over Mascara Sagrada, Solar and Viano Tercero. That's an interesting main event. And Fantasma Jr. is the brother of Santos Escobar. Yes, yes. Until you mentioned it the other day on Twitter or whatever. What, like, I had forgotten that they were, shoot, brothers. That both of the Phantasma sons were legit sons. Mm-hmm. Phantasma Jr. was the older one. Yes. And people were always hard on him. I always thought he was at least pretty decent. He wasn't as good he, as his brother would be, but... No. He was serviceable. But he, I feel like people gave him an overly hard time. I've always thought he was more than fine. A lot, a, a lot of stuff too was his dad wasn't the most popular guy uh, on the scene at the time because he was uh, one of the commissioners. Yes, uh, yes, the commissioner Robert Orlando of Mexico. <laughs> and what a great photo well, that Santos put up when he bought his mom and dad a new house, and uh, Fantasma was still out there rocking that mask. In the front yard. <laughs> keep it, keep up the gimmick, brother. When was this? I, I'm curious to see this. A couple photo. weeks ago, maybe last month. It was. It's recent. Okay. Yeah. The Battle of Monterrey on July 3rd, Arena Costa Monterrey. We have Harry Benham won a torneo juvenil, a, a juvenile turn, t- tournament, over Galatar, Chue Escobedo Jr., Magia Negra, Lobo Negro, Bam Bam, Patri- and Patrita the Ring too. Then we have uh, a Reina de Reina, Reina, Reina de Reina's championship match as Tiffany defeated Fabio Apache to retain. Then we had another tournament here. Estrada Dorada Jr., Mahinegro Jr., and X-Fly, the original Moscow, 
over Javi, Jesse, and Tony. Then we have Espiritu, Picudo, and Silvercat, Los Vatos Locos, over the Barrio Boys, Alan, Billy Boy, and Desnes. And then we have uh, Dorada, Mahi Negro, Junior, Next Fly, over Espiritu, Picudo, and Silvercat to win their little torneo. Then we have uh, Sangre Chicana Jr. beating Oscar Sevilla in a Caballero Coach Caballero match. And then Cibernetico, Sangre Chicana, and Vaquero Romo over Hong Kong Lee, Mascara Sagrada, and Vampiro. Okay, I, I found the photo. The best part is he's not only wearing the mask, he yes. is wearing the most ridiculous tracksuit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that is a fantasma. <laughs> <laughs> So and then, uh, we yeah. love, it. We Wait, love it, the attitude moment called fashion. Yeah. Wait, yeah, did just, he move them to Florida? I uh, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, nice. So yeah, is he not on the commission anymore? Um, I don't think it matters where you live. <laughs> well. All right, and then Arena Soldadaridad. We have another crew here, Medico and Sicapata. Over Principe Chaco and Sangre de Leon. Then we have Aurora, Diana La Cazadora, and Heroka over La Bruja, La Chacala, Persensa Sugi, and Simply Luscious here in Mexico. Electroshock and Lady Apache over Pentagon Black and Sochiamada in your battle of husbands and wives. <laughs> you don't have that a whole lot in wrestling where you have a husband and wife facing off a husband and wife. That's a, happens a lot in Mexico, though. So there you go. A husband and wife, but I, I think that um, at Restable this year, we had the fans bring the weapons with Alec Price and Becca, and they were together in the storylines, right? So it was like boyfriend-girlfriend. Well, well uh, yeah, and there was the... Um, they, it, 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 Casey was hurt, so they had to change it, but ETU last year at that, the show I was at, they... We're planning on doing uh, Brandon Casey Kirk against uh, Masa Slamovich and Akira. So married couple against non-married couple. I saw, um, I think when GCW did Fight Forever too, they had a match with Danny Moe and Facade, where it was like loser does the dishes after. <laughs> was, that was the gimmick, because obviously... Well, then they, well, wasn't it the Taya and Johnny match? At WrestleCon Super Show in Dallas, yes. Yeah. yeah. They did something like that. But WWE could do this multiple times. Multiple <laughs> times over. Yeah, because you got Seth and Becky, you got uh, Montez and Bianca, you got Miz and Maurice. I mean, well, they yeah. got Miz and Maurice and Edge and Beth too. Edge right? and Beth, yeah, yeah, Edge and Beth. That could be done. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got quite a quite a few of those. I feel like not everybody has the chemistry to pull it off, though. Like with Miz and Maurice, it really works for. Somebody. Oh yeah, they, they're yeah they're perfect for that. Seth yeah. and Becky did just did not work, you know. That's it just it didn't work. So interesting. Yeah, <laughs> such an interesting booking choice. That whole whole thing. I heard both of them for a minute. <laughs> they had a lot to recover from that one. That Maybe hurt. if they hadn't been holding titles at the time, it wouldn't have. I don't know. I can't figure I, I out. Think, I think it's also one of those deals where they were baby faces. And the fans, yeah. and the fans just did not want. They didn't want that. They didn't. They we, yeah. We know they're married. Yes, we know that. But we don't want that. <laughs> you know. Well, we don't and want it that being any- so far, I mean, not so far. Like so soon after uh, Becky headlines WrestleMania, 
and that she's already being de-emphasized down the card as soon as Rousey's gone. So it's like, it, it, I think it adds to the perception that she's being devalued, that even though they were very much presented as equals, it does come off in a way like all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's his, she's his girlfriend. But I think they both they both came out of that pretty much better in the end. Yeah. Now, if they had put them together as heels the way they were as heels like a year or two ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I God. think that would have worked great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That worked great. All right, back to Soledad. We have Deluvius Negros, one and two. And Io de Raya de Lisco Jr. Yes, Raya de Tito over Cien Caras, Mascara Inus Mil, and Universo de Mil, Los Hermanos Dinamita. And then we have Blue Demon Jr., Perro Aguayo Jr., and Hector Garza over Io de Santo, Negra Casas, and Raya de Lisco Jr. Okay, so did Ray. Oh, wait a minute. Since Rayo's here, it's not, it's not him. It's the other one, the guy that did it for a short time. That's what I was about to say. Wasn't there yeah. a replacement for Rayman at some point? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Tito. Since I saw Rayo in the main event, that made me know, okay, that's not Rayo Tito. Because that big heat there. So. Did he use the name, like, on scattered shows after the split, though? Um, he did, but this is past that time, too. 2005, yeah, because he would have been doing that in 2002. So... Um, yeah. Okay, I'm looking at Lucha Wiki. Lucha Wiki doesn't even seem to have a, re- a record of the other Raya Tito. He didn't last long. That was a short-lived deal. <laughs> he was not good. And then we go to Carataro, Arena Carataro, on June 28th. Azteca Imperial over Estrella Dorado Jr. Alcan Blanco and Verdugo Blanco over Usus and Zane. Distrito Federal tag titles of Rastapatillos retained over Neurosis 1 and Startron. Iverno, Mephisto, and Olympico over Safari, Virus, and Volador Jr. And their main event, Mystico over Paraguay Jr. So there is Lucha. Now we go to Puerto Rico for a quick little bit here. Well, a couple things, actually. Gladiator Championship Wrestling held a second press conference on June 30th in San Juan for their July 23rd show. They announced Lex Luger versus oh Fidel Sierra. And the Warlord and the Barbarian against Rick Steiner and Royal Royal Animal. At the press conference, Warlord and the Barbarian did a second angle with Animal, powerbombing him over a table. They carried Animal out. Jimmy Hart and Jake the St. Roberts were also at the press conference. Jake was there without the snake. Someone there asked Jake where the snake was. And Jake was so out of it, he started to unzip his pants. Oh, no. Oh, no. Again? It was Again? Wait, it was this happened before? Well, yes. not that exact scenario, but like Heroes of Wrestling and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, he was going to show off his trouser snake. Uh, but Jimmy Hart told him this was a family event, so he stopped. Because only 200 tickets have been sold in the 18,500 uh, seat arena. Uh, they announced all ticket prices have been slashed 20%. Anyone who is smart already knows not to buy tickets, so they're going to paper like crazy at the end. They claimed Sting was signed. They showed a contract with his signature on it. And an advertising special appearance of Felix Trinidad, who's by far the biggest sports celebrity in Puerto Rico and a national hero. I have Puerto Rico. I talk about using Felix Trinidad as a guest referee for a long time. And using a show like this would dilute anything with him in the future. Oh, also now announces Sid Vicious. Oh, I remember this. Um, the people that was in charge of this promotion would flood my email box trying to, I mean, with PR, um, trying to get me to promote it. 
you know, on the Death Valley Driver board and stuff. And well, I mean, two thousand five <laughs> is this like the era where your up where your updates are everywhere or no? Yeah, it's starting. It's out there a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like on the Observer site and all these other places. Yeah. Well, I, start, I mean, I started with Dave um, before that. Yeah. But I mean, this is when I, you know, at, at times when I have my own little deal going on and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm getting emails from all these indie promoters and all this other shit, and yeah, they were one of the ones that were prevalent. Um, as far as I remember, they never ran a show. <laughs> show never happened. Ah, uh, uh, wonderful. Don't remember it, and there aren't results for it. I know who's going to tell us about it. Yeah, Esteban. But uh, yeah, they were they were definitely a a, a high profile group because they were pipping that eighteen thousand five hundred seat arena, man, and yeah. didn't happen. So, did they have like any of your usual Puerto Rican scene people involved, or not really? Because at this point, they're either with IWA or Double Double C. They're used in outsiders mainly. Um, they had some. I'm trying to remember if Invader was involved or in some of that or Cheeky Star, but um, they definitely were trying to uh, cater to a different fan base in that way, um, going with more of a American style name crew. Hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, this didn't. This show never took place. Not surprising. No. And there would be others in the future. That's the thing, too. In, in Puerto Rico, that would tease running shows and they never ran. All right. Uh, let's go to IWA, a real legit promotion. Alex Montalvo has left WC and debuted with IWA on June, July 7th on their TV show, challenging anyone and said he beat the Bayamon show that night. Eric Alexander is also looking at leaving WC behind on pay. But it's rumored to be headed to NWS, which is a smaller group run by Dr. Cesar Vargas, who promoted one show per week in the San Sebastian area as a sold show by IWA and used some local wrestlers. WWC canceled shows on June 26th and July the 2nd. IWA, no, it, well, well, they were in bad shape. IWA's big weekend show was July 2nd in Bayamon. Dilabolico and Dracoli won the vacant IBA tag titles, meaning the former champions Noriega and Golden Boy. And our main event was a three-way for the IC title with Enrique Banderas, yes, the future Macias, Muertes, over uh, beating Gumboy Shane and Slash Venom to retain the title when Banderas been Shane. Venom, who had been a babyface, made a turn attacking Banderas after Shane was stretched out. It's nice that Flash Flanagan got to have a real run somewhere. You know? Yeah. Yeah, such a talented wrestler. And also, as we discovered at the collective a few years ago also 10 feet tall one of those like guys who did not think of as being a large man back in his prime but is actually gigantic yes all right well let's go to the indie scene here and let's basically close the show out matt k 31 who wrestles as matt martell and matt striker not the ring of honor wrestler got national attention this past week for being a triple idiot <laughs> He was fired from his job as a social studies teacher at Benjamin Cardozo High School in Queens in April when the school found out he had called in sick on 11 dates this past school year to work indie wrestling dates. The reason the story made news this past week is he's taking steps to try to get his job back. It's bad enough he thought he'd keep a secret 
We know website listing those dates. And one of those dates was a SmackDown tape in Philadelphia where he wrestled Kurt Angle. Kay had his mother call in sick for him in December for a week while he went to Japan to work for Zero One. He came back and said he'd gone to California to care for his anorexic sister. Mm. He also preached doctor's notes for other sick days he was wrestling. On his website, he even noted he is a social studies teacher. Last year on the website, RateMyTeacher.com, one of his students wrote, I swear I saw him on SmackDown this, this last week, Russell Kurt Angle. Anyway. <laughs> I remember that website, Rate My Professor. That was the thing. That was yeah. the thing back then. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he's idiot number one for calling and sit to wrestle, making it clear it's him by noting he's a teacher on his website. He's idiot number two for wrestling a match on SmackDown t- television while doing this and not letting his school know he's a wrestler. And he's hitting number three for how he responded when he got let go, saying, I took four days off. I would have been better beating the, be, beating the kid because those teachers always seem to keep their jobs. Oh, no. I, Dave guess he doesn't realize that a teacher has to send an exam for the students and line the cut work to do your hobby and getting fake doctor's notes is probably a good example for high school students. We know. We all know there are high school teachers who fooled around with underage girls. Well, at least anyone in my high school did. And some of them end up in jail. Some of them don't get their jobs back either. And those do it for years with nothing but whispers. Which is interesting now because the worm has turned on that. And that one is the uh, lady teachers that are full around with underage boys. Well, it's, it's both. I feel like I see more Oh, it's of way more now. It's way more articles now. That, well, as far as what gets news coverage that we see. Yeah, yeah. But if they get caught red-handed, let alone advertising their personal website or doing a national television, they'd be out of a job as well. A spokesperson for the local school chancellor said he supported investigator Richard Condon, Dick Condon, who tied the case together by looking at a match strike on the web and finding his website. It's a recommendation that Kay not be hired for any future teaching jobs, and he should replay the city for the cost of associate teachers for the days he called in sick. Casey is willing to repay the money and set the suspension for what he did, but wanted his job back. Every newspaper in New York, most TV stations there, and numerous newspapers and television stations around the country reported this story. When the story came out, Kay on his website, no less, said he didn't realize sick days and personal days were two entirely different things. Okay. This man was a teacher. And apparently his students really liked him. Um, oh, they did! Okay. I've, I've always been of a few minds about this. I, well, look, here's the thing. These days, you know, now that we're, you know, close to 20 years, geez, later, the sick day, personal day distinction does not really exist anymore. And, you know, it's paid time off. I worked for a company previously, not the job I have now. The job I have now is wonderful. But there was a company I worked for where they didn't give you separate. It was you just got two weeks and that was your sick time and your vacation time. So you better have gotten sick or your life was going to (laughs) suck. I don't get any PTO. Yeah, a lot of people. Like, <laughs> you sick? Thing. You sick? <laughs> you know, you're very fortunate me. that um, I can I work fully remote. So there have been many many wrestling trips where like I've worked in my car at a Starbucks and a rest stop in Indiana, yeah, yeah. like wherever. There was one really interesting one where um i couldn't get off work to do aaw in chicago and i just took my laptop with me and i remember like i signed in did a conference call i like just put a t-shirt on over my gear and tried to find like a plain wall like did a conference call signed off 
wrestled my match and then immediately came back from wrestling my match and completed a mail piece for a political candidate, like in the locker room. Um, but if that's like all I had to do that night, like it wouldn't warrant, warrant taking a whole day off work, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's like, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's just like trying to find a balance. Like I, I I'm fortunate now the job I have is very, very good about open communication and they're, they're cool with me doing my wrestling. And as long as I let them know in, it's in advance. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, I would imagine it's much more difficult to do something like this and maintain a nine to five shoot job that requires your physical presence. Yeah. So the, my feeling though, is like, Obviously, the, the, I feel like the issue is more that he's being dishonest about it because it's like he took his allotted days, you know? He was not going beyond his allotted sick days and personal days. So I feel like it's almost more like the dishonesty that seems to be the issue here. And he's having his mom call in and making up the sto- apparently a fake story about an aunt caring for an anorexic sister. You know, like, I feel like in and of itself, using sick days on top of the personal days, as long as he's only using his allotted days, and then if he takes off any other days past those, is not getting paid, I don't have a problem with that personally. My whole thing is, like, I don't think you should be required, like, you shouldn't have to disclose to your employer why you're taking a day off. That is, that is where I come from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's a courtesy. You can extend the courtesy of like, hey, I need off to go to a doctor's appointment or, you know, I need off because I just want to sleep all day and then eat food and pet my dog, whatever. Like, that's your prerogative if you want to disclose it, but it shouldn't be the expectation. Like, if I need a day off work, I should be able to just say, hey, I need this day off. I have something personal I'm doing. And that should be enough. It shouldn't be like, oh, well, I need to know what it is so I can decide whether I'm giving you off for it or not. Like. I'm lucky that that's not my circumstance, but I have had jobs in the past where that was the circumstance, and I would just intentionally withhold information because I was like, well, it shouldn't be a debate. Why, why do I have to have a reason? It's my day off to take. I earned it. I have the PTO. What I do with that day is my business. If I want to go wrestle or whatever, fine. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Obviously, there's a lot of coverage. I just went to ProQuest because that'll include probably... Yeah, it has New York Daily News, like newspapers.com does, but it also has the Times and stuff. Where, where should I start here? Should we start with the Times, or should we start with the tabloid <laughs> that is the New York Daily News? Tabloid. Know. Let's be bold. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, city school investigate. Well, yeah, wait, let's see what the uh, the headline is first. That will teach him. City bus instructor <laughs> for wrestling while out, quote unquote, sick. City school investigators laid the smack down yesterday waka waka, mm. on a Queens High School teacher who allegedly called in sick while he was donning tights for World Wrestling Entertainment. At Benjamin Cardozo High School in Queens, Matthew Kay had a reputation as an agreeable social studies teacher. But he led a secret life secret. Everyone knew he was a social studies teacher, too. Like... It, that was not a secret in wrestling, and it seems no. like he wasn't trying to hide it from his students or anything either. Um, secret Life is pro wrestler Matt Stryker, a greased-up macho man known for ring moves called the Overdrive and the Lung Blower, investigators said. Mm. Uh, they mentioned the Rate My Teacher thing. 
Uh, Special Schools investigator Richard Condon said he wants the six-foot-tall, 241-pound instructor to pay back all the money he got while supposedly out sick. Uh, Condon's investigators learned about his alter ego from the teacher's own website, thisisstriker.com. According mm. to the site, K made his professional wrestling debut in 2000 in the USA Pro Wrestling Team. <laughs> League, excuse me. Uh, he used the name Hydro. Did he? Yes, he did. Okay, and fought as part of a tag team called Los Lunatics. Yes. Was that him and Damian <laughs> Drag or someone else? I think so, yes. Okay. Uh, the website lists and describes many of his performances, making it easy for investigators to match the days he should have been in school. In a video clip on his site, Kay, who has also used the ring names Matt Martell and Hot Stuff, is seen drawing with Kurt Angle, one of WWE's top performers, at a SmackDown match in Philadelphia. My name is Matt Martell, he said, grabbing the microphone away from Angle. Kurt, I have a question for you. How did it feel at No Way Out losing a number one contenders match? Uh, mother calling <laughs> him in sick for him for the week before holiday break. That's the one that gets me. He, he later His told, mom. Yes. He later told school administrators he, he had gone to California to take care, to care for his anorexic sister. That's terrible. And was being treated by a doctor for quote-unquote food-like symptoms, officials said. But his website states he was driving, excuse me, he was pile-driving his way through Japan with the Zero One <laughs> Wrestling Company <laughs> on those okay. days. Yuck, 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 yuck. Yeah, I'm that a was a... I'm a social studies teacher in my quote-unquote other life, and I know Japan is rich in history, both world and wrestling, Kay wrote on the site, investigator said. Oh my goodness. He resigned from his teaching job in April. Okay. After investigators approached him, he said he had not been aware that he could have used personal days to get time off to wrestle. I took four days off, he said yesterday, adding facetiously, I would have been better off beating a kid because those teachers just always seem to keep their jobs. Uh, School's Chancellor Joel Klein, spokesperson, said uh, the school's boss supported Condit's recommendation not be rehired for future jobs and repay the city for the time he called in sick. It, it seems like Stryker's trying to say that he had enough personal days he could have just used those. Well, she, and, he should have fucking used them. I mean, if he did, that suggests he genuinely didn't know the difference. He's a fucking teacher. That's bad. He don't know the difference between, between it. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's something uh, rarely got sick. That, but, uh, but I know of teachers these days that don't know how to spell. Well. Um... <laughs> Wait, are there two different time stories about this on the same day? Okay, no, one's just a picture. Okay. Okay, so then we have in the Times, we have skipping class to wrestle, teacher lands in trouble. Let's see if there's anything else here. Okay, according to investigators, and of course we do get, uh, he his double life may have body slammed his teaching career. Oh. According to city investigators, Mr. K... 31, falsely called in sick for 11 days in December and February, was actually on the wrestling tour. Um, faced with disciplinary action, he resigned in April, but said yesterday he hoped to get his job back. There are people out See, there who touch children. My question. Go ahead, yes. If, instead of lying and calling out sick to do the wrestling, if he had just been forthcoming, like, hey, I need a personal day to go do this. Do you think that they would have let him? 
it had been better off if he tried. Well, I'm also curious yeah. if they requested a reason for personal days, too. Yeah. You know? Um, this is interesting. The last scrape on Wayback Machine of his website before the stories broke in July was in April. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder if someone investigating for the school knew about Wayback Machine and used it to make sure they archived the website. <laughs> possible oh no uh, uh yeah the, not all the images are loading and it's a 2005 website well, i don't know yeah. if i can find the links to every relevant section of the website but anyway i mean back to the time we, we, well, we have an original quote here okay there are people it's worse than the other one there are people out there who touch children inappropriately who are still allowed to work oh no he said in a telephone interview the only thing I did was put in sick days instead of personal days because I didn't know there was a difference. Um, uh, uh, the, well. oh, we, oh, we have the actual quote from the spokesman for the chancellor. This is outrageous behavior and we're going to pursue the recommendations. My aunt once told me if you ever need to take a sick day and you don't want to be questioned, you just tell them you woke up puking everywhere because nobody wants you anywhere around them if you're puking. Yeah, boss, it's coming out both ends. I don't know what to tell you. I just had that today at work yeah. at my job. Kid, kid was uh, talking about he was puking and shit all over the place in the bathroom. I said, well, you need to take your ass home. <laughs> so, anyway. Words of wisdom. That's how you just get a sick day immediately. You know what, brother? I don't think I should be around people today. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think it's I think it's the dishonesty is what killed him. I yeah, think exactly. That's what I was he just would have asked, like, "Hey, I need to take a personal day for this reason." Or even if he had taken a sick day and not had all these elaborate stories. I gotta go wrestle. My dog ate my homework. Yeah, I gotta go wrestle. I mean, with hindsight, I mean, what it really should have been, be upfront, make it clear you are not going to, that you're only going to use up your allotted total PTO and not go beyond that. Like, just whatever. Just like, yeah. yeah. Or even, how about this? I will not be able to be in this day. I understand if it does not fall underneath my personal leave or my PTO, I'm willing to take a day without pay. You know, if that's the issue, they don't want, it's, if yes. it's a pay issue, it's like, you can always play that card too. Cause I remember like one job I had, that was the issue is they're like, Oh, well, you know, you can't take off unless you have PTO. And then I was like, well, what if I take it without pay? And they're like, Oh, well, yeah, I guess you could do that. And I'm like, oh, I could. Uh, it I'm also guessing well, the brazenness too of the SmackDown appearance, and then also like just the elaborateness too of like that there's a Japan tour in there. It's like I, I'd love to know more specific. Like I, I wonder if this stuff still exists. If I tried to do a record request or something to see, uh, you know, like if there's if I you can get the records of the investigation because I just. I feel like the underlying sin or crime or however you want to put it is not that big a deal. Yeah. yeah. It's the specific handling of it on his part. Alright, well... Oh, it's, I'm not going to make the joke I was about to make. Let's move on to Rob Feinstein. Yeah, speaking... Mm. Yeah, which, <laughs> that striker yeah. line... That striker line definitely is <laughs> different now. Uh, let's go to Figure Four Weekly. 
Well, it's been over yeah. a year since the big RF stakeout went down. And since he signed a one-year no-compete when he sold Ring of Honor to the new owners, that means he can now officially return going in chat rooms. And, oops, I mean, he can now officially return to promoting. According to a press release, it's the announcer that we've all been waiting for. In some ways, it is. The press announcement reads, Our video is bound and determined to prove once again that quality and innovative independent wrestling is back. Housed in the Animal House... PWU will feature a great mix of young and established any talent to provide a fresh, entertaining show for wrestling fans tired of the same old, same old. PWU is some of the brightest stars in America today, including Jay Lethal, Azrael, and Jack Evans. Along with true legends such as Homicide, Steve Carino, and the Backseat Boys. There's also be a wide variety of other talent, including the ultra-violent Corporal Robinson, Mana, who's a machine of destruction, and Nick Burke. Plus, a whole lot more names be added. Our video is hungry again and wants to prove itself to each and every wrestling fan. It should be known that PW people freaked out and said RF himself had nothing to do with day-to-day operations. And this promotion was working associated with our video, which is owned by Doug Gentry. Sure it is. Johnny Cashmere sent out a press release the next day that read in part, Doug and only Doug is <laughs> the owner and operator of PWU. Yeah, because Johnny was booking, I think, right? Yes, he was. This actually caused more backstepping than Brian would have thought. This is the wrestling business, and most promoters have no problem hiring criminals, thieves, and sometimes even murderers. And fans normally have no problem attending said events. No other wrestlers have problems working these shows. They offer good money. How true. Yes. And, I mean, uh, that whole thing. There are people that, I mean, I'm not quite sure what the actual structure of it is but even after everything that happened with czw there are plenty of people that still work there you know uh, yeah of course i mean that's just what's the way it's gonna be yeah it's yeah. it's it's just the nature of the beast we all make our choices at the end i mean the, 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 the ultimate uh, uh, you know as much as we could say about you know vincent man all the stuff he's done but still there'll be nothing that beats the fact that all the a lot of those guys went back to Puerto Rico after Invader killed Bruiser Brody, mm-hmm. and the promotion covered it up. Yeah. So I mean, you had an actual murder of one of the top stars and partial owner of the company in the locker room, and fucker still went back. I mean, obviously everybody makes their choices, and we all pick our hills to die on, but. To say there's a world that exists where every single person you work with is a person of conviction and good character is that I don't think that exists. Nobody, right? there's nobody, nobody. Yeah, there's always going to be unsavory individuals in your place of work, no matter what that is, whether it be wrestling or whatever you do outside of wrestling, and you just have to, um, just deal with it, throttle it, I guess, right? Like, you can't, there's not, not a perfect circumstance where every single person you you work with is going to be a model citizen. Oh, no. Absolutely not. But I still think <laughs> that you should consider and be like, hmm, are these really people I want to work for or around or with? But sometimes you, I mean, that's the thing. I get it, but sometimes you have to have that tipping point. <laughs> yeah. So there's the line, there is a line that you should uh, you should have that you don't cross, but hey, uh, PWU um, pressing unplugged. Yes, I remember this being a thing. I mean, it went for a little bit, but 
it wasn't anything that was a major blip on the indie radar. I'll put it that way. I mean, they lasted a few years. Um, Todd Gordon booked for a spell. Yeah. Um, see, but here's the thing. The PWU, I mean, we're in 2005. PWU's already been around. It was a you know, really the, branding of PWU. Yeah. So the first show took place um, right before our week. June 24th, okay? They had the heavyweight title tournament where uh, Homicide won the title tournament being Trent Acid. Uh, Corporal Robinson beat Brandon Prophet in the Philly Hardcore Rules match where Billy Real was a special referee. Um, other people in the tournament was Mana, Trent, uh, Nick Burke, uh, Abyss. How about the guys that lost in the first round? Tom Carter, Sunday Siaki, Elis Skipper, and Abyss. Those are all first round losers in the tournament. <laughs> what? Okay. Yes. Sure. Yeah. I guess and, the yeah. era where Reckless Youth was just kind of around. Kudo. Kudo, we're in the next show. This is what I was trying to tell y'all. Kudo was a guy who was trying to be pushed as that Kodo Bushi type. He comes to America. He works for the Feinstein show. He beat uh, Arcadia, Deranged, and Devin Moore. So, uh, yeah, it was election day for Kudo that night. And that insane dragon over Dixie. Dr. Tom Pritchard was our special referee in uh, the Homicide Trinacid match. Sumi Sakai over Mercedes Martinez. I mean, they went, it went to 2010. Yeah, not with Rob or no. being at the helm or whatever the hell was going on. But, you know, I'm looking, you know, at that next show that has Kudo on it, you know, other matches, Insane Dr- Dragon over Dixie. Um, what was the one I was just looking at that was interesting? Uh, DJZ, Ashima Zion. Well, not DJZ anymore. Now he's, uh, Joaquin Wild. But yeah, they have, a, I mean, a lot of people working the shows over the years. So, I mean, they were, they were around, you know, they, they had a Dragon Gate com- uh, show. I forgot about that in 2006, where BB Hokushima came in. What the? And faced SATs. So was Feinstein still involved then? Absolutely. So who Absolutely. whose promotion was this before, though? It says Johnny Cashmere was the original owner. Okay. And then after was it Cashmere? Presumably? So it was Cashmere throughout. Okay. So why are they calling Doug the promoter? Well, they're saying Doug owns RFVO.com, so... But didn't they say... No, but wasn't there something about Doug being the promoter? Yeah, it says, only, it says Doug and only Doug Gentry is an owner-operator of PWU. Yeah, the license, I guess. I get well owner operator PWU though that's that's not the same I I don't know Bix I don't know. I know oh Javier of and I'm assuming James Newblood also around on some of these yeah, it's a lot of names a yeah. lot I mean I guess its main role at one point was like it was the first place that a lot of your like random insane green like Northeast high flyers would get exposure in Philly yeah. Briscoe's uh, working later on. Yeah. The Outcast Killers and the Maximos. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's go to Western Pennsylvania and IWC. AJ Styles missed a flight to Pittsburgh for the July 1st show in Monroeville, or excuse me, Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Missing a cage match for Christopher Daniels. Promoter Norm Connors went out of his way to praise Daniels who even though he was a TNA X-Division champion, put local wrestler John McChesney over strong after a flying by to press off the cage. 
Bruno San Martino made a rare appearance at the show. Shaking hands with Shirley Doe and Eddie Kingston before the IWC title match. The idea of the legend putting over the belt. Doggone it. Show drew 406 fans. Styles agreed to make it up by wrestling Matt Hardy on July 29th. Let's go with the results. Opening match. No more contender match for the super indie title. Claudio Castanoli defeated Dean Radford. We have Shima Zion and Petey Williams over Jason Gorey and Chris Saban. John Bolin over Bubba the Bulldog. Chris Hero over Glenn Spector. Shirley Doe retained WC title, beating Eddie Kingston. Jake Garrett, J-Rock, and Troy Lords over Mickey Gambino, Marshall Gambino, and Jimmy DeMarco. Oh, oh, oh. Sterling James Keenan won Corey Graves, defeated Jimmy Vegas. Sebastian Dark and Hentai retained IWC tag titles, beating Tracy Smothers and Chris Hamrick. And then McChesney over Daniels to retain the Super Indy title in the Steel Cage match. I wonder what McChesney's original match was. Don't know, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty star-studded show for old Norm here in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Yes, and one thing that IWC and Norm always did great, better really than a lot of indies in that era, and really really more like what you see out of like a Defy or a company like that today, is using the names to develop the local talent. Yes. Well, this, I mean, he's, yes. he's one of the guys in this era, and there are quite a few of them that they did the proper mixing of the names and their locals. Yes. That's such a delicate balance to strike, and so many people struggle with it. Like, you see it on cards every weekend. It's like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Well, the the biggest thing that I've always bitched about, about recent indies, is they you bring all these you know the name guys name name guys and name women talent in and you book them against each other i get it but you kind of need to book them against your local town because your local town can be there every time more often than not so you kind of need to mix that up and have your locals get that chance to work the top names you know they don't have to actually win all the time but still have them there, have competitive matches, and then get over in that way, coming that close to winning over the big star. You know? I agree completely. And the thing that I think is interesting, too, is maybe because there are so many more media outlets for what, quote-unquote, constitutes a name or a, quote-unquote, like, TV talent these days, is wrestlers will be like, I'm on TV, I can't lose. And then, fair, you don't have to win a match to get over but i think sometimes the booking solution to that is if i just put them with other people on tv then it doesn't fucking matter (laughs) versus like if i book them against my local talent they're gonna lose it's gonna be what it's gonna be everybody kind of knows the outcome of the match already you know that's very much what people do these days is they use the leverage of being on tv to not lose their matches when they take independent dates and that does kind of create a little bit of a, a booking curveball for people. You know, how do you skirt that will best <clears throat> your advantage and not giving away your entire card, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, it what's, it's what sets apart some promotions like a Defy. Like Defy, I feel like, is the blueprint for how you integrate, these days at least, the names to build up your, your local and regional guys and, yeah. well, and gals and non-binary pals. Uh, to quote uh, Nick Manoa, but I feel like Dreamwave does a really good job yes. of that too out in Illinois, as far as like having a good balance of like people coming in that have some name rate 
in matches with people to elevate them, but also rounding out their card with a lot of local kids from the Midwest. Yes. Yes. I think that's fair. Um, And, you know, just taking it back to 05 too, like, you know, we, we talk about IWC fairly often when we go over old results, but I think we should say too, just like Norm Connors, one of the genuinely good people in indie wrestling going back decades. Yes. Like that is someone you never hear anything close to a bad word about. No, IWC's always talked about in good terms. I never hear anything about them screwing over talent or just bad experiences altogether. Well, even in the post-Norm era. Yeah. Yeah, it stayed pretty true. All right, NWA Anarchy at the NWA Arena on July 2nd in Cornelia, Georgia. We have Nemesis and Shadow Jackson, Urban Assault Squad, over Heath Miller and Randall Johnson. That is Heath Slater. Jay Fury over Brent Silver, Adam Roberts and T.C. Carnage over Skeeter Frost and Andrew Alexander. Jeremy V went to double count with Slim J. Seth DeLay over Gabriel and Rain Man. Corey Chavis retained the Undercore Heavyweight title being the ticking time bomb, Scotty Wren. So, uh, there's a nice looking anarchy card there. And yeah. Lovely Cornelia. I wish, um... There were more shows that had six matches these days. I feel like everything is so overbooked. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I did a show recently where there were seven matches. I'm trying to remember which one it was, was it but action? it was so wonderful. It might have been action. Yeah. And it was like, this is really nice. Like, you just get so used to working these cards where there's like 10, 11, 12 matches. And then depending on like how much control people have over timing, right? Like some promoters are very good about timing out their shows and ensuring people stick to those times. Yeah, Matt Griffin's one of those people. <laughs> yes. No. Very, very, he's an excellent promoter working for Matt was such a wonderful experience to have in my wrestling career. But there are a lot of people who do not adhere to time at all, whether it be wrestlers or promoters. And then the show runs five hours because every match is 20 minutes. And then you have 11 matches and it's, it's a lot. I think there's something to be said for the six to eight matches timed out accordingly card. I, I mean, I'll tell you this. Yeah. I, I, I do a lot of newspaper research for um, old wrestling results. And I know people had this thought about the way wrestling was in the territory days where, oh, you had these long matches and stuff like that. You'd be surprised. Um there are shows that um, that would run at like West Palm Beach on Mondays. Championship Wrestling Florida would do shows that if you added all the match times together for that one show, it'd be less than ninety minutes. Yeah. And, and back then, I mean, if they took intermission, it wasn't long. So you're looking at a nice two hour window. Then there was, I mean, in St. Louis, which is always known as like the traditional wrestling and stuff like that. I mean, there'd be a, a matches on those shows where the longest match that wasn't a two out three falls match was maybe like 10 to 12 minutes. Yeah, I, I always have enjoyed. Um, sorry, we're having a very aggressive thunderstorm right now. Oh, <laughs> um, I've always liked the shows where it's like everything is between six and 10 minutes, except for your main and your semi main, like where you can allot more time as needed. I've also come, you know, I took a year off healing an injury and I went to and watched a lot of wrestling shows in that time off, like as a spectator, whether it be like seat filling or just standing on the wall for the whole show. 
and like you get so tired sometimes by like when you have matches that they're all long like and I love wrestling like I like wrestling I will sit in my house and watch hours of wrestling <laughs> like I I love wrestling and I just remember there there were some shows I attended at varying promotions where I was like I am tired and it's like four matches in and I'm like I like wrestling and I'm tired I can't imagine how like the fans feel when that starts happening oh, I've been I'm, <laughs> I'm tired it's like i'm sure the fans are sitting there like oh my god like maybe you have your one-offs but i think that that's something we often forget as wrestlers is like what are we asking of the fans like that how much of their so attention are we commanding and how long is that attention span the so. worst the worst though is and, and and I know it it is what it is. I mean, it's part of the deal. But you go to a show that has maybe a cage match on the show, and they build. Then it's you know when they're building the cage, you know these days, you know people have shorter attention spans, and you know they're more ready to get shit over with. You when you're building the cage and you're taking 30, 30 minutes, forty five minutes, sometimes it goes to an hour building the cage. I mean, you might as well forget about it. You didn't sit the whole crowd out. One time at JCW, it was like it was the Everett Connors cage match that I believe he had with Charles Mason. Uh, Big Vin and the ring crew there got that cage up in 11 minutes and 38 seconds, <laughs> which well, I'm sure has got to be a record for independent wrestling. That's great. Because so. I've, I've seen the other way around on shows. But, yeah, I mean... <sighs> I think the sweet spot right now is no more than two and a half hours. If once you get up to two and a half hours, you're really stretching it. Yes. All right, let's stay in Georgia. Jerry and Ted Oates, Jerry 57, Ted 52, reunited as a team for the first time in 20 years on Jerry's George Chancellor Wrestling Show on July the 2nd in their hometown of Columbus before 400 fans. They beat David Young and Chris Stevens. While Jerry's son, Bo, was handcuffed to heel manager Greg Brown. Back in 1976, they held the George Tag titles twice, including a brief view with Black Gorman and El Gran Goliath. And together got the mid-card level of most of the decades. Georgia legends, those brothers, absolutely. Uh, John Bogey over Todd Sexton was your opener on this show. Loverboy Lee Thomas over five touchdowns in one game, Crew Jones. Tony Mamaluke over AJ Steele by disqualification. Damian Steele over Jason Cross. Kid Cash over Sonny Siaki by disqualification. And the O's Brothers over David Young and Chris Stevens. Was Cross wrestling regularly at this time, or is this um, kind of a one-off? He, no, he worked He worked for the O's Brothers um, at times. He would work uh, local shows in the Macon area, but he wasn't working Anarchy, no. Hmm. Yeah, he was just working... At times, he was not working regularly. Okay. And nope. uh, Jerry Oates at this time, if he's seven years old, looked like he was 37 years old. Very, very excellent condition. That guy always stayed in great shape, even to his 70s. Yeah, and we've said it before. Obviously, you've talked about it more on the Wild Side Exile shows. As far as talent goes, Jason Cross was more talented than AJ Styles. Yes. Yes, he was. But his girlfriend did not want him to stick around wrestling, and he picked his girlfriend, and I think they're still together. It's his wife, right? Yeah. So I think he made the right choice. Yeah. Hey. He didn't uh, spend his life in the business. He's still got a marriage, I guess, as far as I know. So, yeah. 
Worked out for him. All right, I miss Alf. They ran two shows. We have Catch a Rising Star on July 1st at the National Guard Army at Salem, Indiana. Mark Wolf, friend of the show, who has a uh, GoFundMe up right now. He's going through some things. So everybody go check that out. Beat Darren Corbin. Nate Webb over Chandler McClure. False Canadian World Match for the Mid-South Women's title is Mickey Knuckles retained over Rain. BJ Whitmer beat Brad Bradley. JC Bailey over TJ Dalton by disqualification. Josh, Josh Abercrombie retained the heavyweight title, beating Delirious by countout. And then for the Mid-South Heavyweight title, Jimmy Jacobs and Ian Rock went to no contest. Jacobs retained. Then on July 2nd, the National Guard Army in Valparaiso, Indiana, we had no blood, no blood, no guts, no glory. Where CM Punk in his final match Friday in Mid-South went to a 60-minute draw with Delirious. That match was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> unless he doesn't yeah, yeah. Yeah, unless he doesn't know when this week for Ring of Honor's final end dates, that'd be the last one he's doing for a long time. Tons of interference, including from a female Delirious coming from another ring. Punk did a farewell speech after the match. That would be Shelirious. Shelirious. That is right. Yes. That was Daisy. And then um, talking to some friends out in the Midwest, and uh, Golden Vampire had an identity as well, apparently. Yeah, I think that's... Do either, you know. It was Seidel, right? Yeah, yeah, it was Seidel, yeah. Well, let's go over the results, and then we'll... Uh... Yes, as uh, Claudio Castanoli opened Ooh. up, beating TJ Dalton. Mickey Knuckles retained her title. I didn't women's title beating Daisy Hayes and Rain. Danny Daniels beat Conrad Kennedy the third. Tank won a three-way over Chris Hero and Eddie Kingston. And that's for the uh, War Games advantage. That's right. And Josh Abercrombie won a three-way for the light heavyweight title, retaining over Mary Brave and Tyler Black. You know those guys. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> then CM Punk went to a 60-minute draw with Delirious. Brad Bradley and Trick Davis beat Wild Size Pomp and Circumstance, Ace Rockwell and Sean Tempers. Then we have uh, Jimmy Jacobs retaining the Mid-South mid Heavyweight over Matt Seidel. And then we had the War Games. Three-way tag team War Games double cage match. Winner got 100% control of the promotion. As Axel Rotten, Bull Payne, Chris Hero, Corporal Robinson, Ian Rotten, the IWMSF uh, elite, defeated BJ Whitmer, Eddie Kingston, JC Bailey, Mark Wolf, and Steve Stone. On one team and the other team, Vito Tomaselli, Tank, Sal Tomaselli, Eric Priest, and Chandler McClure. Yes, I believe the Mark Wolf team was the Jim Fannin team, and then the Tomaselli team was the uh, Ed Schumann NWA Midwest team. That is correct. Those rings were, like, so scary. (laughs) I don't know how they did war games in them. Like, what? (laughs) Even by IWA ring standards, <laughs> the state of the rings on that night were a lot. Yeah, like, at one point, the ropes break from Tank just hitting the ropes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Mid-South was definitely, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely were quite the promotion this era in many ways. And, uh, this show was so interesting. Like, and then, like, it wasn't this one where, like, Jimmy Jacobs finished the match, he was in his underwear, but he started the match in a full suit? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, like, what? Yeah, I mean, and it's Punk's, and how about Punk's last match at a promotion being a 60-minute draw? Well, yeah. here's the thing, though. This one was 
him and Delirious doing a 60-minute comedy match as a tribute to Chris Candido. Yeah. And it holds up as a hoot and a half. Yes. Like, I, I watched it the other day. I know you did, too. And it, it, it breezed by. It did. I love that, like, the first 45 minutes is just general camaraderie, but then, like, at the end, they're like, all right, we're really going to cook here, going. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, oh, shit, we're running out of time. One of us needs to try to yeah. win this match. Yeah, I like that, too. Yeah, it was It was like, okay, time to, time to actually do some wrestling now. But um, it was very enjoyable. It's wild to look back at cards like this and, like, some of the names and, like, where people are now and what they've done. Yes, your trainers with their very, very tiny trunks, the trick Davis pointed out on commentary. I believe everybody <laughs> on commentary had something to say about that. But I feel like that was the MO of the mid-2000s, was, like, either pleathers that were, like, with, like, Jinko jeans, super baggy, super big and oversized, or, like, the tiniest of trunks you could manage to get yourself into and still be able to wrestle. Yeah, yeah, um... And also, this is the era of uh, slam dancing entrance, Tyler Black, as well. Oh, yeah, that was, you know, that was a big thing, though, in 2005. Like, I don't know how up and coming people were on the, the music scene at the time. But, you know, that was a, it had a moment, right? It had a place in a moment. I um I thought it was really, really nice that, you know, obviously with them being in the match and then Danny Daniels being on commentary for their match. Like, that was pretty cool, right? To have, I would assume to have your coach do commentary on one of your matches. Probably one of the first, like, matches they had had where they were getting booked on the card and getting some more steam, per se. Yeah. You know, you watch this and watch them in this era and, you know, no way do you really think, okay, those guys going to be running a pretty successful training school in the next few years. <laughs> because you they just what? were young, you know, they were young. and They were so young and, like, yeah. the match was just, like, a total spot fest. But I have no complaints because everything that they did, like, bar one ridiculous you know, springboard dive by Josh Abercrombie to the outside. Like they pulled it all off clean as a whistle. And it's like, you know what? Like if we're going to do it, let's just fucking do it and do it clean. And I, I can definitely respect that. Like Merrick hits an insane poison Rana in that match. Yes. And I'm just like, well, God damn, yeah. like it's really cool. So, you know, if you're going to do it, I think the takeaway is like, if you're going to go out and have the seven minute spot fest, you need to do it, but it all needs to go off without a hitch and be clean and crisp. Yeah. And their timing on everything was so good. That was what really stood out for me. Like it's a spot fest, but the timing and the place yeah. every, and everything on is just perfect. Yeah. And then, um, uh, Tyler breaking up the pin with that running shooting star press like that was nuts too because it was like perfect like it wasn't off center or to the side or looked wonky it was just like this beautiful like out of the corner shooting star press I'm like okay we're doing that that's awesome so it's like if you're gonna do it like just be clean like that was great I have no complaints about that spot best yeah. other than that I thought they were gonna die from the ropes <laughs> broken yeah. the previous match yeah, and yeah, me, you know, watching this stuff for the first time in so long, too. Like, what, what stood out to me beyond what I just said, too, is, you know, Rollins is the more charismatic one. Merrick is absolutely the smoother worker at this point, though. Yes. He pretty much always was. <laughs> when they were as a tag team, yes. Yes, and now, they complement each other well. Too. Yeah, of yeah. course, when Tyler broke out on his own. You know, that became different, but when they were a regular tag team, 
Yeah, you could definitely see that. Yes. And it's nice. He's getting his flowers now with the school and everything. Oh, absolutely. He's an excellent, excellent professional wrestling coach. Just um, like there are very few people in wrestling that coach that if you're messing something up, can like watch you do it once and be like, no, this is what you're not doing right. Like put your foot here or put your hand there or lean in this way or you need to do this and like can fix it like the first time. It's like such a gift. Um, I feel like we're very lucky to have him as a coach out there and, and just so supportive of the students, right? Like he's running Scott County pro like from 2004, like, and the students wrestle their matches there. And I think that that's nice that there's an ecosystem still in place for people to kind of get their feet underneath of them that he oversees. Right. Like you really want to talk about giving back to wrestling. I'm pretty sure they had bad. They definitely had matches there when they were first starting out. So, and that's 20 years. That promotion will be going 20 years next year. Uh, good lord. And also, they're just, they are extreme outliers as far as being, like, on the surface, they are honestly not wrestlers you would expect to be good coaches. They're great natural athletes who took to wrestling quickly. Yes, they were huge wrestling nerds, but still, you're you're going to expect someone like Cheeseburger, who had to scratch and claw more, to, to be more like, if you're someone who understands, like, who gets the distinction between what makes a wrestler great and what makes a coach great, the someone who had to scratch and claw more and learn everything is like the ideal coach. The fact that they are such good coaches with such good minds for the business, despite also being these athletic freaks who took to it so well, is a very unique trait to have that the two of them have. Yeah, I'm honestly trying to think if I know anybody else who coaches that is just a freak athlete that, like, has the bearings that they do in regard to um I'm sorry big big scary thunderstorm here making my dogs go <laughs> yeah I, I'm pretty sure that it would do that <laughs> yeah that, that's able to see it from the way they see right that's not something that you come across too often yeah all right let's go to Memphis oh good old Memphis <laughs> With tons of publicity from the highly rated Saturday TV show, as well as all the local media and one-hour TV special on June 30th on the ABC affiliate, the Memphis Wrestling debut in South Haven, Mississippi, a few miles south of Memphis in a far nicer building in the old Mid-South Coliseum, drew 4,200 fans for Clash of the Legends 2. 4,200 fans. Not bad. Show up a concert with Jimmy Hart performing his wrestling novelty songs, as well as Keep On Dancing, a legit 60s major hit that still gets airplay on oldie stations. And he was part of the original group, the Gentries, that performed the song. Kamala and Jerry Lawler also sang wrestling novelty songs. Kamala was said to have lost about 100 pounds, and his singing wasn't bad at all. Corey Macklin sang as well with a rap group called CEO. Oh, my God. That, was, that wasn't good. What do you mean that wasn't good, Dave? I went out there and gave my best performance I could give. Over where? Over here. Okay. Oh, there is a video on YouTube of him. Um, it may be from this era. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be from this era. Um, Bix, you ever, did you ever see the angle where they brought Paula Lawler out on television to talk about her marriage with, with Jerry or failed marriage? I think so, because like, this TV was somewhat available at the time because Lawler would upload it to his website fairly regularly. 
it's in his normal speaking voice. He does his normal voice basically during this run. He's not doing mystical. His weird like Lance impression voice. No. Yeah, he's just doing his normal voice. It is so odd watching it. Alright, anyway, all right, uh Kamala and Bill Dundee in a bad match, including Dundee botching his crossbar the middle rope. Well, Bill's freaking old at the time. Uh the big thing was a legends intro, particularly Lance Russell and Dave Brown, the longtime announcers. They introduced legendary members that hardly nobody remembered, like downtown Bruno, Boss Winners, and Hollywood Jimmy, and Nate the Rat. <laughs> Nate was a little out of the show. He wouldn't give up the mic. Russell was trying to keep it moving, but Nate kept talking, then started screaming over Russell. Macklin was pissed. Get this goddamn idiot out of here right now! Finally, they brought out Phil Hickerson and Jimmy Valiant. Lawler and Renee, his valet, beat the scuffling hillbillies in a total comedy match. Terrible wrestling, but the live crowd enjoyed it. Even though Lawler's a top heel on local TV, they almost always cheer him. The best actual wrestling match didn't get over because it was slow paced with the Rock and Roll Express. Yes, Ricky and Robert winning a three-way over the Midnight Express. Dennis Conjure, Bobby Eaton. And the PYTs, Coco Beware, Porch Hot Cash. Wow. One of the big attractions was the final confrontation with Billy Wicks, the area's biggest BFA star in the pre-Jackie Fargo period, and Sputnik Monroe, the area's top heel. The two had a major feud about 45 years ago. They didn't might work, and Sputnik still had it. Refused to shake Wicks' hand, they got heat. Lawlin and wrestled Dutch Mantello to a no contest with tons of interference and reprise of their 1982 feud. That was a big deal. Dundee and Jeff Rose split a battle royal, throwing Lawler out, where the winners were to get a truck. In some comedy, Lawler asked everyone to stay behind and leave names and numbers because he needed witnesses for the crime of Grand Theft Auto against Jeff Rose and Dundee. Sure had a good big show feel, although it's going to be hard to maintain the crowds because you only do legend stuff once. And Lawler versus Corey Mackler, which drew good for them last year, is all played out. This is a show. Drew 4,200 fans. And... This has to be the biggest crowd they've ever drawn in the Memphis market outside of Memphis city limits, right? I gotta think so. You know, it's not a Coliseum, not a convention center. And you look at who's on the show. There's no big outside names. It's all older names, legends. Yeah. So, yeah, these Memphis wrestling uh, incarnations in this era... They all started out doing pretty good, but uh, didn't last. No, no stand power. Eric Acker, 32, the promoter of Coliseum Chancellor Wrestling Evans, will pass away on July 3rd after a serious motor ac- motorcycle accident. Acker used to ride through the ring on his Harley Davidson motorcycle to start the weekly Wednesday night start- shows in the building, continuing a tradition that dated back to the heyday of the Jarrett territory. So, yeah, he, he's the guy that took over to John Collins. He was not involved in the pre-John Collins version. He may have been involved with. He may have been involved, but he's like the guy that takes over. Okay. Died in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. Kai, you got a tour of uh, the Coliseum last year, didn't you? Are you on mute? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I lost my. Fix does that too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I did. Um, I did get a tour of that. It was really cool. Sometimes it's really nice when you get to go to a place like that and just take in all the like wrestling history or like think of all the things that have happened in the building, all the people that have been through the building. Like, I don't know. I really appreciated that, but I don't know. I feel like there are people that don't, which is unfortunate. You know, they just don't understand the significance of those sorts of venues on the business that we're all a part of. Yeah, so when I got the yeah. opportunity, I 
jumped on it. I was like, yes, please take me all around. Um, yeah, that's good. You know, that's good that you did. I mean, that we still have wrestlers that appreciate that history. Oh, absolutely. They're there. We're there. We exist. It's just, I feel like there's, we're further between than we were previously. If that makes sense. It's just not stressed as much. I feel like a lot of people don't stress knowing the history of this business or like important places as much as that used to be a thing. Um, it's wild to me how like in a, in an era where we all have access to so much information, right. Through even something like Wikipedia, how people are like, not informed at all it's almost worse than before right like how are we so ill-informed when we have more access to information than ever before and i don't know i've just always enjoyed learning about the historical components of wrestling and the people that were here before me that made it possible for me to do what i do yeah absolutely i know i know of younger wrestlers in fact i worked one for a short time that um i try to tell them i say you know Try to watch some of the older stuff on YouTube. Nah. He said the oldest stuff I'll watch would be like stuff from the 2000s. I won't go oh, in wow. past the 2000s. Like, okay. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, I know that really is the only appropriate reaction to that. Well, state. his his idea of re- <laughs> well, his idea of wrestling was mainly spot fest. And he didn't care about nothing else but that type of stuff. Oh, okay, whatever. That's your cup of tea. All right. I think there's also a generational thing to a degree in that just the history of wrestling and old and like even accidentally consuming older stuff was more something that just kind of happened for everyone in a certain era watching TV wrestling and trying to keep up. Like if you're in the era where you're getting the magazines, you're going to be learning stuff through that. Or if you're someone who's going to watch you know, the non, you know, major promotions, like, you'll have, maybe you have something like ICW that's showing all this random other old bullshit that they have tapes of, or, you know, stuff like that. I feel like it's not as much of, like, a requirement of being a hardcore fan that you will go through stuff that will inevitably expose you to older stuff and give you more of a curiosity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And now this also isn't as much a newer change too, because I remember there's that story from I guess it's a couple of years before this in OVW. There was that story where somehow Luthez's name came up and Cornette lost it on Linda Miles because she didn't know who Luthez was. Which I mean it why would Linda Miles know who Luthez is? You know, this basketball player who decided to try out for tough enough. But still, that's not the point of the story and why I'm bringing this up. That led to, and they even wrote about this on WWE.com at the time, giving a quiz to everyone in OVW. It named some various major wrestling, you know, historical figures. And they made it clear, you can use Google, you can look up stuff online. But to see that you're actually looking this stuff up and trying to understand the history, please just, like, write a paragraph, a small paragraph about each of these people. Like, they weren't even expecting them to know off the top of their heads who these people were. And these were all big names, too. And most of the wrestlers didn't even really try. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even though they were specifically told, you know, Google stuff, look stuff up. Yeah. A 
Current Affair did a piece on the plight of wrestlers when there's only one, well, two promotions, and neither wants them. Interview Bub Bagwell, Rick Steiner, Eric Watson, Glenn Gaberti. Bagwell says he's addicted to drugs and alcohol, but he's clean now. It's not hovering right. 85% of the percentage of guys who said they were addicted to drugs and alcohol who say they are clean now. There have been two weeks after saying that. They will get a report from an indie show from someone either saying they came up to them about trying to score something or that they were clearly loaded. And Dave's not lying, sadly. Buff isn't working many indie shows, so maybe the 15%. He said he did the painkillers after breaking his neck against Steiner. He noted that he was fired in two weeks by WWE, and it's been four years, and nobody's hired him. Well, it isn't if TNA didn't give him several chances. Steiner talked about the high death rate and painkiller problem. He said a lot of people want to keep their face on TV, so they work for low payoffs. Watts was showing this new house painting business called Brush with Success. Hmm. Yeah. And Glenn Gilberti said that painkillers are a necessity to survive in the business. He also said that wrestlers needed a union, but nobody would risk their career to try to start one. Steiner and the people like Hogan, who could have helped make a union a possibility, had no interest in helping because he was always taken care of. For every wrestler under 30 reading this, when you are 45, there's a 98% chance you will be mad that wrestlers never had the guts to unionize, as every older wrestler bemoans that, and every younger wrestler either doesn't care or is too scared to talk about it publicly. Here's great advice that nobody will listen to. The day before next year's mania, everyone should sit together and refuse to go on unless the union's put into place. If not, just remember that when you're 45 and all the NHL mid-level players at JBL's laughing about the day aren't worried about their future, and all the former superstars are realizing they're better hope, they better hope they can change enough for the times to be marketable like Terry Falk at an old age, or there are some lean times ahead. Well, there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, the first thing is that there is no way that Glenn Gilberti would say wrestlers need a union today. Well, it was on current affair, I guess, Bix. So. I mean, Glenn Gilberti specifically, the way oh, to, Glenn Gilberti is today. Well, here's the thing. Would he say it? Probably not. But does he believe it? Probably so. I mean that's the that's the no that's the world we live in now where a lot of people say shit that they don't really believe, but they're saying it to get themselves over with a certain group of people. Yes, there's that. Yeah. Um, pain. Pepper. I believe that that's Go called ahead. moral grandstanding. Yes. Yes. <laughs> is what I like to use the term I use for it. Or trying to grift. Or, or a form of grifting. Yeah. That too. I mean, painkillers being a necessity to survive in the business. I mean, I'll defer to Kai on this as the active wrestler, but it. I mean, honestly, I wonder how much of that mentality is coming from an era where when he was under contract, pot was banned. I. I don't know. I think that wrestling is very hard on your body and you do have aches and pains and bumps and bruises from wrestling. The degree of which will obviously vary from the style of wrestling you choose to partake in. Um, I've found personally that if I take care of myself, like I don't go out and drink a lot. I don't do a bunch of crazy drugs. I don't, not get my sleep. I try to make sure I get sleep. I try to make sure I do like yoga, mobility. I try to take care of myself. And I feel like that mitigates a good chunk of it. But I could definitely see how if you're feeling 
achy and beat up and you're not taking care of yourself, how that could be a miserable existence, right? So I think that it is a generational thing. A lot of wrestlers nowadays seem to be more into like taking care of themselves and like not as big into partying as maybe people were back in like the 90s and maybe even the early 2000s. So that's a shift I've certainly noticed. Um, I also just think that like people know that painkillers are really, really horrible for you now, more so than they did back when they were just freely prescribing them to people. Yes. There's been a little exactly. bit of a crack on the accessibility to things like that. Um, I also think that, you know, just like better education into like physical therapy and you know, physical medicine and chiropractic practice and acupuncture and stem cell therapy. And people are starting to look at these as alternative routes to pain medication, um, which is good too. So, yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's just, it, I think that the one thing is that a lot of the wrestlers that died in the last generation open people's eyes to what stuff could do. Well, yeah. And I mean, also on top of everything else, like just more specifically on the painkiller point too, like, how do I put this? We're getting closer to that point in 2005, but it's not like now where I think there's a much better understanding to the average person that if you can get... You know, out, you know, and outside of surgery and stuff like that. If you if you can get by without taking a narcotic painkiller for something, that is what you need to do. Like, I think people understand tolerance and everything too better as far as how much painkillers can fuck you up. You know, like, I, I think the average person does. I don't even think it's just a wrestling thing that we've had all this, you know, stuff about the opiate crisis and all that. And, yeah, like, people realize maybe we shouldn't just be like prescribing this medication like candy. But, I, mean, but the, I think the drugs has changed, though. You know, that's the thing. I mean, in the 2000s, in the late 90s, it was more about, you know, the painkillers and stuff like that. And but cocaine's now had a big renaissance, you know, in recent it memory. Has- so did there, it ever really go away is my question. I feel it, like there's it, drugs and professionals. It never went away. It never went away, but it just became popular again. You know? I, I think that's people a fair way to put it. stopped caring if everyone knew that they did it. I think that maybe there was a period of time where people were like, oh, wait, this is not a good thing to do. And people probably shouldn't know that I do it. I'm just going to kind of keep it to myself to now people are a little bit more comfortable being flagrant with their drug use. <laughs> um, so yeah. I sometimes wonder, did it really go away or has it always been there? And it's just like the perception and the visibility has changed. Well, you know? Heroin. I mean, heroin was a thing that, you know, when I was growing up, you heard about a lot. And then the older I got in the 90s, you never really heard about heroin much anymore. No. And then heroin may, has made a big comeback, you know, in the recent years. Well, you know, you know the reason for that, right? Yeah. It's uh, when someone gets addicted to pills, heroin is cheaper. Yeah. 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 Um, and probably more accessible, honestly, since they've cracked down on the prescription, on the distribution of prescription drugs. And the other thing is, too, is like going back to what I was saying, like. 
I think the big thing that people get now that they didn't get then is like, I think everyone understands now that painkillers are basically heroin. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't think it was that way before. They're not good. Yeah. Oh, or, they're all part of the opiate family. Right. Or, I mean, like in 2005, we're still in the era of the pharmaceutical companies with the big painkillers trying, still trying to claim that the extended release ones aren't addictive and all that nonsense that turned out to be complete bullshit. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. at this point, I think they're still trying to frame the whole Oxycontin argument around, like, oh, it's just people that grind up the pills and blah, blah, blah. No. It's like, it's, like, as it eventually would come out, like, part of the problem was Oxycontin was also, besides the fact that that was bullshit, like, the time release didn't even work anyway. Yeah. So there's that. And now, as far as the union stuff, you know, huh. we've been over this a zillion times. It's just, it's not going to happen. Nope. It never will. And, and never will. I, I, mean, I think part of that now, though, too, is unless things—I mean, unless things bottom out in a particular way, which I don't think they will. You know, at least for main roster WWE and AEW, the pay floor is high enough that I think even the people who might have been inclined before are going to be less inclined to even consider it. Yeah, I'd be curious, like. I don't know. I don't know what the drug policies are at the large companies. I'll just put that out there. But I would be curious as to how they go about it currently, because obviously, like, wrestlers smoking weed is not that big of a deal anymore. Lord knows Matt Riddle has made it his gimmick. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. It's well, not in WWE, yeah. they, they stopped testing for it, but they never actually changed the policy for some reason. But still, Did they still find people for it. I mean, no, Randy no. Randy Orton has worked there for all these years. There's your, there's your. Well, yes, <laughs> but even then, it was always it was never a suspension. It was always the pot tax, so to speak. Yeah, but now, I mean, it's they they don't even test for it anymore for the last uh, few years or so now. I would assume they're probably more back on the track of like keeping people off massive amounts of steroids, since that was also. And painkillers and... Contributing to people dying, yeah. And, And, you know, I mean, I don't know if they test for them. I mean, that was one of the reasons I think they became a problem. But, like, you know, you don't ever hear about people doing somas anymore. No. Um, No. Or even, like, people have kind of moved away from, like, anabolics. I feel like most people, like, now, like, when they do any kind of supplement, it's testosterone's having a huge resurgence, right? Because you can get your doctor to prescribe that to you very, very easily. Especially if you're, like, a guy in your 30s. <laughs> like, does not take a lot to get them to write that for you. So, I think just the fitness industry in general is changing a little bit. <clears throat> well. Yeah, there's, there, there's a, it's just a different way of doing stuff. Yeah, and uh, as far as mm-hmm. what else was here, I mean, Bagwell, I think it came out pretty quickly that Bagwell was absolutely not on the wagon at the time. No, oh, well. Um, he, if I remember right, he did have a period of sobriety, at least from pills, because I think he ended up, there was a whole article about him getting on Suboxone, I want to say, like a year or two after this. He was on something, always, whether it be alcohol, drugs, he was on, he was on something. yeah. But I mean that he was at least staying sober from abusing pills for a while. Um, Eric Watts at this point is this after his troubles reached their worst, or is this before? Uh, it's two thousand five. So I feel not like this positive. is. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, 
Oh, okay. His attempted attentional overdose was January. Wow. The one that, in a uh, low point for wrestling fans, was followed up with him appearing at a TNA show a week or two later and fans catcalling him about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I, in all honesty, I'd rather have the uh, telling Jamie Noble he sucks dick for money than that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, we got TNA now to close out. As uh, Brian Alvarez notes, out of sight, out of mind, never has felt so true. Because Why is that, Bix? Because uh, they're done with Fox Sports Net, and they don't have a TV outlet in the U.S. outside of, you know, whatever regional sports networks and the like that Explosion is on. Basically, if you want to watch TNA, you basically have to watch it on real video. Yes, if you want to watch Impact, you have to watch yeah. it on real video. It, yeah. Which was it was impact on anywhere on TV during this little in between period between Fox Sportsnet and Spike? I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. So yeah, <laughs> they were streaming promotion very early in the game. <laughs> but yeah, all right. So we stay with uh, Brian here. Notes from a Jeff Jarrett interview on Between the Ropes Radio. He opened up by saying that he preferred to be called a three-time NWA champion rather than a former champion. Brian realizes he's in heel work mode here, but seriously, what a mark for a fake belt and a fake sport. He's right up there with the worst defenders of all time. If you look at how much money he's cost Panda, Health South, and whoever else to play fake world champion for the last three years, he may very well be the worst. He said big things were afoot and would be announced within the next four to eight weeks and insisted they were in this for the long haul. He said the next step would take the company on tour. That should be the last step. It's 2005. Give up on the idea of house shows already. He was asked if they were looking at any talents on the roster, and he generically said all the obvious names. He also brought up his desire to bring Kevin Nash back. He was asked about moving up in the ranks. He said even if there was a glass ceiling, if you're good enough, you could always break through it. It's funny. The guys standing on the glass ceiling always say this, and the guys (laughs) underneath it always insist otherwise. The host asked why Lance Hoyt was so over. Lance Archer. Jeff said he has a hidden talent with a lot of athletic ability, and the crowd in Orlando had matured. So this core group that was coming every week had seen Hoyt mature over time as well, and now he's over. That was really his explanation. He didn't mention that Hoyt goes to the bar after every show and drinks like a motherfucker with all the fans. (laughs) (laughs) Regarding live your best life. Hey, hey. regarding TV, he said he wouldn't confirm nor deny anything, but when a deal was signed, they let everyone know. Yeah, if you were not reading the newsletters in that era and you ever wondered why uh, the future Lance Archer was uh, suddenly so over, it was that he had befriended all of the front row fans in Orlando. He was having he was having those parking lot beers, Bix, that uh, other indie wrestlers would. I mean, this is not like. a terrible strategy. I definitely think that I befriended plenty of people when I was doing ring crew in my time off that you know, I've become friends with that have been nice and kind to me when I, since I've resumed wrestling. That's so. an old school mentality. Yeah. Like I enjoyed that. Uh, like even when I would run the door, it was nice to just see everybody and like take their ticket and see how they were doing. Like, I think there's something to be said for that. I think social media has changed all that, that perception. Yes. Now. yes. But, but before there was social media, I mean, wrestlers had like this barrier they would put on for the fans that we don't, we don't hang out with fans, you know? So, 
And not all of them did it, but there was a majority that just, nah. Well, and you still hear some people who have that, like, idea now where it's like, they don't like the current culture of everyone selling their gimmicks during intermission and after the show. Or at least during intermission, they might be okay with it after the show. Because they feel like the first time everyone should lay eyes on you is when you come through the curtain. Yeah, and that's old school mentality, but you know what? I've been to plenty of shows where those uh, those talents that was out there selling their gimmicks were selling a shitload before the show started. Yep. I have to say, too, if I'm working babyface, if there's time, like I'm not the first or second match, I love to go out when they open doors and sit at my merch table because then I can be nice to people and they see me and I smile and it helps me get over a little bit. You know, that is the thing. On the somewhere before. See, that's, a, that's the thing that that's the big difference between North and South. On Southern Indies, that is, you know, what you do. That's what they did for years. I mean, those I mean, guys if I was a heel, I probably wouldn't be as apt to do it. But yeah, I can tell you when you work babyface, you've never been somewhere before. People don't know who you are. It is already you're fighting an uphill battle getting people to cheer you these days because a like, um, it's a lot easier to make people dislike you than like you. And also, people now think it's cool to cheer heels. <laughs> so it's like it's a double double whammy. So anything you can do to kind of set yourself up for success, I think, is worth exploring. And I guess that's cool that that goes back to the south like that. Yeah, I mean, all the, most of the sudden indies do that, man. You go up in the building, and you're going to see most of the wrestlers at their gimmick table, you know, ready ready for the fans. So, yeah. Um, so I checked newspapers.com. Impact is on in syndication. Okay. Like, the first one that came up on newspapers.com is KWWF-TV, the UPN affiliate in Waterloo, Iowa. Where they had a wrestling block of Wildside and Impact. Okay. Even though there's no more Wildside. Well. Alright, Simon Inoki of New Japan is trying to put TNA into his camp and doing the American G1 Climax Tournament this year. Ah, uh, yes, good old Simon Kelly Inoki. Yes, and okay, I just looked a little more and yeah, it looks like Impact has replaced Explosion on some of the regional sports networks. Like Sunshine. If a deal signed for Spike Olympium on Saturday nights at three hours UFC is so logical a move that Dave could almost guarantee they make a play for it would be to have Tito Ortiz and Shamrock on the first show and try to start a purpose program between the two of them, if they would agree to it. This booking committee is going to get a, a lot more than Dusty Rhodes, who was a big UFC fan, but not big enough to realize Ortiz is a heel and Shamrock's a babyface, and position <laughs> Ortiz more in line with that everyone thinks of him. For whatever it's worth, those that you believe the deal is completed for TNA, they'd be buying time late Saturday night at the USC's block. Those at TNA say the deal is close, but it's definitely not a done deal. I forget. Is it a time buy at first, or is it just barter? I think at first it may have been. Was that It was that it started as a time buy, then they were so successful it became a barter, successful in terms of ratings, and then eventually, it, after a year or two, it became a deal where they got paid. Yes. Something like that. All right, let's talk about Impact, and we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch for the first first time in a, in a while here. Uh, the July 1st Impact featured AJ Styles defeating Alex Shelley in an eight-minute main event that featured a sound technical display of wrestling involving two of the better workers TNA has on the roster. Sean Waltman joined Mike Tanay and Don West for commentary during the latter part of the match to set up his feud with AJ Styles. Waltman said he was impressed with Styles, but believes he's too naive for his own good. 
After the match concluded, Waltman entered the ring to offer mock congratulations to Styles. Jerry Lynn intervened to prevent a potential fight between the former allies. The feud between Waltman and Styles set an opportunity for Waltman to help Styles become a strong character to complement his tremendous in-ring work. Oh, the court said that about John Waltman's abilities? Okay. Absolutely. I know, right? Uh, Whose who's TV write-up is this? Wade, Jason? Um, I think it was Wade. Uh, I may, I can't, it's one of the people that, that torch at the time. I, I don't think I included it in here. Uh, the show started with Sean Waltman beating Sanjay Dutt in 417 with the X Factor. Dutt looked strong since Waltman had to cheat to win, and Dutt continually responded to Waltman's offensive outburst by countering with strong moves of his own. Solid opening match. Lance Hoyt beat Eric Young with Petey Williams at 441 the Big Boot. Petey assumed Coach Scott Demore's role as the leader of Team Canada and the person to provide constant outside interference during matches. After the match, Team Canada delivered a beatdown on Hoyt, but the Naturals made the save. Abyss defeated Sonny Siaki in 411 with the Black Hole Slam. Abyss looked strong matching up against an opponent similar size and build, while also making Siaki look good by not dominating the entire match. After the match, Abyss attacked Apollo and Siaki until NWA world champion Raven intervened to choke out Abyss with Abyss's very own chain. Raven then challenged Abyss to a dog collar match at the No Surrender preview. After that, America's Most Wanted beat Simon Diamond and Triton. Oh, uh, Ryan Wilson. Ryan Wilson. When James Storm pinned Diamond following a super kick, Jeff Jarrett interrupted during the match and demanded an answer from Larry Zbysko as why he hasn't received an NWA title shot. Jared also dropped ahead about the other Hardy coming to TNA. AJ Styles beat Alex Shelley in 803 with the Styles Clash. Excellent technical wrestling bout. That wasn't given enough time to tell a complete story, but featured wrestling at its finest. During a backstage interview on the show with Terry Taylor, Christopher Daniels claimed to have run through every potential X Division challenger. Petey Williams interrupted and challenged Daniels to the X Division title match, No Surrender. Daniels agreed. And another interview, Monty Brown reminded viewers he pinned NBA champion Raven during their King of the Mountain match at the last pay-per-view and warned three live crew about receiving the pounce. Is it me or is it insane that like three quarters of the people on this show are office in a major promotion right now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's go that over the tech alley. Out. Okay, so Sean Waltman, surprisingly not. So Sanjay Dutt, uh, AEW, you know, creative team member and producer, uh, Lance Hoyt on the AEW roster. Eric Young, technically on the WWE roster, but... He's receiving a check. <laughs> he's, been, he's been under contract for seven, eight months, and they haven't done a thing with him. He's getting that check, though. With Petey Williams, WWE producer. Yes. Uh, Scott Demore, president of TNA, or Impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abyss, WWE producer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I scroll down. Jeff. Well, I'm not even up to the JF yet. Uh, where are we? Raven does some agenting at NWA, right? He's got something going on. Yeah. Uh, Simon Diamond, NWA agent, slash producer. Jeff Jarrett, AEW producer and live event person and all that. Uh, AJ Styles, WWE star. Alex Shelley, Impact World Champion. Terry Taylor, WWE coach. Christopher Daniels, AEW. Leader of the Taylor Gang. Yes. And Monty Brown, uh, personal trainer. Yeah. (laughs) The guy that probably could have been, you know, one of the biggest stars of the bunch. (laughs) Yeah, but it's crazy. Like, I'd love to know what specifically it is about 
like that generation of impact guys that so many of them have gotten into working behind the scenes. I guess it's that experience of being around Jeff. I mean, for Sunjay, it certainly is. <laughs> but I don't think it's that for everyone, is it? Well, hey, it is what it is. Well, I guess it's in WWE, at least, it's when you're Paul Levesque and you're more open to people from the outside. You have all these people who are experienced at doing TV that, you know, might be wanting a job in wrestling still. Yeah, that's part of it. So that's part of it. But it's still it's still wild, though, the sheer numbers of people on this show that are either like producers, creative or an active star in a major company right now. And it's like, what, almost 20 years later. That's the crazy 18 thing. years, yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> and and it's only like years. now that AJ Styles is slowing down in the ring a little. Yeah. Well, I mean, we really haven't seen him have that type of match since he came back yet, really. I mean, he's had some TV stuff, but... Well, he had the Rollins match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah that, but that was a good match, though. Hell of a match. Well, that's what I'm saying. But still, though, like, now he's, like, slowing down his style more and having less big matches. But, like, it's also, insane like, the level of quality he's kept up. Go ahead. Add. How many opponents has he had in recent history that could, like, have that kind of match with him? Short of Seth, you know? Like... Yeah. yeah. And All right. Shelley's the Impact Champion. Yeah. TNA, uh, but staying with the tours, TNA addressed last week's problems associated with downloading Impact by streaming this week's show through the real player. Beto quality wasn't as good, but downloading headaches were eliminated. So, yes, you could download the shows and watch them. What format was it in that there were issues with? The- hey, quick it time. It had to be quick time. Yeah. Well, no, but... Had to be. It, well, no, because if it's quick time, I feel like... I mean, if you're on a Mac, obviously, you would have been good to go it's right 2005. away. Well, no, 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 no. Well, I'm, I'm getting there. But also, I feel like a lot of people either had QuickTime or would be prompted to get QuickTime if they were on a PC. Were, is it possible they were using something well, that, like, like let, Livix? I don't know. Let me continue as we have more on this. To address problems associated with downloading TNA Impact off the company's website, they reached agreement with Real.com to stream Impact online. TNAWrestling.com was unable to handle the bandwidth requests related to downloading the June 24th edition of Impact. Found oh. it they were self-hosting. Because, that explains a lot. Many, causing many headaches for TNA's web division, while also leading complaints from TNA fans. During the week that followed, TNA reached an agreement with Real.com to deliver future editions of Impact through the Real Player video software for easier streaming and viewing of Impact. The July 1st edition served as the first joint production between TNA and Real, leading to instant on-demand viewing. Video quality was not as crisp as the June 24th downloadable edition impact, but many people were satisfied with on-demand viewing rather than having to wait extended hours to finish downloading an enormous file. Okay, I'm pulling it up on Wayback to see if there's any indication what the hell this is. Okay, it's in a zip file? Oh my god. You're not going to believe this, though. I can't believe this. They were using BitTorrent to distribute it. That's hilarious. What? Wow. (laughs) Different time. Well, okay, so that was not the only issue either. Which is like, I mean, look, BitTorrent has always had its legitimate uses. The original reason that, uh, oh, I forget the name of the guy who developed it, put it together was to distribute, like, you know, ISOs of builds of Linux. You know, like, it 
it was for you know non you know bootlegging purposes. It just became very yeah. useful for that kind of thing. So not only that though. This is weird. I don't know why they're doing this. They were distributing it in .flv files. So they were distributing it as downloads of Flash video files. Probably because everybody had the Flash player from playing yeah. online games. Oh, so, so maybe it would just play it in browser. So they figured yep. that's the most likely thing to be compatible. Okay, that again, you got to remember it's two thousand five. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, Flash. Oh, two thousand five. Yeah. Is there ever been a more mainstream software that was probably responsible for killing people's computers? Yeah, uh, it was pretty bad. or Morpheus. Well, I, think, I, I never yeah. those. I mean, as far as like targeted attacks, but yes, I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, I, I had my issue with it once. <laughs> I know how, how it was. But how about that? Holy shit, I did not remember. Okay, so wait a second. The, uh, oh no, excuse me. BitTorrent was the solution because of the issue on their server. I didn't read the whole thing here. It says, how to watch Impact Note. Many fans are experiencing slow downloads due to extremely high network traffic. While working around the clock, literally to improve system performance, we encourage you to download this week's show using BitTorrent. Okay. Um, so this was the workaround after they're already having the issues that led to the real deal. Uh-huh. I mean, good on whoever thought of that as an alternative. That's what you need to do in this situation. Um, but still kind of wild to see this. And I, no. well, YouTube has not launched yet at this point, right? No. They launch a few months later, I think. Yeah. Well, also, and it would it would have been maximum ten minutes too, for per video. Yeah. Oh, it launched in February, but it's it's not something you would do a longer video on at this point. All right, no change in the Matt Hardy situation. Right now, they're working with the assumption he's not coming in until it tells him otherwise. And he doesn't come in because he ends up going back to WWE. And we close that with two bits from uh, Figure Four Weekly. The company announced that they were teaming up with the Navarre Corporation to distribute videos in the U.S. and Canada. Among the titles that will be distributed include Victory Road, Turning Point, and Lockdown, so they're going pay-per-views first. They also plan on releasing Enigma, the best of Jeff Hardy, with TNA footage? And AJ Styles Volume 2. That, on the other hand, will be a keeper. The Navarre co- cooperation, Corporation, excuse me. Yeah, hold on. I'm trying to uh, find what I wrote about this in 2016 when I found out they owed the money. Um, give me one second. Uh, oh, yeah, so TNA Entertainment. Oh, yeah, TNA Entertainment owed the money... Since 05. Shocking. According to the lien or whatever they had on them. Or the debt that was uh, filed publicly. So this deal does not go well, I'm guessing. Looks that way. Which, can you believe we're only a few years away from where we're probably going to have to do a show going over the week where we stopped recording the show for 45 minutes because we were diving into trying to figure out who was funding uh, the TNA tapings to keep them afloat until... Yeah. Oh, my god. Yeah, goodness. that was a memorable night. <laughs> yes. I was, whenever I think of TNA in this era, I always think of just, like, putting my... setting my VCR to record it because it would come on at, like, 4 and 3 in the morning here. And, like, yeah. that was, like, 
you know, obviously I watched Ring of Honor. I'm from the East Coast, like was kind of aware of that, the Indies to an extent. So I was like, oh, I got to check this TNA stuff out. Right. But it was like so hard to get your eyes on the footage sometimes. And like now it's like, shit, stream it on Twitch. What was it like? (laughs) Was it on home team sports or something like that? Maybe I can't. It was like a local channel. It would come on. Because it was like, it wasn't even through the cable box. It was like just whatever came in through the actual TV. Because you got to remember, like, I grew up, like, relatively in a very small middle of nowhere part of Maryland. So, um, yeah, I would just sit there and wait until, like, three in the morning, be, like, falling asleep. And then as soon as it would start, I'd hit record and go to sleep and watch it the next day. Well, also- I wonder if I have any of those tapes anywhere. Well, also, I mean, the thing I need to remember, too, is like what, on the Fox Sportsnet affiliates, it wasn't always airing the same time slot, depending on what was airing on that local Fox Sports affiliate. Yeah. And yeah. It, okay, it was on, at least looking earlier in the year, it was on CSN in yeah, Maryland. Kids today don't know the struggle. And I'm That's like, I think it's Sportsnet. Okay. The shit I used to do to try to get my hands on like wrestling footage when I was in high school. And it's like kids just go to like IWTV or YouTube and it's there and they stream it. And it's like I remember doing that, like having to video record shit, um, like trying to like figure out whose house you were going to go to to watch the pay-per-view or like what restaurant was going to be showing it. Like I remember Hooters used to always show the pay-per-views or like or DVDs. Right. Like I remember ordering like Ring of Honor DVDs and like checking the mailbox constantly. And it's just something that I don't think people experience these days. <laughs> Yeah, they, they they don't know. God, imagine <laughs> telling you know telling ourselves you know even two thousand five that by you know like fifteen years later that New Japan, All Japan, Noah, Dragon Gate, you know DDT, uh, Big Japan would all have their own streaming services that do most of the big shows live. I remember one day in class, our coaches told us they were just taking questions at the end of class. And I'm not quite sure how it came up, but I think it was just like on road trips, like keeping yourself occupied because now obviously everybody has a cell phone. So it's not as miserable. And they said that like their one friend had a portable DVD player and that they would all just sit in the back of the seat of the car and watch like IWA DVDs on this portable DVD player going to God knows where in the Midwest. And it's like, now we all have cell phones. But um, I know MLJ still has a portable DVD player and yeah, watches and brings it. That. Yeah, he brings it on trips. I remember when I was doing some of the GCW loops, he would like bring it up to the hotel room and you could like hook it up to the TV and we would watch like DVDs he had. But it's so wild to think like, oh my God, like, yeah, in 2005, this is what we did. We all piled in the back of a car and watched a portable DVD player. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we close out with this. TNA's old publicity guy, Brad Bernstein, has been axed. Perhaps you're wondering why. Hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So, there we go. TNA. Oh, TNA. All right. Well, that is it for us this week on Between the Sheets. So, uh, Kaya's plug time. Uh, you got a pretty busy schedule you've been uh, doing lately. So I thought about what's going on uh, coming in your world. Got a lot. Of, I have a lot of time to make up for. Like, I don't think people realize like how lazy they are when you don't actually 
like when you're not like restrained by something, right? So like being out injured made me really prioritize hitting the ground running when I came back. Like I've worked a full schedule all of June. I had an awesome match down at Action with Billy Starks. I had an awesome match at Dreamwave with Becca. It was really cool to get to work both of those girls. Uh, Billy, obviously, I've seen her at GCW over the past couple of years. And, and Becca, too, up at Beyond and working in New England. So it was nice to finally get to have those two matches. Um, I got to, I'm got i getting to wrestle in Maryland, which is so great. Like, my home state, after two and a half years of wrestling, I finally get to wrestle in Maryland. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. I've done it completely backwards. Like, I feel like most people, like, start wrestling, like, close to their house and branch out. And it's like, I started, like, working New England in the Midwest before I worked the Mid-Atlantic. Um, and, like, also, I'm, like, one of the few black and brave kids to, like, not have worked SCW shows after i graduated like i didn't work my first scw show until i had been working like two years so i'm just i'm doing i'm doing the cody i'm just going out everywhere else and then going back to the indies i don't know um but yeah i've got a pretty good schedule coming up for july um i've catalyst in new york on the 8th i have um ccw wrestling in at the monster factory on the 15th on the 22nd, I will be returning to MCW, which is really nice because my family gets to come out and see me wrestle. <laughs> I love that. I have um, Flying Fights in Washington, D.C. on the 29th. I'll be back at Dreamwave in LaSalle, Illinois in August on the 4th and 5th. And Ultimate Dragons on that show. And that's, like, really cool. Like, there's not a whole lot of people where I'm like, oh, my God. But I'm super excited to be on a show with Ultimate Dragon. Um, that's just, you know. I will obviously contain that to keeping it inside of myself that day, but it is kind of cool to have those experiences, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm August is filling in and it's, it's really nice because there was a period when I came back from my injury where I was like, Oh my God, I can't get booked. Oh my God. Why isn't anybody booking me? What's going on? And I have come to realize that it just takes like a month to get back into the ecosystem. So it's yeah, good. All, it all it takes to get out there and, get your feet wet again and let people see that yeah you're you're back and you're ready to go and yeah, it, yeah i was combating this fear that people had that i was going to immediately get re-injured a second time and i'm like look please don't put that out there in the universe for me for well, that's, a thing, that's a thing that happens you know but because of um what happened in october i felt like i had to really try super hard to change that perception and establish that I was in fact a hundred percent ready, good to go. And I would not have been able to do that without Merrick Brave. Like he was the only one that would give me bookings to prove I was not going to fall apart the second I stepped inside of a wrestling ring. Like if he didn't give me that stretch of bookings in Iowa in May and April, I probably wouldn't have the busy schedule I have now. Like the fact that he was willing to help get me back to where I needed to be is what set me up for the success I'm having. So I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that he extended that opportunity to me and that it's paid off so well. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, plug the social yeah. media and the big cartel and stuff too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big cartel. I got my merch store. So it's like I was out for a year, right? So I'm like trying to move through the rest of my merch, but I have some new shirts and new stickers and hopefully new eight by tens that will be coming up into my big cartel. In the next coming weeks, it is kayamckenna.bigcartel.com. There is a link tree with all these links in my Instagram at kayamck. The link tree is not in my Twitter because Elon Musk is terrible. 
<laughs> I, I do think he eventually changed that back. Did he change it back? I was like, oh my god. He's busy uh, getting ready to fight Mark Zuckerberg. Well, no, now his oh, mom god. said he doesn't, she doesn't want him to, so he's not going to do it. <laughs> Good grief. My Twitter is also at Kaya MCK, K-A-I-A-M-C-K. That is actually my handle on all social media platforms. TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, that's where you can find me. The omni-channel approach. Make it easy. Yeah, um, if you can. Yeah, please, please follow me on all those platforms. I do like to interact with people and see what you're posting, as long as you're being a pleasant, normal human being. And it's a good way to like kind of keep up with where I'm heading on the road. I try to post my schedule once a month and just get back to people as much as I can and as reasonably as I can. So please follow me on Twitter or Instagram as you're going to be your best bet. All right. Awesome. And if you're at a show and you see me, please say hi. Let's take a picture because I actually like all the pictures fans take with me and post. I save them in a little album on my phone. I love to have all those. I don't know why. Oh, it is so when I was having some like bad brain days during my recovery, like in questioning whether or not people wanted to ever actually see me wrestle again. I would like look back at some of those pictures with like friends or like fans that took pictures and posted them on Twitter and like, oh, wait, no, there's a whole bunch of people that are just waiting to see me come back. So please always say hello and take pictures. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Because again, I mean, that's different than the mentality the wrestlers used to have. It's a you know, they don't want to have anything to do with the fans. So uh, that's a good thing about today's wrestling is we have more of that going on. Absolutely. I love like signs. Like when fans still bring signs, it's not as common as it used to be, but I've gotten some really good ones lately. Like somebody had a sign that was like good, witch, bad bitch. I was like, I love that. <laughs> um, and then like somebody said, it's Kaya's witching hour or, you know, that was my friend Sarah came and brought that sign at Dreamwave. And that was really nice. I love to see the signs because I just remember when I would watch WWF in the 90s, like how reckless people were with the signs. Well, they were everywhere. I mean, nobody could watch the show because all you see was signs. <laughs> no. uh, one thing we I know feel like they don't have signs. Do people just not make them now or do they take them? Because I've heard people say that like they take the signs from them now. They is some of both. Yeah. It's yeah, I guess it depends on what your sign says, what the content of your sign yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like lately we've done a bunch of shows where we'll watch like raw clips, and it's from like the era, like especially like late '97, early '98, where like they clearly don't know how to shoot the show with fans doing this yet, because yeah. also because the fans haven't gotten on to where hard cam is, so you'll have fans that are like on the hard cam side. And oh yeah, holding up like they're backwards. Some, well, some will be some will just try be trying to hold up signs fruitlessly. Others are cottoning onto it and hold up backward signs. But there's that. And the, didn't you get like a huge banner at one of the SCW shows last year? Too? I did. I did get a huge banner at one of the SCW shows. It was like 24 feet. It was nuts. That was the biggest sign I've ever gotten at a show. I guess I'm over, brother. I got a 24 foot sign. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. 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 Like just signs are great. Well, I had something else I wanted to say in regard to that, and it just fell out of my brain. Hopefully it comes back. <laughs> Believe me, those things happen when you're doing doing a show. I've had that many times. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets. We've done a lot of 2000 shows lately, it seems. So that we 
it's time to go back to the 80s. So we're going back to 1988. That's a good year, though. Oh, yes. I was a nine-year-old kid, almost nine-year-old by that week. So, uh, WF, we get the early days of Brother Love. And we have Dave Meltzer's thoughts on that character. Plus, we have Owen Hart uh, debuting on the house shows as the Blue Angel. So we'll talk about that. And he's not too happy about wearing a mask. Plus, we'll have uh, other angles for television to talk about, including a coronation. We have uh, the Pacific Northwest Wars going on still at this time as Billy Jack Haynes has run, still run his OWF to Don Owens Pacific Northwest, Portland Wrestling. We'll have uh, some world-class stuff to talk about. We have um, some Memphis angles from TV involving a lot of the stud stable. Shocking in this time period. Shocking. We have uh, Continental Bix to talk about, including... Uh, a bizarre attack on Danny Dan- Danny Daniels, Danny Davis, and uh, Lord Humongous gets attacked. We'll talk about that. Oh, who's the booker for that? Thomas uh, Edward Gilbert Jr., professionally known as Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. That is correct. We got the Dundees roughing up the bullet on uh, USA Wrestling to talk about that. Wrestlers on the Morton Downey Jr. show. Oh, is that- this... The famous one this, that we have. This is Doctor D, David Schultz, and Jim Wilson. Yes. Okay, so we're definitely going to play a lot of that. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have uh, Dave Meltzer's thoughts on Ed Wayland's announcing job in Stampede. <laughs> 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 and of course, we go to Japan where we got news on all Japan women. They got a, a, a show during the week. Uh, Dave's thoughts on Antonio Inoki. Uh, criticism towards Sesame Fujinami. So we have that. And in the Jim Crop Promotions, we get a interesting experience between Chris Champion and Rick Steiner on television. We get uh, Precious losing in a World Championship Wrestling. And the Great American Bash on pay-per-view oh. from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Featuring one of the more controversial endings of a main event in, uh, in the era. So we'll have that. We'll have Dave Meltzer's thoughts on that. We'll have Steve Beverly's letter to the Observer about the show and all kinds of other stuff from, from the Grand American Bash tour with our special guest making his return to Between the Sheets, Al Getz. So uh, it should be a fun show next week. Good times. Uh, I, well, I was surprised that we hadn't done this week already with Bash 88, but we're going to do it now. And so this is going to be next a week. fun one, yeah. Lots of clips next week. Lots of fun clips. So there you go. All right. Well, that's next week. This week, great show. Kaya, you were awesome. Thank you again for being on with us. I appreciate Bix. you guys having me. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Bix. Thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris Sands. So long from the peach state of Georgia. up every morning can't wait to embrace the day i take my coffee by the pool i pass my picket fence and gaze across my new mowed lawn i never thought my life could be this good i have a brand new car i drive it to my country club It's in my gated neighborhood I 
tennis whites and caddies keep my sticks in line. I never thought my life could be this good. Time to leave my past behind and all the fools that I once knew. Now I'm clean inside. Each day I get better, can't you see? Yeah. Yes, that you can see. I only hang out with the privileged few. Society's elite with blood that's blue. Oh, private schools and soccer moms and living life the way we should. I never thought my life could be this good. Yeah, baby. Time to leave my past behind. All those fools that I once knew. Now I'm clean inside. Each day I get better. Can't you see? Can you see? I wake up every morning. Can't wait to embrace.